Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the American Reconstruction Project. This is a special uh, show tonight. I've been asked to do a show to try and help out new people that want to learn about what does work, uh, what can be done, and how to do it. So I appreciate that. We do not give legal advice here, although we do talk about the law. I'm not an attorney, don't want to be one, because an attorney means somebody who is at law, turning it upside down to bring the people to their knees, attorney. However, you could conceivably call somebody a lawyer who is educated in law. It's your choice. Um, Anyway, uh, what I'm going to try to do tonight is do what I an overview and kind of a history to get us to where we are and then what we need to do in order to make a difference. Um, Starting off, I wasn't quite sure uh, exactly how to start off. So I thought what I would do is share a little bit about, you know, my background and and why I am where I'm at today, why I'm the one doing an awful lot of the talking. Um, Basically, when I was 14, I, I started working actually when I was 13. I was raised on a sailboat from 12, excuse me, from six years old till 12, and then after, in, ended up in Florida and had gone through the Panama Canal and uh, hurricanes and many other things as well. So I had a slightly different upbringing, bringing in view of the world than other people. Uh, then up in Maryland, I ended up uh, working, uh, started working a job at 13 and then ended up with three jobs by the time I was 16 and uh, graduated from high school a year early and uh, went into the military right away, spent four years in the military, was on an aircraft carrier um, in the Indian Ocean, and uh, got out in a time when uh, people were not appreciated at all, in fact, quite the opposite. There's some hard times there. I then uh, realized that I had the ability to invent things and design things, so I decided that was what I needed to uh, basically... Uh, utilize to make this world a better place. And upon doing that, I discovered all sorts of things about business, and my eyes started being opened up a little bit more as to some of the deceptions that were going on in this country. In other words, I was very naive when I went into the military, um, and I was slightly less naive when I got out, uh, but still naive in consideration of most of the people and what's going on in this country. So... That being said, I then set out to do real estate um, in order because that was a way to, uh, basically was one of the fastest ways to make money and um, or create assets. And in order to manufacture any of my inventions, that's what I needed to do since my travels uh, around the country ended up discovering that they want 90% and the control and the profits and everything of any invention. So... That was not what I wanted because I realized most of these inventions would be buried. They'd be stolen and buried. So that's when I started doing, uh, I did contracting for several years to learn all the skills of how to rebuild or build a house from the ground up, electrical, plumbing, roofing, siding, the whole nine yards, framing, concrete, everything. I actually love that kind of work. I like working with my hands. That being said, within I was sleeping in the basement at the time when I started off and made out my list. Um, of things that I wanted to accomplish. And one of them that I put down was that I wanted to have a million dollars worth of property. Um, And this was actually a 10-year list. This is what I wanted to accomplish within 10 years. It was either five or 10 years. 
And I wrote down a series of things. Well, amazingly enough, within three years, um, yep, it, within three years, I had exceeded my expectations and ended up with close to $2 million for the property. I think it was over 32 at last count. And then 2000, and I started, I bought properties uh, in Oklahoma to do my manufacturing. And then 2008 hit, and I started reading a little bit. And the first thing that I read was that banks are not allowed to loan credit, and their own policies say they're not allowed to loan their money or depositors' money. And I sent a letter, which as it turned out later, not being studied in law at all, knowing nothing, wanting nothing to do with law, wanting nothing to do with politics or any of that crazy stuff out there and all that corruption and so on. I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, But I sent a letter, which turned out to be later on. uh, I could define it when I read it. I was like, wow, it's not a bad letter. It was basically a debt validation and a debt dispute letter combined into one. And I had three loans, and I actually sent those to IndyMac, Wells Fargo, and I think the other one was IndyMac as well, uh, asking a question. And immediately, even though I was completely up to date on my payments, I was foreclosed on three properties. And ironically enough, I didn't even find out until later. In other words, there was no, I was never served, no notice, no due process, nothing. Well, clearly, you know, when you have uh, three of your best properties, um, stolen from you, you know, that's kind of a, it'll put you in depression for one thing, and it also is a wake-up call that something is seriously wrong with my concept of this free country and the protections of our rights and property. And that was the beginning of my journey. I then, of course, like most people, reached out um, onto the Internet to find out more that I could, and at that particular time, um, there was nothing up here, no websites, no legal stuff. It was all what I call gurus or gooprus, G-R-O-P, goop, because that's most of them putting out goop. And I didn't know it at the time. I clung to it. I clung to those people, and I studied their process. I learned the process during the time of Tim Turner and all that. But fortunately, spirit of truth remained with me, and I was able to avoid the pitfalls of so many other people um, that they had misled. Eventually, um, I met uh, Mike Golden, and by this time I was a little bit more studied in law, and I had done my own shows for a while. It was called The Law of the Contract because I had studied in college contract law, which is the most useful. And um, and then um, from there, um, I started interviewing people that claimed that they had wins. And I got a little bit tired of um, people claiming they knew how to do things, but they couldn't show any wins. And that's when we started. I went into that show me phase. I didn't believe anything that anyone said until show me because I had already spent several years chasing ridiculous stuff that seemed okay at the time, but really didn't end up giving me a result. And I lost even more properties. So then I started interviewing people, and those people that were winners, uh, that could show case law that they had and, and seemed to know what they were talking about, they all had one thing in common. They all said that you needed to study and read the law. And of course I resisted for a very long time until I started actually reading. Uh, actually it was um, uh, Matt from Michigan. I was on the phone to him and privately, and I was in Maryland, and I was asking him, questions or something or about Maryland, and he just quickly went click, click, click on his computer, 
he looked something up, and he said, well, in Maryland it says da 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 And it occurred to me at that moment that there was something wrong with the fact that somebody else in another state could go click, 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 and find out the statutes in my own state that I was in, but somehow I couldn't do that on my own. And it dawned on me that there was some kind of psychological thing, which I think we're all dealing with to some extent, and it only makes sense that they use statutes against us, so once bitten, twice shy, that's the last place we look for our solution, when in actual fact, it is our solution. Particularly given that almost all the gurus and almost all of what we call the patriot stuff, I now call it patriot idiot stuff, not all of it, but a lot of it is, and the reason is the number one most dangerous thing about the patriot quote-unquote movement is that they are making the government our enemy. This is another form of programming that is the most dangerous and destructive to us accomplishing what we want to accomplish. The government is ours. It's ours. We create it, we allow it, we create it, we promote it. And it is subject to us. It has been hijacked, no doubt. But the reason it's been hijacked is because the people have not educated themselves and been the governors to govern that which is meant to be governed, government. And that's the reason, just like a teenager, if the parents don't put any rules on the child and don't enforce it, they're going to go out and party every single night and do whatever they want. So years later, it's very difficult. It's three times harder to rein that type of activity in, and that's where we are today. So uh, as a little more background, uh, we can go into there is people keep talking about conspiracies and so on. It's not theories. It's real. And at the bottom of all of it, you're going to end up finding out it's the banksters. And this goes back to the uh, early 1800s. In fact, England was a victim of the banksters. Uh, I actually pulled up some stuff here on Wikipedia about it. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit of what's on here. Um, just so you have a little background. And there's a reason for this, because if you don't understand the background, then you can't understand how to do something about it. England's crushing defeat by France, the dominant naval power and the naval engagement culminating in the 1690 Battle of Beachy Head, became the catalyst of England's rebuilding itself as a global power. England had no choice but to build a powerful navy. No public funds were available, and the credit of William Hill, governor, government, was so low in London it was impossible for it to borrow 1200000 at 8% that the government wanted. To induce subscription to a loan, the subscribers were to be incorporated by the name of governor and company of the Bank of England. The bank was given exclusive possession of the government's balances and was the only limited liability corporation allowed to issue bank notes. The lenders would give the government cash or bullion and issue notes against the government bond which it can be which can be lent against or which can be lent again. So this is your fractional lending stuff which we see today. So this country is a victim the same as England was and this goes back to sixteen ninety four. All right. Now jumping forward we have um, um, Andrew Jackson who in his commission basically uh, did away with the federal, uh, the central bank of of America. Um, um, so he, let me try to read a little bit of what he had. The Fed should be repealed, and the Fed banks have violated their charters. Wait a minute, is this the right one? Let me make sure I have the right one here because I might be jumping. 
Now, that was McFadden's speech, my bad. Um, jumping ahead there. I'm just trying to show you how many people throughout history have discovered, and these are, you know, pretty prominent people. Um, here, here it is. I believe this is it here. The Bank of the United States is, in many respects, convenient for the government and useful to the people. Entertaining this opinion and deeply impressed with the, with, the, with the belief that some of the powers and privileges possessed by the existing bank are unauthorized by the Constitution, subversive of the rights of the states, and dangerous to the liberties of the people. I felt it my duty at an early period of my administration to call the attention of Congress, to call to the attention of Congress, to the practicability of organizing an institution, combining all of its advantages and, and uh, obviating those, these objections. I sincerely regret that in the act before me, I can preserve none of these modifications of the bank charter, which are necessary, in my opinion, to make it compatible with justice, with sound policy, or with the Constitution, or our country. Every monopoly, notice he calls it a monopoly, every monopoly and all exclusive privileges are granted to the expense of the public, which ought to receive a fair and equivalent. The many millions which this act proposes to bestow on the stockholders of the existing bank must come directly and indirectly out of the earnings of the American people. And I'll leave that right there. So you have an idea... And let me go back here to McFadden's speech to Congress. And if you can get to the whole thing in McFadden's speech, it's, it's pretty rough. Here we go. The Fed should be repealed. And the Fed Bank, having violated their charters, should be liquidated immediately. Faithless government officials who have violated their oaths of office should be impeached and brought to trial. Unless this is done by us, I predict that the American people, outraged, pillaged, insulted, and betrayed, as they are in their own land, will rise in their wrath and will sweep the money changers out of the temple, which did not happen. Mr. Chairman, the United States is bankrupt. It has been bankrupt by the corrupt and dishonest Fed. It has repudiated its debts to its own citizens. Its chief foreign creditors is Great Britain. And British bailiff has been at the White House, and the British agents are in the United States Treasury making inventory and arranging terms of liquidation. Now, he, he didn't state it, but now I wanted to give you that background so you understand when they say Britain, they're talking about the Bank of England. Great. Uh, so I think I'll leave it right there. You get an idea where he goes, um, and he goes into more detail making his case. So you have an idea of how we got here. Now, the fact is that what I have seen is corruption on the small scale. In other words, um, every state in and of itself, the state courts, may be controlled and appear to be controlled by the banks, which is why the fraud closures are consistently not getting any due process whatsoever. They cannot show that they gave a loan because they never did. So when you look at each and every one of these, you begin to see that there is a pattern of behavior. Now, having studied more and more and more of the law and actually having won cases, this is what we need to do is our research. So I'm going to go through and share with you how we use the law which was created to protect us. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new forms of government laying its foundation on such principles 
and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. And if you're reading it, hopefully I did that correct off the top of my head. Yes, you need to memorize that and get it into your soul because that is the public trust from which all government in this country is derived from. Otherwise, how could we throw it off? Otherwise, how could we alter or abolish it? You see, the secrets are right there. It's very, very important to understand that we, the people, are the ones that create the government. We have the power to alter and abolish it if we will do it. Now, that means that we can win in court, but not the lower courts, not the corrupted courts, and we need to know how to set a record, to create a record, so that we can go to the higher courts and the federal courts, the uh, United States courts, and actually win there under what I call a 42 USC 1983 deprivation of rights suit. Because I believe that all of them, um, all of them, all roads lead to that, one way or the other. Because I've been to the lower courts, the middle courts, and the upper courts in the state, and even though I managed to force the court in Oklahoma, the Supreme Court in Oklahoma, to do its duty, it still did not do it properly. And I tried to correct them, and they basically rejected I didn't have time to make uh, on such a small issue. Um, so let's, let's get started on the, the nuts and bolts. Number one, um, the first thing you need to do is take this serious, okay? Um, if you haven't learned a new skill in a while, first of all, it's a good thing because that's what keeps Alzheimer's away is to learn new things, okay? So start exercising your brain is a good thing. You've been trained not to exercise your brain. We've been trained to be go-alongers and not to fight City Hall and, and, and everything else that goes along with it. The interesting thing I found is the more that you read the statutes and laws, statutes, by the way, are nothing but common law in, in a statute form. So that's actually where you're going to find common law, which is just common to all men. That's all it means. People think, oh, common law, common law. Okay, you're being misled. Because common law, if you want to go back to common law, was when they did the witch hunts. So if you want to hit witch hunts back and you want to start being tested by trial of fire and by trial of drowning, that if you don't drown, then you must be a witch. And if you did drown, then I guess you're innocent. Okay, now if that's the kind of law you want, by all means go back to that type of common law. So it's not that we have a bad system. It is that the system has been misused, is being misused. Very clear. The system is still here. It is still there for us to use. And you can find cases. My favorite case is Hale versus Hinkle. All right? And I'm going to go read a little bit because this will give you an overview, all right, first of all, of the difference between the man and woman. Here they term the in-term individual when used, because Hale versus Hinkle is an older case back then. An individual meant a man or woman. Nowadays, an individual means an individual corporation, municipal subdivision of the state, uh, LLC, uh, partnership, and so on. These are all what I call entities or creations of the state. All right? Let's do a background. A corporation, a municipal subdivision of the state, a partnership, uh, LLC, um, municipal subdivision of the state, they are all defined as a person. Why is that? Because a person comes from the root word persona. Persona means to wear a mask or to put on, to pretend to be something that you are not. Now, don't be afraid of that. 
Okay? This is not a bad thing. Okay? Nothing is bad or good out there. It's the way in which it's being used that is the problem. For instance, as many times as I knew the Constitution and read it, it wasn't until for some reason recently that I went to the Fifth uh, Amendment again, which says what? The right of the people... Let me go ahead and pull it up, but I'm going to do it from my heart anyway. The right of the people... There's the word people to be secure in their persons. What? Persons? I had no idea it said persons. Now I'm beginning to understand more law. It begins to make sense that what persons, we have the right, let me see, let me find it right here, persons, houses, papers, and effects. Uh, Let me see, make make sure I want to get it right here. I want to make sure I get it right. My point here is that persons clearly indicates that we all have different persons. You're a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, an uncle, a cousin. You know, sometimes you can be a jackass. These are all personas. You can be a happy person. You can be a dancing person, a miserable person, a depressed person, an HDD. All these things are just nothing but persons. Okay? Uh, Let me make sure. Yeah, here it is. The right of the people. Remember that term, people. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses. By the way, houses, you have to look, anytime you look at law, you have to look, unless it's been amended or, or, or changed in some way or updated or modernized, the Constitution is not, this amendment has not been amended. So you have to look at the time period in which it was written and understand what they were talking about. Well, what was houses? What did they talk about houses? Not homes. Houses back then was like the House of Lords. It meant the freedom of assembly. So they were talking about groups of people that wanted to assemble, houses, organizations, associations. The right to be secure in your persons, houses, papers. That's all of your papers and effects. Everything is your effects that you that you consider to be your effects. Okay? Against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. And no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause. Now, here's the thing. Probable cause is not sufficient. Probable cause supported by oath or affirmation. So the probable cause must be supported by oath or affirmation, and that oath or affirmation in the probable cause must be, partic- must be supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So you begin to see in most of these cases when people are quote-unquote unlawfully searched, unlawfully seized, they're arrested, whatever, it's not done in a lawful manner because no warrant has been issued. They, they take a piece of it because they know that the people will not read the entire law, the entire statute. And the more you read, the more you begin to see, hey, all of this makes sense. Okay? So let me go, where was I at here? Oh, I wanted to go to Hale versus Hinkle because this is the one that really um, shares with you the differentiation between the people, which they refer to here as the individual, and you're going to go to Hale versus Hinkle, page 74, okay? You don't, all the rest, if you read all the rest of it, it kind of confuse you a little bit, Okay. And that's another thing I want to share some techniques that are are extremely important 
because it's taken me years since 2008 uh, to learn these techniques, and I'm going to share them with you so that you can cut down your time tremendously. Number one, when you read case law, you want to read it from the bottom up. Read the last paragraph first, then go to the next paragraph. And there's a, lots of reasons, I won't go into all of them, but the number one reason is there is nothing worse, particularly when you're starting out, than reading 5, 10, or even one page for most people is enough to you know, fry your brain when you're first starting out. You're like, what the hell's going on? What are they trying to say? doesn't make any sense. That's what your brain is going, ah, 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 I don't want it, I don't want it. You're rejecting it. And it's all googly gosh. And I can't do this. And you have to. The reason all that's coming about is this is subconscious programming that, well, you need to have an attorney. You need to have an attorney. Well, in order to understand that, you have to have an attorney. You better have an attorney. You got to have an attorney. You got to have an attorney. You better have an attorney. Okay, sounds an awful lot like the other things I repeat. Well, terrorism, 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 terror, 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 terrorism. Debtor, 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 sinner, 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 debtor, 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 sinner. So we're fighting this program. Okay? And so what we need to do is. For replace it. My mother said something I thought was very wise years ago. She said, it is easier to replace a bad habit than it is to get rid of it. Because the moment that you're trying to get rid of a bad habit, you're focusing on the bad habit. But if you simply replace it and focus on the new good habit, then the other one will go away. Okay? So let me read this to you. We are of the opinion that there is a clear distinction in this particular, particular just simply means this particular case, between an individual, remember this particular meaning, individual means one of the people, and a corporation, and that the latter, the corporation, has no right to refuse to submit its books and papers for an examination at the suit of the state. The individual, that's you and I, may stand upon his constitutional rights as a citizen. That's a slight misreading. What you want to understand real quick is that you have these rights, and they are guaranteed by the United States via the Constitution and laws of the United States. You see the difference? So you don't want to make the mistake of saying, oh, my constitutional rights. No, you want to say, my rights guaranteed by the Constitution and the United States. You see the difference? We have these rights and doubts. That's why you need to memorize the unanimous Declaration of Independence. We hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed. Endowed. And all those guys out there who think they're heavily endowed, you don't separate your endowment from the body, do you? Okay? So you're endowed. And women that are considered endowed, you understand the difference between being endowed with something, you don't cut it off and separate it from your body. It is part and parcel. And that's what un Unalienable, not inalienable, unalienable, cannot be leaned, cannot be altered, cannot be diminished, cannot be changed, and quite frankly, you can't even waive it. Okay, so well, do you waive your right? Well, I can waive at the right, but I don't, I don't remove, I never can remove that right. I can chose, choose if I want to to suspend it and allow something to happen to me, but guess what? When I volunteer to do something, I can unvolunteer to do something. That's why technically, uh, lawfully speaking, most people in jail could simply walk out and say, hey, you know what, I don't volunteer to be here anymore. Now, that, that's law. But the problem is nobody knows the law anymore because they've all been taught the wrong thing because the American people are not holding their feet to the fire because the American people don't know the law themselves. We are the managers. We are the grantors. We are the creators. 
and we have not been managing our own creation. All right, let me continue. The individual may stand upon his constitutionally guaranteed rights, I put the word guarantee in there to clarify, as a citizen. Now, they don't get mixed up on the 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment citizen either, okay? It's another one of these. You can argue that later on if you want, but right now, let's be practical. Let's be smart, okay? You know, when you got a hole in the boat, the first thing you want to do is plug the hole and bail out the boat. You don't worry about the decor. Right now, you want to save the boat. That's where we're at. Don't be worried about the decor. Don't be worried about gold fringe about American flag, which merely means that it is a special event. Don't worry about that. It's a waste of your time. You're not going to get anywhere. And I've done it. I've been in court. All right? I stood in court and sat there and said, oh, I see you're flying uh, a, a flag of Admiralty. And I looked out the window of my tippy toes and I said, I don't see any water. And then I went back and forth to my feet and I said, I don't feel a ship beneath me. And I looked at the judge eyeball to eyeball and I said, and you don't look like a captain to me. Boy, did I look like an idiot later to myself when I realized that all the gold fringe means is that it is a special event because it's not on all four corners. Okay. His power to contract, oh, excuse me, he is entitled to carry on his private business in his own way. You got that? He is entitled. Listen to the word entitled, and we'll get into that. That's what entitlement means because that goes to the root of everything that's happening to you. It all is contract law. Everything in government is contract law. The government itself is a contract with the people. Get that through your head. If it's not written, it's not in contract. I indicted a judge the other day in a matter of three minutes by simply sharing that I was cognizant under um, 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 18 U.S.C. subsection 4, misprism of felony which says, in part, that if you have knowledge of a crime that is cognizant of a court of the United States and fail to make known to some judge or other officer of the United States that you can do up to three years in jail. What I do is I turn that around. Instead of being convicted of it, I use it to my advantage. I say, so that I cannot be held accountable under under 18 U.S.C. subsection 4, misprism of felony, and then I repeat it to the judge, I am here to make known to you some judge of a crime that is cognizable of a court of the United States. And then I went to and described that under the deed of trust, which is what these people are coming in under, is the deed of trust. You see, in order to show that you have any entitlement to relief, you must show that there is some form of contract or crime. So where is the contract? If there's no crime, there must be a contract. And where within the Four Corners Doctrine does it specify that which they are doing? Nowhere in the deed of trust does it allow for a a substitution of trustee. It only allows for a successor trustee and only after the original trustee has been removed. And it must be um, recorded in the same manner as the original deed of trust. So there's a matter of procedure, okay? Procedure is no different than if you're cooking something or you're baking something. You don't sit there and grease up the pan and put it in there if you haven't mixed up the stuff that goes in it, okay? So that's what how important procedure is. Just like you have procedures, you everyone knows about football, baseball, hockey. You guys know a lot more about sports than I do. And those in the music industry understand how keys work and how they don't work and how... All of these, everything has a process and procedure. 
This is just slightly another different language. It's a different sport. Look at it that way, or a different song. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Learn it, okay? One thing about law is that you can always redo or undo and go back and do it again, particularly when it comes to fraud. You can always collaterally attack anything if there's fraud, and 99.9% of these have fraud in the inducement, okay? And fraud in the inducement simply means that you're induced to do the activity that you did or the signing because of fraud. Otherwise, you would probably not do it. He is entitled to carry on his private business in his own way. What does that mean? Not subject to taxes or any oversight whatsoever. His power, not just a right, but this is power. His power to contract is unlimited. His power to contract is unlimited. All right, let's go. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and forth here. I'm going to show you where this is confirmed in the Constitution, all right? Where do we see this thing about power? I have to go back and forth here. I believe it is Article 9 and 10 is the one I'm looking for right now. Let's go to 9. Uh, no, let's go to, yeah, 9. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Clearly that shows you where the source of power comes from. All right? We have rights. And just because they're not enumerated in the Constitution does not mean we don't have them, which clearly means that only, uh, excuse me, the Constitution only lists some, not all of them. Now let's go to number 10. The powers, there's the word power, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, right? Now who created the Constitution? The people. So where does the power come from? The people. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, which tells you if it's not clearly listed and identified and specified in the Constitution, then the United States does not have that power. Nor prohibited by it, not nor prohibited by the Constitution, to the states. So what does that tell you? that the states, whenever they try to enact or pretend that they have some powers, if it's not prohibited by the Constitution. So before a state can make any law or enact any law or do anything, it must first go look to the Constitution and see if it is prohibited. Aha, you're getting a clue now. So when it now, okay, uh, those power, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the, several, to the states, excuse me, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. That's why you'll see on my Skype thing, I say reserving all powers. I'm reserving them. I'm not giving it to these people because they don't deserve it. They don't know what to do with it, and they're misusing it and misapplying it. So we now see a little more of what's going on here and what we have. Let's go back to Hale versus Hinkle again. I'm just showing you how what they're talking about is in law, in fact. His power to contract, his, he is entitled to carry on his own private business in his own way. His power to contract is unlimited. He owes, listen to this, he owes no duty 
to the state or to his neighbor to divulge his business or to open his doors to an investigation so far as it may tend to criminate him. In other words, it's none of your damn business. He owes no such duty to the state since he receives nothing therefrom beyond the protection of his life and property. What is that telling you? It is not a privilege to have the protections of your life and property. It is a duty of the state to protect your life and property, not subject to state, not subject to taxation, not subject to statutes, laws, or anything else. It is a right that you have. That is the reason that the state was created. So if they're doing something else other than protecting your life and property, then they're clearly engaged in something that is contravention, in contravention to the Constitution, which is, we'll see in a minute, the supreme law of the land. And as we just read, it's prohibited by the Constitution, which means it's prohibited to the state. Okay? His rights are such as existed by law of the land long antecedent or prior to the organization of the state. So which came first, the chicken or egg? So we now see here that the people and their rights came long before they organized the state. Just as the unanimous declaration came of the 13 United States of America came before the creation of the United States and, the, and most of the states respectively and can only be taken from him by due process of law and in accordance with the Constitution. Isn't that interesting? So no state can, can prosecute a case. No state can take anything from you without it being in due process and in accordance with the Constitution. Now let me go back. I want to show you in the Constitution. You guys aren't going to believe this, if I can find it quickly. This is in... Uh, shall be by the okay. I'm going to just type in the word. Maybe I can search it quicker that way. I should know this by heart by now. Um, I'm looking for the word. The trial of all crimes shall be by jury. I'm going to find where that is. Here it is. All right. This is. Amendment number seven. Oh, no, sorry, that's, that's another one. Hold on. Well, I'll read that real quick. In suits of common law, so you guys who understand common law, there it is in the Constitution, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. Ah, isn't that interesting? Okay, let me find it. Trial by jury, deprivation of rights, case benefit of trial by jury. Ah. Ah, here it is. Okay, now this is Article... I don't know why I haven't memorized. I had it before. It, by the way, if you guys don't know, it's very difficult for me to memorize this stuff. It is not easy for me. I'm a slow reader and I have to work really hard at this. So you guys can do it much easier than me. It's Article 3, Section 3. Okay? Um, yeah. Article 3, Section 3. Let me see. Last paragraph. The trial of all crimes. No exception then. Well, wait a minute. The answer is except in cases of impeachment. So if you're not in a position and you're not getting tried by impeachment, then it's all crimes. Shall be by jury. 
Now, that doesn't mean negotiating. That doesn't mean plea bargaining. The trial of, that isn't, now let me explain something. This is not a prohibition or a restriction upon you, one of the people. All of this, as all statutes and all laws, are to restrict government, all forms of government. Remember what the unanimous declaration of independence says, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive, these ends it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. Okay? So this is, and then let's go down to the sixth, Article 6, this is very, very important. You need to also memorize that one, okay? Let me see, Article 4. I think there's one in there I want to read to you also. Ah, here's one. Article 4, Section 2, just since I'm on my way. The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. So all those people, you know, that, that little garbage that went around, well, it's a privilege, and therefore it can be taken away from you. No, 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 no. What does it say? Shall be, what's the next word? Entitled. Again, we're going to get into what entitlement means. Entitlement means it cannot be taken from you. It is considered property, and the taking of it is considered theft. Shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. Basically what that's saying is if you have the right to smoke pot in one or two states, then you have the right to smoke it in every state, period. Any right, any privilege, any immunity that you have in, in several states, one or two states, you must have it in all states. Otherwise, we're not united in, in one mind. If we can see that you have the right or a privilege to do or an immunity, then how is it that we can all be equal if in some states you can and other states you can't? And one of the best cases that I know of that was a case where a state had created a tax um, uh, on, on, actually it was a business, believe it or not, uh, not just one of the people going, from, going through the state. And it was found to be unconstitutional, even against the business, because it, it prohibited their right to freely... Um, uh, Actually, it was interstate commerce. The reason that they said it was because interstate commerce was a power that was granted to the United States and the state no longer had that power, which is an interesting thing I didn't understand. If you look in the Constitution and it says that a power has been given or granted to the United States, guess what? That states don't have that power, which should breach the question upon you, why is it then you're paying an ad valorem tax on your property, which you shouldn't be paying anyway. But the states don't have the power to do an ad valorem tax because that power was given to the United States. So if it's given to the United States, then it's removed from the states separately, the individual states. Let's move down to the most important part here. And this is the part where I indict judges and all of these other officers because right here, here it is. This Constitution, and if there's any question, you want anytime you're filing anything, you always want to tie it together. If you're going to use the Constitution, you want to tie it together by the state constitution. And in every state constitution, you will find what they call the supremacy clause. The supremacy clause is where in the constitution, the state constitution, it will say that the constitution, the United States Constitution, is the supreme law of the land. For instance, in Oklahoma, it's Article 1, Section 1. The, uh, the state of Oklahoma is an inseparable part of the United States, and the United States Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Boom. 
Now they've got no room to move. Now, I can also show you how no judge has any room to move anyway, and here we go. This Constitution, not some other Constitution, and the laws of the United States, that's USC, United States Code, and other laws and acts of, of Congress, which shall be made in pursuance thereof. In pursuance of what? In pursuance of the principles established in the unanimous Declaration of Independence, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, not for any other purpose. It's morphed into doing all sorts of other things, but its primary reason for existing is to secure our rights. This Constitution, the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. And the judges in every state, any kind of state, that means state of stupidity, state of welfare, state of ignorance, state of Alabama, state of uh, Maryland, it doesn't matter. Any state, state of arrogance, the judges in every state shall be bound, limited, bound thereby. Now, this is my favorite part as well. Any, and it's a separate word here, any, capital T, H-I-N-G, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state, to the contrary, notwithstanding. They have no standing whatsoever. If it's in contradiction or in any way um, is outside of what the Constitution allows, no, it is prohibited. So we have it now two times where it's prohibited and we have it where it's notwithstanding. So if they're, if they're engaging in an act that you know, because you know the unanimous Declaration of Independence is not protecting your rights, is not securing your rights, is not giving you safety and happiness, and you can go find it in the Constitution where it's prohibited, guess what? They are violating your right. And that's why you want to go to 18 U.S.C. 241, which is the clearest one that I can find, which, uh, again, I'll do it from my head. Uh, if two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any inhabitant in any state, territory, commonwealth, or district in the free exercise or, smile on your face, please, enjoyment of any right or privilege, there you go again, no exchange on the privilege, no duty to the privilege, in the free exercise or the enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to them by the Constitution or laws of the United States shall be fined or imprisoned not more than 10 years. 10 years. Sounds like a criminal act to me if you're going to do 10 years in jail. So is it there any doubt now that the laws are here to protect us, that there are laws that are on the books that we can use and facilitate in order to protect our rights? to secure our rights the way it was intended to begin with? Is there any question that when they're doing something that doesn't make you happy, doesn't make you feel secure, and is not giving you safety of your property and your life, that we've got a problem? They're engaged in a criminal act, particularly if you can go find where it's prohibited the Constitution. Now, I know a lot of people do not like the 14th. I don't have a problem with it. Look, if being a slave still gives me what some people think, oh, it's a slave. Well, look, if being a slave means that I have all of my rights, my privileges, 
my immunity secured, well, I guess I'll take it. I don't mind being that type of slave, at least not now. I can kind of get that label off of me later, but it seems like that's closer to freedom than most people have. So let's put that aside for a minute. The 14th says what? No state. There we go. It's a limitation on the state, not on you. A limitation on the state. No state shall make or enforce. Now, this was particularly referencing the color laws, which they were not they were not necessarily written, but they were enforcing them. So it's the same kind of thing when you go into traffic court and they're enforcing laws that are not on the books. Or you go into foreclosure into a foreclosure and they're granting possession of property when there's no provision in the deed of trust, which is what the party's coming into. Or they're taking your child based on laws that don't apply to you. It's all the same thing. This is what I'm trying to share with you. Why I'm doing a show is because what I've done over the years is realize they all have the same criminal acts. They're all engaged in counterfeiting of, of, uh, of basically instrument because everything they do is in writing. And if what they're doing is fraudulent, it's counterfeiting. 18 U.S.C. 241, I mean, excuse me, 471 to 474, uttering and passing of counterfeit instruments and the creation of counterfeit instruments because that's what they're doing. They have a piece of paper and they're either taking your property or kids or something. And order the court that is void and they enforce it. When the sheriff enforces it, what is he doing? He's enforcing a counterfeit instrument. It's unlawful. These are unlawful activities. The court that created the instrument that gave the order is unlawful. It is void ab initio, which simply means from its initiation from the beginning. Same thing with the tax sales. I mean, I got a, I'll give you an example right now. I got a property in Maryland. And it's just, it's just in limbo right now because I, I'll share with you what I did with it. But they're, they're, they're selling, they're selling a basically $150,000 piece of property for like $1,500 on an alleged tax, alleged tax debt. Okay, this is wild property. It's mountain property for that matter. Okay, it even says that, you, that you, there's no, you're not supposed to build on it, although that's a different argument. But how is it that that can be taxed when I know that the taxes only have to do with an ad valorem tax or some business that I'm engaged in for profit, which would be subject to the state. And I also know that this is 33 acres, and they haven't established which portion of that, of that particular 33 acres is being used for some sort of commercial or for-profit activity. Okay? But if you don't know the law, you don't know. You think, oh, you own property, you've got to pay taxes. No, you don't. That would be a deprivation of your right to own property, wouldn't it? It would be a deprivation of your right to, uh, it's, it, to engage in your own business which we just read in Hale versus Hinkle. It would violate the prohibition that the state is there to protect your rights and your property, to your life and your property. That's not protecting it. It's depriving you of it. It is theft, pure and simple. Okay? So here's a fascinating thing in this particular case. Here we have a third party who allegedly bought an instrument from somebody who re allegedly represents the state and that person said, I did, it, 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 it's amazing. It's a piece of paper that says, I so-and-so and such-and-such. -and -such. Dear, what was it? In, uh, there's a strange name, too. Um, um, sold such-and-such -such a property to such-and-such -such a, a PowerPoint or whatever it is, or peaceful pace point or whatever it is, uh, for the sum of $1,500. What? <laughs> okay, and then here's what's fascinating. They actually filed in the complaint, they filed a... Um, a um, uh, what do you call it? A abstract of title, and an abstract of title goes through. It's a title search to see that there's a proper chain of title. And guess who the last owner and still owner of the property is? Me. 
Well, I think we all can understand that a maximum law, you cannot sell that which you do not own. It's also part of the law that property is not transferred. i got case law on this. Property is not properly transferred until it is recorded. It is not transferred until it is recorded, which is why the first thing that these uh, alleged lenders do is they run down to the court and they file your deed of trust because it has to be recorded. If it's not recorded, it's not transferred. You got it? So here they have, not, the ear shows that I'm the owner. There's no transfer to the state, and yet here's somebody allegedly a representative of the state that's selling property they don't own. They didn't sell anything. What they sold was a counterfeit instrument, didn't they? Ten years, well, that's, yeah, ten, 10 or 20 years of jail on that. You begin to see what I'm getting at. But you wouldn't know this if you didn't know the law. Let's continue. Article 6, most powerful one, you need to memorize it. The senators and representatives before mentioned, okay, we got all of them, and the members of the several state legislatures, all oh, the ones that are making these statutes and codes that are so misleading, even though they are precise, and we're going to get into that in a minute, they are precise, they're lawful, but they are not, and this is why I go back to the unanimous Declaration of Independence, and organizing its powers in such forms to them shall seem most likely to effect, which means to cause their safety and happiness. Clearly, if the statutes are continuously being misunderstood, misapplied, and misused to injure people, clearly it is not effecting or causing the outcome that we desire, do we? Which means that the legislatures which are writing these laws are, are, are engaged in criminal acts as well, which is embezzlement of their office. The senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers, all y'all, both of the United States and of the several states, the individual several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. Uh-huh. They're bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. If anyone's ever read my 10 questions of oath verification or indictment, you'll understand now why it's so powerful. By asking them certain questions, you now have an affidavit. You have two people there by the witness of two or more of the same overt act or by confession in open court. You may be charged with treason. Okay? <laughs> At the very least, these people are engaged in fraud. Let's go back to, we've already heard about the judges. First of all, the Constitution law of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Then down here we see that all judicial officers, which is the attorneys and the judges, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. You cannot support something if you don't know what it says. Now let's go up to, I believe it is, Article 2, Section 3, or Article 3, Section 2? Article, let me go, do, 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 do. let me make sure, because I, I get those mixed up sometimes. Article, do, 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 do. No, I'm right. Article 3, Section 1. Okay, my bad. Article 3, Section 1. I have to start memorizing this better. It's difficult for me. Last week I had it memorized, and it's gone. The judicial powers of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. So there you have a power that's been granted to Congress because the establishment of courts, okay? The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, 
shall hold their offices during good behavior. Well, wouldn't you say that somebody who is bound by oath or affirmation to support the Constitution and doesn't know the Constitution clearly is engaged in less than good behavior? That a judge that is depriving you of a right, not allowing you to speak, not allowing due process, not allowing you to be heard, not allowing your paperwork, not reading the contract in which is being enforced, which is how I indicted a judge recently, was I asked her point blank when she tried to shut me up when amongst all my stuff I said that the deed of trust does not provide for any trustee to do a foreclosure action. And I went on with a bunch of other things, and then, she, and then I said, and no court has the authority to grant contract that is not clearly written or that does not exist. It's not within the four corners of the instrument itself. Well, immediately when, when she heard me say that no court has the authority to enforce contract that does not exist, sorry, that's the better way of saying it, the way I did say it, she immediately jumped in trying to shut me up. Well, I just waited for her to shut me up, and then I finally, at the very end, I said, have you seen the deed of trust? She bowed her head and did not answer, which means what? When a question is answered that requires an answer in the affirmative, is not answered in the affirmative, then that means that it is the opposite, which means that she has now admitted that she did not see or read the deed of trust, which means that she is engaged in a corrupted behavior because what is she doing? She's making a determination on something that she hasn't even read. And what is it that we always ask for? That's why you always we teach. You always want to ask for or require a finding of fact and conclusion of law. It forces them to make their statement. Instead of just going dismissed, denied, Okay, you see, how many times have you seen where judges simply signs, oh, it's hereby ordered, da 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 da. Immediately, what's your finding of fact and conclusion of law? If they deny you that right, if they deny that to you, what are they denying you? They are denying you a right to due process. Well, what is due process? You have the right to appeal. How? Now, remember, appealing does not mean you're redoing the case. You're appealing the decision of the judge. How can you possibly appeal to a higher court the decision of a judge if you don't know what the judge bases his decision on, his or her decision on. That's why they will be denying you of a right. You see, I keep coming back to a right. The reason I've learned to do this is because we want to keep coming back to a right which they're depriving of because we can get out of the state corrupt courts and get into the federal and say, hey, wait a minute, deprivation of right suit, deprivation of right suit, deprivation of right suit. And the rule of thumb is if you want to sue the state or you have a case with the state, go to federal. Find a way to do a federal. And if you want to sue federal, find a way to do it in state. Because they're not in collusion with each other too much. It's getting worse. Uh, anybody who's done uh, bankruptcy used to be a safe haven um, for people in foreclosures or fraud closures. It no longer is. It's not the way to go. It will not save your ass. It will only delay the inevitable. And it will actually, in my opinion, work against you. Okay, because what you've done when you do a bankruptcy, you're saying, I'm not capable of taking care of my business, and you turn all of your business over to them willingly. It's not being taken from you by, by, by any undue process. You are willingly filing for it. You're asking for it. You're accepting it. You're saying, I can't do my business. Here's all of my assets. Here's all my debts. Please sort it out for me. And unfortunately, these trustees no longer are being honorable trustees, just like 
the trustees of this of this United States are no longer acting as proper trustees, just as the trustees of your deed of trust many times did not even know that they were trustees. And the substitution of trustees is not granted, but even if they were a successor trustee as required, they're not acting in honor with the deed of trust, and they've never read it either. Okay, you begin to see this pattern over and over and over again. And that is one of the elements of a 42-1983 is to show that it is a policy of the state. Now, when it comes to a RICO action, you want to show that it is a pattern of activity of over more than a year. Now, what I suggest is that when we do the 42-1983 deprivation rights suits, you want to show it's a policy of the state and weave within it that it is, in fact, a pattern of activity. So your, your uh, uh, 42-1983 should look like a RICO. And the reason is that really puts the screws to them when they can see that you've actually presented a RICO action and that you can bring criminal charges against them. Okay? And that's one of the few places you can. The reason I don't want to do a RICO is because there's not much money in it. And that's not going to get us what we want. And nobody is ever going to jail anymore. So, again, reality of the situation is they should be going to jail, but they don't. So we have to deal with reality. That's where we are today. I'm dealing with a boat that is already four feet going down in the water, and the water's coming over the gunnels, and if we don't bail our asses fast, and don't worry about you know whether the shades or whether the curtains are, are properly creased or not. We're not worried about that right now. We want to worry about the sinking ship. We want to save the ship at this point. The only way I can see of saving the ship is what I've mentioned to you in my, in my opening paragraph, which is the following. When corruption no longer is profitable, it will cease. When corruption no longer is profitable, it will cease. All right? That's where we are today. They will only, they will land patent thing. It won't get you anywhere, brother. I'm going to go to the board real quick and, and see where we are. I've been, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of reading. And remember what I ask people to do is have pertinent comments and pertinent questions to what's going on, not goofy, crazy stuff. So I'm going to go through here and see if I can find anything of value here. A lot of the stuff going on here is not useful. Do-do-do-do-do. Okay, do do Hi, hi, talk shoot doesn't like me. You're not the one. Da-da-da. No matter what the brother, okay. And who created the, that constitution? Um, that was covered. That's right. Thank you. We, the people, created it. Yep. And we alter or abolish it. Also, go on in the unanimous Declaration of Independence. Uh, and this is where I think we are actually today. And I believe that the uh, founders at that time believed that there will become a day when we no longer need government. They actually called it a necessary evil. And that was only because they couldn't figure out a way. That's why they have organized its powers in the way that they did in such form as to them seemed at that time most likely to affect our safety and happiness. It was the best that they could do under the circumstances. And quite frankly, they did a pretty damn good job if we would just utilize it, okay? And I'll cover what we could do as people who do not want to study law, don't want to go to court. There's still something that you could do to make a huge difference easily just by simply signing a petition and getting it on the ballots and voting for it. Okay, it's a very simple thing to do, and I believe it will change things tremendously. Uh, uh, Colin, is it your position that the 14 citizens have the same rights as, as organic? Immaterial. What I am saying is this. 
What matters is that if you can if you can enforce the fourteenth or fourteenth amendment citizen rights, you're going to be a lot better off than what you are right now. So as a starting point, I'm going to start at step one, and then we can worry about the rest of the arrest and see how far that goes. Okay, I am again. I'm talking about a ship that is already low in the water, and I was raised on a sailboat. I've gone through hurricanes, uh, so I know what the hell I'm talking about. Okay, you do what you have to do. Okay. I've actually gone windsurfing in hurricanes, so let's let's continue. And I've been through the shit in the courts. I've already had, what, eight properties, nine, ten properties now stolen from me. I've got two cases or three cases I won on that. I've got five more to go, and I'm involved in three cases right now, and I've won the last five criminal cases and also civil cases with just one piece of paper. So let's move on. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Let me see. Do-do-do-do-do. I didn't create U.S. Okay, you want to look? I didn't create any U.S. norms. Okay, if you didn't, then this is probably the wrong. And you don't want to stand on the laws that are here, and you don't want to use the tools, as I call them, the arms. Go to the second. The Second Amendment says the right to have and to bear arms. The law, the Constitution, are arms that we have the right to have and to bear. If you don't want to have and bear arms, brother, that or sister, guest twenty-one, that's your right. That's your privilege, and I'll fight for your right and for your privilege. You're on the wrong talk show. Go to another one, okay? The U.S. Constitution, well, the state constitutions are all part of compacts with several K. Good, if you believe that. Again, and even still, even if it's a private compact with several corporations, guess what? Corporations, as we read in Hale versus Hinkle, are subject to the state. They're subject to their corporate charter. I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying they are subject to the corporate charter. I'm going to go ahead and go back to that so that you, I didn't finish. Let me go back here to Hale versus Hinkle and finish the reading. Here we go. Let me finish. He is entitled to carry on his private businesses in his own way. His power to contract is unlimited. He owes no duty to the state or to his neighbor to divulge his business or to open his doors to an investigation, so long as it may incriminate him. He owes no such duty to the state since he receives nothing therefrom beyond the protections of his life and property. His rights are such as existed by the law of the land long antecedent to the organization of the state and can only be taken from him by due process of law in accordance with the Constitution. Among his rights are a refusal to incriminate himself and immunity of himself and his property from arrest or seizure except under warrant of law. He owes nothing to the public so long as he does not trespass upon their rights. So if you don't want to get involved in this, you don't like any of it, hey, as long as you're not trespassing on somebody else's rights, I will fight for your right to do whatever you want as long as you're not trespassing upon anyone else's rights. And there you have the one law we do live under. Now, Upon the other hand, this is the important part. This is their, if you want to look at it as their laws, it's not ours. It is ours, okay? It is ours. You don't want it, you want to reject it, that's fine. Say it's not yours. As you live free and having all of the benefits of all the things that the rest of us have efforts that we put out there. But that's okay. I believe in rights for everybody. Upon the other hand, the corporation is a creature of the state clearly a creature of the state. It is a creation of the state. It is presumed to be incorporated for the benefit of the public. Therefore, if it's not benefiting the public, guess what? The state can pull its charter. It receives certain limited, certain special privileges and franchises and holds them subject to the laws of the state. There we go. Subject to the laws of the state. Nowhere before did you see that 
that the rights of the individual were subject to the state, did you? Quite the contrary. Here we're seeing it that he holds them subject to the laws of the state and the limitations of its charter, not only the corporate charter, but also the state charter. Its powers are limited by law, limited by law. It can make no contract not authorized by its charter. That should give you a big clue. Can the state or any corporation contract with you or any person, or excuse me, any one of the people to deprive them of their rights or their property? No. That's why we have all sorts of protections, which we'll get into, RESPA and TILA and all those other laws that are out there, is in order to secure our rights and to protect our life and property. But if you don't want these, you know, go to another website with, or go to another talk sheet where they're talking about how well, you don't have any rights, you don't have any laws, and you don't substantiate laws. Okay, great, go do that. Okay, that's wonderful. Here we're talking about people who have, at the end of their road, tried all that goofy stuff, it hasn't worked, doesn't work, for whatever reason, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. We are practical people looking for a practical solution, and that's what I'm here to share with you, what's worked for me and worked for other people. And I learned from other people who used this and taught me this. Its rights to act as a corporation are only preserved to it so long as it obeys the laws of its creation. There's another clue, its creation. That's why you want to say, hey, wait a minute, when was I a creation of the state? If I'm not a creation, you can't show me that I'm a creation. Oh, the name and the birth certificate and all that stuff. Yeah, those pieces of paper, creations of the state. And guess what? I've actually used that birth certificate stuff in my own way to discharge over $40,000 worth of bills, every kind of bill you can imagine. So I've proven that that's true, that the, that the goulash stuff is true. But why am I not sharing that with you? Because I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you people, the people, who are the masters to take back and stop allowing the misconception and misuse of the laws against the people. That's what we're here to do. There is a reserved right in the legislature to investigate its contracts and find out whether it has exceeded its powers. It would be a strange anomaly to hold that a state having chartered a corporation to make use of certain franchises could not, in the exercise of its sovereignty, inquire how these franchises had been employed and whether they had been abused and demand the production of the corporate books and papers for that purpose. All right, so how much clearer do you need to make it? There is clearly a difference between the individual, which means the, the man and woman, the people, and a corporation and the state. Again, a simple way of thinking about this is can a corporation tell the state what to do or make laws for the state? No. In the same manner, the state cannot make laws regarding the people who are its creators. Um, being subject to this dual sovereignty, there's just another line down here I had highlighted. Um, being subject to this dual sovereignty, the general government possesses the same right to see that its own laws are respected as the state would have with respect to the special franchises vested in the laws of the state. Now, what they're talking about when you go reading further, they're talking about how come the United States, in this particular case, also has jurisdiction over the state-created uh, entity because it was engaged in interstate commerce. Now, why is that important? As I mentioned a minute ago, if you're not engaged in interstate commerce, then why are you paying an interstate ad valorem tax? What? 
And why would you be concerned with the IRS, which is the internal to the United States, internal revenue having to do with the revenue of the United States? So if you're not an actor or an agent of the United States, and you're not engaged in any uh, interstate commerce, then the United States was not granted that power, so why are you even concerned about the IRS? Just a little heads up there, just where you might start approaching your thinking. And most people argue the wrong thing. They get into court, and, and I've seen it a thousand times, and you go look at these cases. I've had judges sit there and bring up cases uh, to basically the, to, to secure their opinion, but every one of the cases is a lower court opinion, and when you look at it, they didn't deny the person their rights. What they said was it was improperly argued, or they didn't address it at all. They think just because uh, one issue was dismissed that the whole entire issue was dismissed, and it's not. But you have to read the whole thing. So let's go back to techniques and process and procedures. Anytime you're going to file, it doesn't matter what it is. For instance, if you're going to file a motion for an injunction or a motion for a summary judgment or a motion for a default judgment, whatever it is that you're filing, you need to go look up in the dictionary and find out what are the ingredients. Go back to when you're cooking or baking. What are the ingredients? If you're making a lemon meringue pie, then you're making something which has a pie, which means you need a pie crust. If you're making a lemon cake, that is a totally different scenario. Although you still will need some of the same ingredients, and guess what? You'll probably need an oven, and you'll probably turn it to similar degrees, and it'll probably cook for a similar time. You see, and you're going to grease both pans. So they have things in common, but they're not exactly the same. And you're going to find this in law. The more you study it, first it's going to be like, oh, my God, this is so overwhelming. But the more that you study and the more that you read, you're going to begin to see that this has a constant flow. And the more you start applying it, you begin to see, wow, this stuff really works. And a lot of the guru stuff was useful um, for me because I realized that you wanted to get it down to the shortest amount possible so that it will be read. And one thing I've learned from my mentor is that you want your documents, your pieces of paper, to look like an attorney did it. They're accustomed to reading that, which if you have your stuff and it looks like a one of these, uh, what do you call them, um, 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 sovereign citizen, uh, a patriot type of you know, craziness or under... Sovereign citizenship, or common, you know, however you want to. When you start looking at that paperwork, it stands out. And you know what they do? They immediately turn off. And in fact, it usually will turn against. The key here is to uphold the law, use the law and the statutes, and force them, box them into a corner where there's no place to go. That's basically what I did with the Supreme Court in Oklahoma. I use the law to cause them to do a writ of mandamus because everyone goes, "Oh, how'd you get them to do a writ of mandamus? Oh, what'd you follow? What'd you follow? I didn't. I caused them to do their own writ of mandamus, and they they vacated all the judgments of the court, uh, the the previous judge. Okay. Uh, do 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 do. Let me see what else is here. I'm looking at the board now. See if there's anything. I want just insult. I don't know why. Do this process in the property free and clear. Hey, uh, guest number 16, no insult to anybody. If you've got a process that works, by all means, share it. I'd love it. Give us a link to your process, whatever does work, has worked, and consistently works in every state. I'm only sharing with people what has worked, my experience with what has not worked, and sometimes a combination does work. Um, I believe absolutely in a loyal title, and I went out looking all sorts of cases law in a loyal title. 
And it's really amazing what you'll find. Case law, case law, case law. Uh, okay. Like the insult of no reason. He said, I'm in the wrong room. He said, oh, guess number six. That's it. He said, I'm in the wrong room. And that, okay, well, all I'm saying is if you don't want to hear what, what we're suggesting here, go to another room. Do do do. Um, blah, 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 da, da. Constitutions have anything to do with me. None of those constitutions have anything to do with me. Exactly. Not guess number 16. So if they don't have anything to do with you, and I'm talking about the Constitution and, and upholding the Constitution and forcing those people who are subjects of the Constitution, remember, the senators and representatives before mentioned as well as the members of the several state legislature and all executive and judicial officers, both the United States and the several states, shall be bound by other affirmations to support the Constitution. Clearly, they are subject to the Constitution. So if you're getting a hard time by some judge, or some officer, or some senator, representative, or any judicial or executive officer, uh, doesn't it kind of make sense to use the laws that they are bound to? I mean, other than that, just use the, the common law uh, law of the land and use a baseball bat. That's, that's, that's the supreme law, isn't it? And I, I've done that. You know, when somebody trespassed on my property and I called the police to help me, and they were going to arrest me. I just spent $30,000 renovating a piece of property in Baltimore. And I called because somebody broke in and had been living there for two days, apparently. There's no contract, no contract implied or otherwise to me. And the cops were going to arrest me because they wouldn't let me, quote, unquote, trespass on my own property. I was furious. I went to court for about two months to try and get these people out. And, oh, my God, the shenanigans. Ridiculous. What they said was that they were a tenant. Because they had been in there, they had a lawn chair and a plastic chair, so they considered that furniture. They had plastic utensils and, and styrofoam plates. They considered that to be utensils for cooking. Therefore, they under the, under the city of, of Baltimore, they were considered to be my tenants. What? There's no contract. And I got so frustrated with the courts, I went in at 3 o'clock in the morning with a baseball bat, broke into my own house, started punching holes in the wall, got them all downstairs, and I said, now, I'm going to start on your feet, and I'm going to work my way up and I'm going to bust every single one of your ankles, toes, and every one of your joints. Yes, I will go to jail for a few years for assault battery, but you will be injured for the rest of your life. Now, do you want to stay and be injured and me go to jail or get the hell out of my house? Although I didn't use the, the H word, I used another word. Guess what? They left. So, yeah, there are times when, yeah, you will have to stand up for yourself. What I'm suggesting is that when you buy, that was my frustration. I now have won every case when it came to somebody on my property. Because I learned the law. Which one do you want to do? I could have just as easily got arrested that night. Okay? What I'm suggesting is that you bear the arms of the law to those that are subject to the law. No one is saying that you're subject to the Constitution. Quite the contrary. We're saying you're not subject to the Constitution. What I am saying is that they are subject to the Constitution. And there's no reason that I would not use that which they're subject to. Okay? That's what I'm saying. Is that clear? Is anyone unclear? Uh, da, da, da. Okay, I'll have to read that later. need to read that case. There is clarity. I don't understand, but maybe I can use it. Okay, remind me later. Thank you. Oh, that's right. They are actors. That's what a person means. Oath, federal constitution, state constitution, are restricted. That's correct. Very good. Uh, what people are the creators of the United States? Seven all states. Yep. That's correct. The people created the, the state constitutions as well. Good, good, good. i got good people here now. Thank you. Who cares who the creators are, what the people of the Constitution is? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, people, you're getting it. Dictionary. Okay, we just ignore 
affecting on is there anyone know how I can kick sixteen off? Just being disrupted, which I ask people not to do. Um okay, I'm gonna keep going. It looks like people are paying attention, they got it. Excellent. Um although sometimes we can get clarification from that. Um Yes. Um not so much against them, but use it to cause them to abide by them. These are these are our laws, not their laws. They're our laws that we have created to bind them when they because we gave them limited powers. Okay, that's all you need, and that's what why if you're not a creation of the state, if you're not a, uh, and this is where you kind of got to be careful. And I covered this the other night um, um, that when you do a marriage certificate with the state, and some of them I've actually read where it says anything derived from the union of these two persons, I'm not sure if they use word or person or people, um, because at the time I didn't know the difference, Uh, but the union of these two persons, I'm going to use the word persons, is the property of the state. And that's why in many cases you granted your children and your property, anything derived from the union of the two persons, uh, which they consider your children to be their, the property of the state. And that's because you contracted with them. That's why if you think about this with a clear mind, the whole issue as is to whether the state uh, has to grant a marriage license or not, there's no question. It doesn't matter whether somebody's gay or not gay because so far as the state's concerned, they cannot see religion, sex, uh, background, or anything else. They only see party A, party B, and they cannot deny the right Thank you. They cannot deny the right to contract. Let's go back and show where that is, back to the Constitution. Anytime you have a question, the beauty about the law is anytime you have a question, you simply go and read the law. Okay? And what is the supreme law of the land, which every state is bound by and every judge is bound by, since we're dealing with judges and officers, judicial officers, and all the rest, they're bound by the Constitution. If you've got any question, hey, let's go to the Constitution and see what does it say. Uh, where was that? Um, Article 1, Section 10, I believe, is where I want to be. Oh, here it is. Section 10, Article 1. No state. There we go again. No state, no exception. No state shall enter into a treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee reprisals, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender payment of debt, pass any bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts. And for all those people who love the nobility thing, guess what? On the on the original 13th and all of that, and I'm not disagreeing with it, however, guess what I found here? Right here, sec, uh, Article three, uh, Article 1, Section 10, art, uh, Article 1, which is the very first article, Section 10 of the first very first article, guess what it says? or grant any title of nobility. What? There it is. Why did they have the 13th, and and then it's not being used for whatever reason. I don't have time to argue with it, but guess what? You go down, and the next paragraph, let's see what it says. Let me see here. Was it the first one? Yeah, it was the one before. Sorry, my bad. It says it twice. No title of nobility. Uh, Here we go. No title, it's the section 9 at the, B, at the end of 9. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States. So we now have that the United States cannot grant title of nobility, 
nor shall any state grant any title to a building. What? And the word grant does not necessarily mean that they're going to give it. It also means that they're not going to grant any special exception. They're not going to grant a title of nobility to give it any special uh, powers. Okay? That's what it means to grant. And no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, accept any present emolument, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. That's pretty doggone clear, isn't it? So that's why I don't argue the 13th anymore, because guess what? The original 13th, which talks about title, because there it is, two times. Article 1, Section 9 at the end of it, and Article 1, Section 10. But the part I want to focus on is this part here. No state shall da, 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 make any law impairing the obligation of contract. Now, this is huge. And remember where we said in Hale versus Hinkle, it said our power to contract is unlimited. So here we have the state that cannot enact any law or make any law, okay, cannot make anything, cannot make any law respecting the obligation of contract. What is the judge doing? And what are the state statutes doing when they are making laws respecting contracts? It's prohibited by the Constitution. Therefore, it is unconstitutional. Therefore, it is void ab initio. It is no force and effect. And when the court does that, when the judge sits there and says, oh, yeah, I've never read the, 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 uh, the deed of trust. I've never read the note, but I'm going to enforce it anyway. What are they doing? They're making law that does not exist, which is a criminal act. Let's go to the 14th, which I know a lot of people don't like the 14th, but let's go to it anyway because guess what? I can hold them accountable to it. There's case law and case law and case law. And nowhere in the case law that I find where they're inserting the 14th, except in the instance of corporations, interestingly enough, but whenever one of the people is trying to assert the 14th, I've never seen where the court or judge, or the case, or even the opposing party says, well, you're not a 14th Amendment citizen, so you can't enforce it. Okay? So let's use whatever arms that they're going to give me. If the other side is going to leave hand grenades behind, and even if they threw one in there with a pin pole, I'm going to grab it throw it back at them. Even though it's their ammunition, is their hand grenade. Okay? Let's just use whatever we have to. Uh, la, 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 la. Let's go to the 14th. Here we go. No, 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 no. Oh, and I love this. Let me do this real quick before we do that. Article number nine, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people, which obviously means they can't deny or disparage the ones that are listed either. Hello? Uh, the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, already read that one, nor prohibited by it to the several states reserved to the States respectively or to the people. Doodly doodly do. I gotta go down, 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 down. This particular form that I'm using has a lot of notes on it um, and case law. That's why it takes me a while to scroll down. Let's quickly we'll go to the thirteenth. Before the fourteenth, neither slavery. Okay. You can define slavery however you want. I don't see anything here that defines slavery as being exclusive to black people. So let's just throw that concept out. It only uses the word slavery. Look it up for yourself. Nor involuntary servitude. Now, that's what I'm going to hang my hat on. And I use that many times on police officers and other when I say, okay, wait a minute. 
If I'm sitting still, am I volunteering? No. I get them to say no. I jump up and down, I wave my arm and say, now am I volunteering? Yes. Okay, so clearly volunteering means that you have to take an action of volunteering. Can I volunteer you? No. I can only volunteer myself, and as we've said before, if you can volunteer, you can unvolunteer virtually at any time, unless by your volunteering, and there's all sorts of case law on this, by unvolunteering you could cause somebody damage because they relied upon your volunteering, but that's a whole separate subject. Okay? Hey, Colin, Colin? Yes, yes, sir. Omissions can also be construed as consent as well. It can be misconstrued where there already exists a situation where the omission would uh, cause an admission. But if you don't already have that structure, as I used that exact thing, if you remember a minute ago, I was talking about how the omission of the judge to respond and the affirmative that she had seen the deed of trust was an admission that she had not seen it. I used exactly that in that case. But right, wait a minute, right. let's, let's yeah. look at that. We already had a precondition where she was required or obligated to know, to see, and to have read that deed of trust because she was being required under the duties of her office to make a judgment based upon that which was in the four corners. So there was already a duty or obligation. You see the difference? Right. It's, it's, like, it's like somebody writing up an affidavit and you don't answer it. That is, that is, that is consent that what you've said is true. Thanks. It can be. It can be. But again, I've looked up this in case law. If there is is no um, relationship, and I've used that term also in my one-page documents with the state, if there is no relationship that already exists, then no, sir, you are not required to answer. And the case that I used that I remember that got it through to me was if if somebody puts a basket and puts a card in it, and in that card, it basically is saying by you accepting or bringing that card into your, that basket of fruit into your house, you're agreeing to pay for it. Now, if you've done that once, then you, if you bring it into your house, then you're obligated by your action. But if you just let it sit there and you don't touch it, then it's not on you. But if you've received it once and you paid for it once or you've been sued for it once, you now have a relationship. But if without a relationship, no, sir, you're not liable, responsible, you don't have to answer it. But if there is, in fact, a relationship, then yes, you do. So if you send an affidavit to a public servant, officer, or an individual of a corporation, municipal subdivision of the state, LLC, partnership, and so on, any entity of the state, then yes, they are obligated because the office that they hold, they are obligated and required to answer accordingly. If you send me or, an affidavit or, that says, or if they don't, yeah, but or if they don't, what you said stands in a court of law. It they, can. They don't have to. If, they don't have to. They don't have to do anything. If they, and if, if they if, don't if, do it, then it goes in your favor. See? It can if you present it properly, but too many times I've right. seen people do that, and they don't make it an exhibit, they don't present it in their case, and they don't present it properly. They don't use it properly. Okay? So let's be clear right. on that. Again, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. Right. Excellent. Excellent. And for the people who don't let understand me, let that... Me, let me say something else to you right quick while I've got you on there and I'll let you go. 
Uh, I, I dropped that case on you right there. That's that's Hurtado versus California, eighteen eighty four. Okay, and it's a it's a case uh, after the Fourteenth Amendment was passed, and in the case, as a summation, and I'm going to give you what the syllabus says, not what the case says, but the case does say this. So it's not like I mean, you wouldn't quote the syllabus, but you would quote what was said in the case. But this is what a summation of, and they did a good job of summing up the case in the syllabus. What they said Which in the one settlement is this, was is this the Thirteenth Amendment thing. No, this is Fourteenth Amendment. They say, all right. First of all, let me ask you a question. You've already you've already alluded to the fact that, or no, I think you outright said really that everybody in the country has the same rights. Is that is that what your position is? Uh my really, it's not about my position. It's about what the law says. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, based on your research and all, do you stand on the fact that everybody in the country has the same rights, every single person? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't think it's just I think it's worldwide. Okay. Would you say that? Would you say the right to a grand jury was a, a very important right that you have? Okay, when you use the word grand jury, are you talking about a constitutional grand jury, or are you just talking about a grand jury yes, amongst the yeah, people? Yeah, a grand jury, a constitutional grand jury. Would you say that that is a, a very important right that people have? Would you say that? I would ask you where in the Constitution that right is stipulated to. Well, I don't know. I can't give you the, the chapter and verse, but it's there. Then, then I can't answer. If you can give me the chapter, if you, well, just count. If you tell me where it is, I have it in front of me. Tell me approximately where it is, and I'll look. In fact, wait a minute. Let me do a quick it's search. Hold a, on. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's a, it's we're talking about trials and stuff. Okay, you know, okay. Trials. Hold on a minute. G R A N D. I got it right here. Grand jury. Grand jury. I'm gonna just G U R J. No, no, no. That's what this is about. I don't know. And so, guess what I'm gonna do. This is exactly what I'm sharing with people to do, and I'm going to show you by example what to do. I don't know, so I'm going to go look it up. Yeah, okay, it's Let me go to the next place. Grand jury, not there. I'm trying to find it, and I'm not. Here it is. No person. Uh, this is uh, Amendment 5. It's, uh, that's the only place I found grand jury. Okay. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment of indictment of a grand jury. Is that the one yes. you're talking about? Okay. Yes, that's it. And it's okay. in your constitution, too, in your state. So it, then in that case, then we ha we'd have to say that that's a very valuable – well, we know by the fact what a grand jury does, it's a very valuable right that we have, right? Right, okay. but listen to what it says. Wait, let's be very careful on the parameters here. It has to okay. be answered for a capital or otherwise infamous crime. Infamous, yeah, a felony, a felony. That's what okay. an infamous okay. crime Good. is. Right. We've got to be clear on that, okay. Felony, a felony, that's what it is. Okay, Right. so so now when you go to Hurtado versus California, this one will blow you in the next week because what the, the syllabus says, this is a summation now, it's not the case. I'm not going to read the whole case. You can read it okay. yourself, but, here, but this is what they said in the case. And this is what the syllabus says. It says the words due process of law in the 14th Amendment 
of the Constitution of the United States do not necessarily require an indictment by a grand jury in a prosecution by a state for murder. So That's that correct. means that there's something different. There's something different here between the organic Constitution and the 14th Amendment. There's a difference there because it says, you just read it, it says you have a right to a grand jury for any infamous crime. And here, if you if you don't think murder is an infamous crime, uh, okay, it is. And they're saying that the fourteenth that the fourteenth amendment does not require a grand jury for the prosecution by a state for murder. So well, they're not lying. The fourteenth doesn't talk about a grand jury, does it? Well, the fourteenth we're talking about due process now, due process of law. You know, the Fifth Amendment of the of the of the Bill of Rights says that we all have a due process of law that's equal. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's right. So here, but due though, process of law has nothing to do necessarily with a grand jury. So what they're saying, you got to be careful. What they do is they what they do is they speak the truth, but it's misleading. The truth is, but it's, that the a, right, it's a right, though, Colin. It's I understand. A right. I'm not denying. No, 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 no. I'm not denying okay. this. What I'm okay. trying to explain to you is that you have to understand the retort to that is you're absolutely right, Your, your Honors. The Fourteenth does not address grand juries. However, uh, what was the one I just had a second ago? I just lost it. It was the. Hold on, I'll find it again. I just I went. I was going through and highlighting, which is what I always do. Anytime I find something, I highlight. Where is it? Where is it? Grand jury. I just found it a minute ago. You um, said it was a fifth article, article, didn't you? Which one was it? Here it is. Grand jury. fifth article or something. You're absolutely right. The four, you're absolutely right, Your Honors. The 14th does not address grand juries. However, it is uh, addressed in the seventh, uh, excuse me, in the Fifth Amendment, which clearly states no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So the right. Constitution does, in fact, secure that right um, under the Fifth Amendment. My apologies, I did not mean to misquote the 14th. That's how you answer something like that. So what you do is you, you agree because what they're telling you is the truth, um, but you also correct them and say, however, the Fifth does require that it would be under an indictment uh, of a grand jury. Right, right. Well, what I'm trying to point out, here's the only thing I'm trying to point out to you, is that there is a difference at how the Supreme Court, this is the United States Supreme Court case, okay, this Hurtado versus California, and this is a, a landmark case. And so there is a difference between how the Supreme Court of the United States looks at a 14th Amendment due process and organic Fifth Amendment due process, there's a difference. Obviously, because they said a 14th Amendment citizen, which Hartado was, he was a Mexican, he was 14th Amendment, and a 14th Amendment citizen does not have a right to a grand jury, even for murder. That's what it says. So they're looking at it different. The 14th well, well, again, Amendment is to, here's the thing, and I don't mean to be rude, but and, and also yeah. people, this is a good lesson. It's a very good lesson. I need to have you copy-paste the exact phrase itself, and I would also like you to please copy-paste the link to the case itself. And here's why. I already did. already did. All right, let me go find it. I'll tell you why, because it's the wording that they use is very, it's like a mathematical formula. You know, if you have a divide sign, it's not the same as a to the power sign. Everything is different. All right, where is it? Where is it? Tell me where it is. How far up do I need to go? The link, oh, the it's, it's a ways up. Let me hang on a minute. Let me let me copy it again. And see if I can make it paste again. Hold on. All right, that would be super. Maybe. That would help me out. Yeah, maybe I can make it paste again. 
Okay, page. Oh, that would be great. Particularly the quote, and then, yeah, okay. Okay, there it is, right there. All right, can you also copy, can you paste the quote that you're referring to so I don't have to go through the well, whole case and look for it? This is the syllabus. You don't ever quote the syllabus, you know, so so you have to read the whole case. But what I'm saying is if once you read the case, you will see that what they said in the syllabus is correct. That's what the court said. But I can give you the statement. I can give you the statement here. And the exact, yeah, just cut and paste the exact statement. Remember, though, because, this is the syllabus. This is not what the court said. It's the syllabus, uh -huh. you know? And I need to read what the court said, not what the syllabus says. Mis syllabus is almost invariably they're misleading. They're what you, they well, want you to publish. Sometimes they are. Say. Yeah, sometimes they are. Sometimes they are, and I agree. Most of the time they are. Indictment by a – okay, hang on a second. Let me get the rest of it. I just got part of it there. I couldn't get the whole thing. Yeah, but see, in this case, though, once you read the case, you'll find – that in fact, oh heck, by a wait a minute, hang on a second, I screwed it up. Hang on a second. No problem. Undo paste. Okay, there we go. I, I cut it instead of copied it. See, the first thing, the first thing I'm going to share this with people. While, I'm going to go ahead and teach people while we're doing this. The first thing that I'm doing right now is I'm pulling up the case. This is a link to the case that he gave me. And once it comes up, what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight it. Okay. And I'm going to paste it into a Word document. Uh, the whole uh, this is a Supreme Court. Uh, unfortunately, that's the syllabus. I need to see the actual decision itself. Is there any place you can get the actual well, decision? Well, that, that 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 link will send you to the decision on uh, on justia.com. Yeah, I'm on justia.com, but it says it's the syllabus. No, I said the wor the words that I pasted in just now. Is what yeah. the syllabus of that case says, but the case, right. the link, the link will send you to the case. Okay, I'm the going to case. the case. Yeah. It'll oh, I see. Okay, case. okay, I do have the case. All right, hold on a minute. Um, hold on, let me do uh, this. Okay. Hold on, because I need to do this. Like, what I do is I highlight. I'm going to go select all. Unfortunately, it takes everything. Copy. Go to a Word document. Open up another. My computer's running slow because I have so much going on per usual. And what I'm going to do is look up that phrase. Here, let me close a few other things while I'm here. Maybe that'll help. And I'm going to look up that phrase exactly the wording because they're very clever in their wording. Particularly, I mean, I'm finding this all the time. They're, particularly when it comes to traffic cases. They'll, they'll sit there and, and say things, and it appears to be one thing, and they're like, oh, but they're being very specific. They even used the word in this one case where they were talking about the free, the free to travel to and from, and then they finished comma for the purposes of transportation. And the people reading it put it up there and said, see, it said that right there, that you can be regulated by the state. I said, yeah, but you're missing the important part, which is they said for the purposes of transportation, and then the second part of another sentence where it says, in, and can be regulated in accordance with the law. Well, guess what? When you go read the law, there's no provision within the law that, that regulates your traveling uh, for purposes not in compensation. In other words, transportation has to do with the transport of property or passengers for compensation or pay. Okay? Upon the highway. 
See, and once you understand that that's the definition of the word transportation, every time they use the word transportation, every time they use the word person, these are terms. So the courts are not lying. They say, well, any person traveling, well, they already said the word person. Person is defined as an entity of the state. Okay? So you're talking about an entity of the state traveling. Well, an entity of the state is an agent or officer of the state, and therefore it's subject to the state. So even if it's traveling, it's traveling as the state, and it is regulated, even though it's not regulated because actually when you go to the statute, when you go to the code, the, the, um, uh, uh, the motor vehicle code, you will see that officers and agents of the state are not regulated uh, and required to have tags on the car, but they are regulated so far as the speed that they go and everything else, okay? So you see you, the detail, the detail, the detail. It's all about the detail and how they say things is very, very, very important. It and is detail. It you, is about the detail. It definitely is. And, that, and if you read that case, you'll, you'll, um, you'll, you'll say, well, what are they talking about here? I, I thought everybody had a right to a grand jury according to the Constitution, but it's not true. Under the 14th Amendment, if you're a 14th Amendment citizen, and, and her title was, he was a Mexican, he was not one of the posterity of the nation, he, he was a 14th Amendment citizen, just like a black, he did not have a right to a grand jury under the 14th Amendment. See? That's the, po that's the point, the whole point. So, somebody does, obviously, because the Constitution says every... Everybody has a right to a grand jury. Well, then, if that's the case, then this, then what's happening here in her title? Right, and, and that's why I'm saying the first thing that caught my ear was that you were talking about the 14th, that it says, does, and listen to the wording that you used in your own thing, or they used in the syllabus, does not necessarily require a grand jury. Well, wait a minute. That's a huge wiggle room. Does not necessarily do process to, under the 14th does not necessarily require a grand jury, which is absolutely true. However, the fifth does. You see, that's how I would respond to that. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely and the question right. is, what's the difference? That's the question. What's There's the a difference? huge difference. Do, no, because one has to do with an indictment, and the other one has to do with due process once you've been indicted. Hello? Yeah, it's all due process. The grand grand jury indictment no, no, is, is, no, is, is, no, is due process. No, it's not. No due pro No, you can be indicted. Doesn't necessarily mean it's not necessarily part of due process. And a grand jury indictment is not necessarily due process. It may be a requirement under the fifth, which apparently it is, but it is not part of necessarily part of um, due process as stipulated in the fourteenth. That's all they're saying. I'm going to go ahead. Now, I got it on here. Let me go ahead and clean right, this right. off. Well, they bit. don't stipulate any rights in, under the 14th. There's not any rights except for the right. The, it's not under the 14th. It's under the 15th. Very good. Very good. There's, there's, only, one right. there's only one right written down, and that's in the 15th. Uh, let's, very good. So let's talk about what does the 14th actually do. The 14th is a restriction. Again, here we go restrictions and limitations upon states and the United States. I believe the 14th actually is specifically upon the states. No state shall make or enforce any law that abridges the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States 
nor shall any state, here's a prohibitation on the state, a restriction on the state, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor mm-hmm. shall any state, again, a limitation upon the state, deprive any person of the equal protections of the law. Is a grand jury part of the protection? Is it part of um, 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 due process under the 14th? Is that what it's talking about? Not necessarily. You see how they gave that opening? Not necessarily. If you're not being charged under uh, um, a, a infamous crime, then the due process does not necessarily apply, does it? Right, under right. The court, and, and they under and the, they turned him down. They turned down his only appeal. Is the point the, the, when when they say not necessarily that was in the remember that's the syllabus. That's not the case decision. So so what the case after they uh, uh, made the case or, or gave the decision in their opinion, uh, they turned her title down, his appeal down. So he went and hung. Uh, he was he was actually. Uh, found guilty of murder and and uh, sentenced to death. So this Supreme Court turned him down on that because that was his only appeal that he had, just that one one thing, and that was about the grand jury, that he was not found um, was not not indicted by a grand jury. He was he was uh, found guilt. I mean, he was uh, charged with an information from a prosecuting attorney. See, that's the difference. And so what they said, well, you don't you don't have a right to a grand jury indictment as a Fourteenth Amendment citizen. So they turned him down, and he and he went and hung. I guess he hung. I guess at that time that was 1886. They were probably still hanging people then. So he he died on the on the gallows because the Supreme Court turned him down. See, because he didn't have that. What the point is. A 14th Amendment citizen does not have the right of a grand jury, and there are other rights which they don't have, obviously, or or they are discretionary from the Supreme Court. There's many other rights like that. There's one right, though, that they all have, and we have it, and they guard it like a junkyard dog, and that is First Amendment right to free speech. That The 14th Amendment citizen has an absolute right to that. I mean, their case their case law is just solid with that. But grand juries, uh, attorneys, uh, anything else like that are all discretionary by the court. So if you're, you're going to use those at an appeal as a 14th Amendment citizen, you're probably not going to be successful on your appeal. That's the point. All right, let me let me let me let me let me confirm what I'm already I'm already just what I've already read. I'm confirming okay. what I my suspicions. Listen to how they're getting around this. The proposition of a law we are asked to affirm is that an indictment or presentment by a grand jury, as known to the common law of England, is essential to that, quote, due process of law when applied to prosecutions for felonies, which is secured and guaranteed by this provision of the Constitution of the United States, and which, accordingly, it is forbidden to the states, respectively, to dispense with an admission of criminal administration of criminal law. Okay? Now, notice I'm already seeing some key, key words here. Now, hopefully you guys are paying attention because you, you, the, the reason – let me explain something to you. Let me go back. Hold on one second. 
What I'm doing, and this is what you need to do to learn and teach yourself, copy-paste into a Word document. I am now going to, and looking up the keyword, grand jury. Okay? I'm highlighting grand in this case because I can only highlight one word. So I'm highlighting grand jury each and every time I go through. Now, I came up with a good analogy. If you have a bunch of Christmas lights that you put up and you've meticulously uh, strung these lights so that the blue lights spell one word, the red lights spell another word, and the green lights spell another word, until you turn on those lights, until you illuminate, okay, and this is really starting to have some crossovers for me on the Illuminati. I'm beginning to think that maybe the Illuminati is not so naughty, but it's about illuminating uh, and having knowledge, which the rest of us don't have. So part of this illumination is you've got to plug the lights in. You've got to turn them on. What I'm doing is I'm going through right now, and I'm sharing this with you. It really, really, really works. Go through and highlight these terms or these words that you're looking for. You'll begin to see a pattern, and you'll begin, it will be illuminated to you. For instance, I'm looking right now, and the key words that I'm looking at right now is when they're using the word due process of law. Quote, a quotation of due process of law, and what are they saying? Guaranteed, well, here it is, by this provision of the Constitution of the United States. Uh-oh. Now all sorts of bells are going off in my head because whenever I see that, this, that a court uses things that limit what the proposition is and they're limiting it clearly by saying this provision of the Constitution, which means, uh-oh, that's a warning sign from reading a whole lot of cases that you probably have presented the wrong provision of law. Because every time you will see this in court cases, when they say crap like that, by this provision or by this statute, what they're doing is they're saying, guess what? We found a way out because you went and quoted the wrong one. And I believe that that's my first instinct was. So here's the first confirmation. By this provision of the Constitution, uh, da, 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 it goes on and now goes describe it, plus they're disguising and talking about more garbage and more junk and more stuff. And I'm going to continue here, grand. I'm going to go and highlight grand again. Okay, carry on. Boom, grand jury system. All right, so the next time I see grand jury is page 521. Prosecution for felonies by, by information instead of by incident. Okay, let me back up. This is a quote. Let me look okay, back up some more. And the opinion cites, so now they're, they're citing another opinion, which doesn't mean anything. We need to go from the bottom up. And the opinion, but it'll give us some clues. And the opinion cites and relies upon the decision of the Supreme Court of Wisconsin in the case of Roe v. the state, uh, 30 Wisconsin. In that case, the court speaking for the 14th Amendment says, quote, but its design was not to confine the state to a particular mode of procedure in judicial proceedings and prohibit them from prosecuting for felony by information instead of by indictment. Really? So here we go. They now have locked on to the fact that whoever made this objection or this appeal used the wrong one. They used the 14th. Okay? Now, I'm sorry, but well, this is what 14th. they do. He was uh, 14th. He was a 14th citizen. That's why they know that, that 
He didn't uh, even bring up the 14th uh, Amendment. No, you're not here. Brother, you're not listening. Uh, Please, listen. I'm trying to share with yeah. you to help you. Yeah. The, the thing that they brought into this court was a claim upon the 14th, not his 14th Amendment citizenship. That's not, they're not even talking about that. That's not what's an no, issue right now. What's an no, issue? No, they don't talk about it. They, assume, they, they recognize it, though. They recognize the status of the person who's appealing, I'll promise you. At this point, listen to what I'm saying, sir, please. Uh, At this point, it is irrelevant as to whether or not he is a 14th Amendment citizen or not. What is relevant is the fact that he made the appeal based on a right that he was uh, alleging was or a prohibition of the state that was talked about in the 14th. What the court is addressing... What the court is addressing is just exactly what it says. Quote, by its design was not to confine. In other words, the amendment was not to confine the state to a particular mode of procedure in judicial proceedings and prohibit them from prosecuting for felonies by information instead of by indictment. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's exactly what I'm saying is that whenever that 14th Amendment was passed, remember... The Constitution prohibited the states from from doing things to their citizens. Remember that. The 14th Amendment did the opposite. It prohibited the states from from doing something or violating something. I mean, wait a minute. Let me say it the other way around. I'm sorry. I've got it backwards. The the Constitution prohibited the federal government from doing things to people. The the 14th Amendment prohibited the states from doing things to people, and and the federal government was to enforce that. That's what it was. But... They're saying that the 14th Amendment, when it was passed, did not force upon the states a certain kind of procedure. So, therefore, for the 14th Amendment citizens, uh, they did not have to use the same procedure for them that they did for those who were organic citizens of the state. No, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're wrong. That's not what's being said here. It is only addressing the 14th. Let me explain this to you real fast. With what this court is, the decision this court has made, you could literally remove the 14th and the person would be standing in the same place. The person brought as an, as an appeal, he was trying to claim a right that was not, had nothing to do with the 14th. He needed to claim a right that was under the 5th. If he had claimed a right under the 5th, then the court would have been discussing that the 5th does, in fact, require the states or prohibits the states from indicting anyone on an infamous on an infamous charge except by grand jury and then the states would have been bound by the fifth but under the 14th it's the wrong it's the wrong and i'm trying to explain to you sir you're not listening to me i know i know what you're saying saying, a, a, a triangular pole into a square hole it has nothing to do with what he is a 14th citizen a 14th amendment citizen or not you misunderstand it. He was claiming due process under the 14th because the 14th gives due process. That's what actually, he does. it does do that. And yes, it does, actually. Go read the first section. The first section says no state shall make or enforce any law that abridges the privileges or immunities of the citizens. That is true. But the next part, okay, he was already determined that he's not a citizen. So that does not apply. In this case, the second half applies, which is 
nor shall any state deny any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. It is a a provision that binds the state from dealing with any person and denying them life, liberty, or property without due process of law. If he wanted to, to claim the right under a grand jury, which if you go under, under uh, the Constitution of Subsection 5, which we just read, it does not differentiate between a person and a citizen. And if he had claimed it under the Fifth, they would have had to grant it to him. He didn't claim it under the Fifth. He claimed it under the Fourteenth. That's he didn't, bring it, up, he didn't bring it up at all. He didn't bring it up at all in his pleadings. And if you go back to his pleadings, you'll find he didn't bring it up at all. The court assumed it. He assu- they assumed 14th Amendment due process. That's what it is. So well, then I need to read his filings to see what he filed. Yeah, you need to go and see his filings because his filings would show you that he did not claim 14th Amendment status. He just said due process, period. And you have two due processes. You have one in the Fifth Amendment mm-hmm. of the Constitution, and you have one in the 14th, and they're both different. They're both different processes, see? No. Due process, due process, again, here, let, let's try it another way. If due process was the all-be-all, do-it-all, see-it-all, fee-it-all, then there would be no need for the fifth part where it says that a grand jury was needed for, you see what I'm getting at? If due process, here, here's another thing you've you're, you're, you got to understand as well. When they separate something out, okay, let me go back to that, to that, uh, to that one. We said it was the fifth, right? Go back down to the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment. Uh, well, oh, fifth I'm, looking, I'm looking. All right, here, here it is. Okay. The Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for So there's no delineation between a person and a citizen in this case. So it would apply to him. But watch what it's doing. The fact that it states no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment of indictment of grand jury. Okay? He right. was entitled, or he was, it, it was required here under the 7th, it's required that he be charged uh, because he would have to show that it's an infamous crime. That's the first thing he'd have to do. There was, a, there was an infamous or capital crime, and therefore it was required of the state uh, to bring a grand jury indictment. That's right. He, if he claimed due process of law, it was the wrong thing. And then, yes, I'm telling you, these courts are corrupted as shit because they don't want to give you your rights. You have to force it upon them. You need to make the proper claim. But let's be looking at this realistically. If a capital crime and, and, and grand juries was part of due process of law, then there would be no need to separate it out, would there? it would be considered that all due process of law required grand juries, which is not true because they've separated it out for infamous crimes, uh, for capital and infamous crimes. So the Fifth, uh, the fifth uh, Amendment addresses infamous crimes, capital and infamous crimes, and says that any infamous or capital crimes, that there must be a presentment or an indictment by a grand jury. He did not claim the Fifth, and he did not claim... But the term, I guarantee you, did not use in this stuff, an infamous or capital crime requires a presentment or indictment of grand jury. How to use that phrasing, 
they would have probably looked at it different. He gave them an out by using the term due process of law. You've got to understand that these courts are like computers. If you don't put the, all of the elements in it, it will not look at it. If you go and look up due process of law, you do not find it in here. Uh, let me go ahead and read the rest of Article 5. Uh, Amendment 5th, no person shall be held for uh, answer to a capital infamous crime unless on the presentment of, of an indictment of grand jury, except in cases arising land the naval forces of the militia, when in actual service a time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense, be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, uh, here it is, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So there it is. It's part of it, but it is written separately. It is not part and parcel. So here clearly due process of law is not necessarily, and that's what they apparently said, is not necessarily that a grand jury indictment is not necessarily part of due process of law. Yes, the court skirted around it. But I'm sharing this, this part of what I'm trying to share with you. Actually, is you, need, you have to hold jump in here? to the fire. I, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right, sir, uh, that uh, from my research, this is Donaldson. I did some yeah. research, and I was looking into the, uh, uh, the, how the states adopt all of the grant and, you know, the fundamental rights of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Yeah. And actually, they're not required to adopt, uh, you know, everything. And so most states actually don't adopt the grand jury and the trial by jury stuff. That's that's one of the only; those are the two only, like a couple of the only bill of articles of the Bill of Rights. Oh, if I said that correctly, that actually don't really apply in all of the states because some states haven't actually adopted those. It's true, even though it's not widely known. Trial jury well, that's, is the same way, that's though. Trial jury is the same way. Here's what's interesting, though. I'm going to take the other side on what you just said. I, I, I'm not denying what you said, but I'm going to take the other side on that and say this. However, I would argue that it is a prohibition as described under Article 10 uh, and also, excuse me, under prohibition. Uh, the article, under the sixth article. I would, and, I, and I would use it, link it. Remember I said before, you need to link it together. It doesn't matter whether they adopt it or not. This is a prohibition, and I would use it exactly and precisely as it's written. Under Article 7, it is a prohibition because it says no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So the first thing I would have to do, though, is I'd have to go look up the definition of capital or otherwise infamous crime, and I would make sure that that definition fit it. Okay, I would give them the ingredients of what I'm trying to claim, and I would give them the definition of those ingredients, blah, 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 blah. This is the definition, capital. I'd go look up case law, what capital or infamous crime is, so I can support it. It's been determined by that murder is a but capital you know, or infamous crime. An infamous crime is defined as a crime which has attached to it a penalty of a term of years in prison. That's what it is. All right. What about a capital crime then? Capital crime is murder. We know what that is. Okay, great. So then there well, is a binding... 
again, so so if it was presented properly, and this is what I'm trying to explain to people why I'm doing this show, is because of just this exactly this is a great example. I'm glad you brought this up. This is a perfect example of dropping the ball or not pitching it over the base. That's the best way I can probably put it to you. If you know as well as I do that you may have pitched that ball, it may be a perfect spin, it may be a great curveball, but if it does not stay within the four corners of that base, it's called a foul ball. Here's a perfect example where he dropped the ball, he threw out a pitch which they determined was a foul ball. And he did not pick up, he did not phrase it properly, he did not link it properly, and this is what you have to do when you do an action in any court. You have to box them in and so that there's no way out. Because if there's a way out, these little freaking weasels will find a way out. I, I, I actually have a little ditty on this, that one day I was picking fleas off of my dog, and I've gotten really good at it. And here, let me describe to you, anyone who's never picked fleas off a dog, let me share how it is. You, you get a headlight on, and you roll the skin, and you see the flea moving. And what you do is you reach and you grab it really quickly, and you squeeze hard, and then you throw it into the soapy water. Well, here's an interesting thing. If you're not really fast, the little boogers, just when you reach for it, guess what they'll do? They'll jump. They'll jump right out of your, not even before your hand hit the point. It's kind of like, a, you know, a video game where you like, you, you know, you can all of a sudden jump to another place in the video game. Hyperdrive, I think they call it, some of them. That's what these freaking courts and that's what these freaking attorneys do all the freaking time. You first you have to chase them through the fur and through the woods, which is the words that they're that they're throwing out there. And then when you finally get a hold, when you finally get to it, you need to grab them really hard and really quick. And, co- and I learned that as I roll the skin of the dog, I use my top and bottom finger to corral them, so they can no longer go up or down. So they had to go side to side. So I knew when I was going to pick them that I could pick them up here. Then I squeezed my two fingers together so they couldn't go there. And if they did, it went smaller and smaller and they were trapped in my two fingers. So I had them trapped on all three sides. And then when they came to that side, boom, I'd pick them quickly. That's what you have to do with these little bastards. Okay? You her cannot title, give them a way out. Her probably had an attorney. Her title probably had an attorney. Well, there's your problem right there. An attorney <laughs> give a way out for the courts. They will invariably make sure that there's an out for the courts so that the courts can escape, and that's exactly what happened here. They pretended he did not object. The first thing he should have done is rebutted and appealed based on the fact that, you know, but again, it's all about your presentment. You want to win, you have to present at the beginning. It's a long, but arduous process. Let's, let's look at the other side of the coin that you're talking about. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Let's say, that, for example, Hurtado had have claimed his due process rights under the Fifth Amendment. How do you think the court would have ruled then? Oh, wrong. Okay, oh, sorry, yeah, uh, due process, yeah. But once again, you're still wrong because you keep using that phrase, due process of law. That's what I'm trying to explain to you. Well, that's, that's a grand jury is due process of law. It is due process of law. Oh, no sure. doubt about it. If it was due process of law, there would be no need to separate grand jury and, and otherwise infamous crimes. It would not be separated. It would be part and parcel to due process of law. The fact that green is not green, green light green is not dark green, it's still green, but it's not light green is not dark green, dark green is hey, not light I, green. The fact oh, that I can say light green and dark green is two different types of green. Me. Can, I, can I ask a question? Uh, the guy's talking right now with the high energy voice. Are you the guy that's behind the reconstruction project? Yeah. Reconstruction? No. Okay. I don't know anything about it. Okay. I was just wondering. Uh, the reconstruction project is the name of the you, you know the, the talk to channel. Yes. I'm the host. Is that you? Yeah. That's Who's the host? 
Why are you asking? I'm just curious. Well, no, I'm just no. I just want to know who I'm talking to. I'm the one who's sharing. I'm the one who's trying to share the information over the last eight years that I've learned um, yes. and finally end up winning uh, virtually every time. Right, right. Cool. Did you know that in the uh, 14th Amendment, it, at the very bottom in the section, I think it's five, it says that Congress can can create legislation to enforce that uh, the article, where where I don't think it does that same thing in the Fifth Amendment with the due process. So I think that exactly. might that might have some bearing on what you're talking it about. It doesn't because it's the law. It's the law of the land. The Fourteenth Amendment is not the law of the land. The, it, it is it is a provision that was added into the Constitution, which actually is um, goes against the original organic intent of the Constitution because blacks, if you remember, I mean, all we got to do is remember okay. back to the Civil right. War. What was the Civil War all about? We were that was to free the blacks, right? And that's no, what it Hold on, you need to do a little more history. The Civil War was not had nothing to do with slavery or the blacks at all. It was something that added to the end. I understand. Yeah, I understand. But what I'm saying is, that's what they said. Hold on, hold on. Okay, I don't want to have to mute you. The Civil War was about the South because they didn't have enough representatives in the Senate in order to stop the vote that was going to happen. They knew it was going to happen. That was requiring the South to continue to be raped and pillaged by the businessmen and the banksters of the North. The primary, most of the funds were coming from the South. They were not getting equal treatment under the law. And they were going to make, uh, they were going to try to issue law that was going to make basically the South be subservient. The South said no, but they didn't have enough votes to turn it down. So the only thing they could do, which is a provision in law, was that what they did is they didn't show up so there was not a quorum as required. So that's the whole thing was an unlawful act, but that's what the quote unquote the whole business was about was unequal law for the South than for the rest of the country. They didn't have the representation; they didn't have equal presentation there. That's what this was about. And then they just said, well, "You know, we're going to separate from the Union," which was another big mistake. You don't want to separate. But from wasn't the it also the, that you guys? Wasn't it also war. that they didn't want to have to pay debt to a country? that they just beat in war either. I mean, that was that had something to do with that, too. I mean, like, the South was realizing that all of their property was being turned into, like, you know, collateral for these, these debt, these securities, right, that would be yep. sold to foreign bankers to, to pay off the, the debt, the Revolutionary yep. War debt, and the South was yep. not with that. So this was, this was one of the issues, I think, catalytic one, most likely, but there was other issues as well that were used right, as political... Go ahead. Through the Civil War, though, the point well, well said, obviously well was was the was the was the the free freeing of the blacks, obviously because Lincoln made the proclamation. Remember, after the war. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further, before we go any further, let's straighten it out. The issues that that gentleman also brought up, he's also learning. Thank you so much. Are the real issues, the whole issue of slavery was something that was utilized at the very end. They were trying to say, well, you know what, you can still come out, President, smell like a rose because here's a perfect uh, opportunity for this issue to come up. If you remember, Lincoln was a slaveholder himself, and he actually supported slavery. But it was a right. political move for him to come up with that because 
he was going to come out smelling like crap one way or the other. He wanted to come out smelling good and have something. There was political stuff going on. But again, you are completely, I'm sorry to say it, but you're completely off base in my opinion. I've listened, I've studied, I did the 14th Amendment study, I did all that nonsense. You know what? Again, I'm sharing with you what you're refusing to listen to. If there was not, if, throw the 14th Amendment out for a minute because you've, we've already mentioned that there's due process of law in the 5th, okay? So let's just throw right. the 14th out and say, say it never existed anymore, okay? It doesn't exist for this conversation. You can clearly see in the 5th where it differentiates. There's a section that talks about infamous, the first part, capital and infamous crimes and grand juries. Then there is a second part that discusses due process of law. Nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Clearly, due process of law is different than having to do with a grand jury, an indictment of grand jury, which is specific to... Absolutely right. That's correct. You know, it makes sense, sir. It makes sense. You know why? Because that fifth part of Article 4, I mean, of Amendment 14, that says that Congress gets to make appropriate legislation, I think it's not included in the Fifth Amendment because it's due process of law, not due process by statute. Well, they have due process in both places, so there's a there's a some kind of reason why they've got due process written into the fifth and into the fourteenth. There are obviously but two types two of due process, right? And kinds. one of the, to differentiate between those two, we could just presume that law is fundamental law in this country, and that statute is is something that Congress has the uh, power to legislate out to appropriate agencies who can basically do the the whole like you know, rulemaking and adjudication thing through statute. Right, right. And under the 14th, they said that they're not going to force the states to follow a certain process. And that's the point, is with the, with the 14th Amendment citizens, they do not have to follow the same due process as under the 5th. That's the point. The states do, though, have to follow that with the citizens of the state, though. If you look at your yeah. Constitution... In what your do you state, have to say about that, sir? It's an absolute. Uh, no, absolutely not. He's just gone way off base there and, and completely misspoke, in my opinion. And we're going, once again, we're being distracted with stuff that has nothing to do with the subject matter, and that's exactly why people lose cases. You've got to stay on point here. The point is this. Had the person, whoever, the attorney or whoever, written their motion in such a fashion where they tied it to the seventh and they tied it to infamous or capital crime, and they defined infamous and capital crime as an accusation of murder, and that the fifth clearly states that no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of grand jury, he might have then won the case. What he did is he did not use the word of the phrases of presentment and indictment of grand jury for infamous uh, and capital crimes. He used due process, that phrase, that term, that gave the opening for the court to say, okay, the only thing, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen case after case after case lost because the court says, we cannot address, you've got to understand how the courts work, we cannot address an issue that is not raised. We're talking about apples. We're not talking about oranges. We're not talking about any pears. We're not talking about – we are only allowed to address that which was raised. The person or the lawyer or attorney, rather, that raised the issue, raised the issue about due process. Due process does not necessarily require a grand jury, okay? However, 
if you are charged with a capital or otherwise infamous crime, then you can raise the issue of a grand jury indictment is, in fact, a requirement. If you don't raise that issue of a capital or otherwise infamous crime, and it can only be done by a grand jury and forget the term of due process, don't even, you don't need due process. Now you have something that the, case, that the court must look at. Don't give them an out. So there's two lessons learned here. Number one, don't throw up a bunch of shit on the wall that may not stick and hope something does. Because you know what? The court, I've actually seen this. I've done this. Too many times you put too much into a case, and the court would sit there and talk about all 15 stuff, but the one thing that would stick is the 16, and they just don't even address it. And it's not until a month later that the person hands me the case, and I go through the case and I go, wait a minute, the court never addressed this issue that was raised. Well, guess what? That's what they do because you're the one that threw up so much shit that, they're not, that they just don't address it. Okay? Now, you'll find that in the lower state courts more than you will the Supreme Court. Generally, the Supreme Court will address every issue. But guess what? If you don't raise a specific issue, they will not address it. So in the lower courts, they will just ignore it if they don't like it. So the only way you want to find one thing, that's the only way I won my case in Oklahoma. I boiled it down to one thing so there was nothing else that could get in the way. Because as I said, they will sit there and deny it. Can I will ask do. you a question? You, yeah. you said you won a case in Oklahoma. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that a, so? It was that in uh, a federal district court, or was that in state court? Uh, actually, in the, the the Supreme Court of Oklahoma. The Supreme Court of the Oklahoma. State? So that's state court. court. Highest yeah, state, state court. court. Mm-hmm. Highest state court. I'm just curious. Yeah, and they vacated so all the orders. Did you raise a federal question? For two years, I was telling the judge he cannot do what he's doing, and he didn't listen. I Wait, told him. And I let me ask you a question. What was yeah. your? Did you did you raise a federal question? And no, or was there was there? It was only a state no. issue. Right? Only a state issue. Hmm. But I've learned since then that whenever you do any court, any state court, you always want to weave in it that by the state continuing doing whatever it's doing, that they will be depriving you of a right that's secured by the Constitution. So because I am saying it a thousand times, my lesson is this. All roads lead to a 42-1983 if you're in state. Eventually it will, unless you can go through the whole process, which it took me and actually forced the Supreme Courts, the higher courts, and you, you, you can read. It was just so happened in Oklahoma I had the opportunity because there was a statute that was so clear, even though they ignored it all the way up the line. My first appeal to the, to the Supreme Court was denied. But the mistake that they made was that they didn't deny my, my appeal. What they did was they granted the motion of the opposing party to deny my appeal. And on my, my motion for reconsideration, I basically tied their hands because I put in there that I qualified for a declaratory judgment and that the declaratory judgment should read, this court and all nine judges of this court no longer are going to abide by the Oklahoma statute, uh, OS uh, 68, I forget what it was, uh, 12-something or other, 1212C, I think it was, in which mm-hmm. it states that no court in Oklahoma may, uh, may um, allow a suspended corporation either to def- uh, bring or defend an action in any court. And I, so what I wrote was that this court and all nine judges <laughs> no longer is going to abide by the law, and then I quoted it, and in fact this court is now going to overturn its previous five cases where it did uphold the statute which says such and such and so and so, and then I listed all five cases. 
the fact okay, that Okay, hold on, can I, hold on, can I ask you something? Is it because you could, were you the petitioner? Well, anytime you're appealing, you're the petitioner. Right, so you're a petitioner, and so you're declaring the law of the of the case. Were you the original? No, you were a defendant then originally, and then I you became an appellant? On a foreclosure, I was originally yeah. a defendant on a foreclosure case. That's correct. And I objected, objected, objected. I was learning the law during this period of time. Having, knowing what I know now, I, I could probably have it done in, 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 you know, in one move or two moves. You know, that's what I'm saying. It took me all that in two years and over 10000 just in paper, right. just in the cost of paper and mailing the stuff over two well, four brought, years. Good point, though, uh, you know, uh, by saying that when you become an appellant, you now are on the petitioner's side and can declare the law of the case and tell these judges what law they can see and what they can't. Necessarily. Absolutely. So that's, a, that's kind of a good point. Absolutely. You always want to be the petitioner or a respondent. You never want to be a defendant. And that, that now, now we're getting to the advanced stuff. Uh, so let, let, yeah, if we can move on to it. Anytime you have an action, are we clear on that? Does this all make sense to everybody now? That it's what you raise that is going to be before the court. If you raise an issue about due process, they are going to d- discuss due process. If you raise an issue about grand jury and present that on an infamous crime, then the court can only address that, not something else. They won't address due process law. Don't give them a way out. So you have to be precise in what you're addressing to the court and what is before the court, and then you can hold your feet to the fire. And you'll see, if you read my case, you'll see how the uh, the defendant, I was the petitioner on the appeal, the defendant tried to use a different statute. And the court clearly said it does not apply. Okay? And they did find that, my, that the statute that I raised did, in fact, apply. So uh, just to answer your question, just because you raised the law, does not, it, it is what the court will address. But the court may determine that it doesn't apply, as they did in this case. What they determined in this case was that the concept of due process law does not apply to this particular case. That's what they were saying. But had they used grand jury and had they used the infamous and otherwise capital crimes and under Article 7, then they probably would have uh, uh, forced the court to address the whether it's an infamous. And then it, the argument would be, well, it's not a capital crime because of this and that and the other thing. It's not an infamous crime because of this and that and the other thing. Uh, what a presentment of an indictment of a grand jury is. You know, the, the court would have to address those issues, those terms that you use. So there's a there's a good case to bring out. It's a good lesson. Sure. Got to be specific on both sides and limit How's it the going you... with the legislation. Go ahead. How's it going with the legislation? Are you you're the guy that's working on the legislation, or they making yeah. sure that police officer anybody taking an oath has to yep. test regularly to make competency as as to their knowledge of the the, the constitution. That's it. How you doing, brother? <laughs> How you hey, going? You're back for a while. We're going to finish writing that thing. That that, that uh, yeah. what he's talking about for people who don't know. I believe because uh, you know I've been doing this for a long time, trying to share with people. We're just not getting the people stepping forward and being willing to be persnickety and and look at things you know as tightly as we need to do. Um, although I guarantee you that if that ball that's going over that plate was one micro inch outside. Uh, or inside the baseline, and you saw it, you'd be yelling and screaming at the television going, you bad up, you're terrible up. So you do know how to look at specifics or a foul ball or whether 
he was dragging one foot, whether it's the NHL or the L, whatever it is, one league of football, you have to have two feet in, and on the other one, you only need to have one toe in. So you guys all know how to argue specifics because that's what you do all day. You pride yourself as Americans. Why you don't do it with law, I don't know. But the same thing goes. No, this is the eighth, whatever it is. I don't know which football league it is. One football league requires only one foot. No, this one is required to have two feet in the end. He didn't have control of the ball before he hit the ground. You guys argue that shit endlessly. But you won't argue the specifics when it comes to the court, when it comes to your lives and your children and your property? Are you crazy? All right, that's my little rant, so I'll leave you guys alone for now. <laughs> what I'm discussing, what I'm suggesting is this. For, for the average everyday person who, does, who just wants to go home, have a J-O-P every day, not cause any waves, and it's just not worth fighting, so I'll pay the income tax even though I only have wages and no income, and I'm going to pay my property taxes even though I know that I'm not engaged in any commercial or taxable activity, and I'm going to obey all the rules and regulations I'm not subject to just because I want to get home and watch the football game and suck down the beer. But guess what? You can still do something, too. You can still participate. All you got to do is find something. Now, for you, people have a little more energy, get a clipboard, get the um, – get. Uh, we're going to put together or finish this, this uh, statute or regulation or – uh, whatever it ends up being in your particular area, and get signatures and go around and knock on doors. Hey, buddy, how you going? Hey, uh, or when you have your football parties, get you just have the clipboard there and get all these people to sign it. Go to a bar and get people to sign it. People will sign Can anything. I, let me jump in. That people should take it upon themselves to construct a, a, a proposed bill based on some other bill from their local area, right, um, and just kind of reconstruct it and, you know, put the words where they should be, but just use the basic, you know, format that you already see from the pre some, some other bill that's been successful, you see? Yep. And the, the, the idea is to just copy and paste, okay, the, the, your, your words in there, and the idea is to um, require oath takers to be tested for their constitutional knowledge on a regular basis. Yep. All those that have sworn an oath, which you've already mentioned, all judicial and executive offices, officers, okay, as well as the senators and representatives and, and all the other ones, the legislature, branch, they've all been required to swear an oath to support the Constitution, but there's no quote-unquote enacting clause, which you were talking about a minute ago, that the Congress has the power to enact. Each state does, so that power has not been taken away from the states, the states, and every, every region, every municipality. All of you guys just all you need is a petition, and in 50% of the states, you don't, uh, you don't have to go through the legislation. You actually can just simply get a petition and go to it right on the ballot. And what's, what will happen is to vote on this particular rule, which requires all public servants to be periodically tested every six months mm -hmm. as to their knowledge, understanding, and accurate use but, of the Constitution to which they sworn an oath to. Very simple. Let me, let me, let's jump in. Yo, the best thing about this is that the – Somewhere in the Constitution, I'm sure you'll remind me, it says that we get to basically any public record of any one of the states is valid in all the other states as well, right? Correct. Yep. Now, what we need to focus on also is if we can somehow get, you know, 100,000 signatures on a public record somewhere, no matter what, that would still be a showing of people in one state that were down with a particular, you know, bill 
which would inspire other states to adopt similar legislation, even if the state that you were in didn't adopt that. So Thankful. it's because of the, the how you can use the whole Public Records Act. Bingo. Well done. <laughs> you are listening. Yay. I'm so encouraged. Yeah, yes, real quick. We read the, remember we read this, the, the uh, ninth? The, the uh, where we go? Let me go back up here. Where is it? Let me go get it. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm not quoting it directly out of memory anymore, but I used to um, because I want to make sure. Um, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. The powers delegated to the United States by the Constitution are created by to the several states reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And the one he's referring to is one we talked about last time we talked, which is the records. Where is it? I believe that's... Peacefully assemble. No, it's up in it's in the, the one of the actual articles of the Constitution, the records and acts of um, of the state. Uh, I got it. Article I'm four, on. section one: Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, rec- records, and judicial proceedings. Now listen: Full faith and credit shall be given in each state. Shall, shall, shall. There's that word. Shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state. So that's really awesome. Not, I mean, that, that's a really broad spectrum of, of, of records to pull from, public acts, records. So there's a distinction between records and public acts. Oh, that's interesting. So they separate them. So there's two different things, isn't there? Hmm. So what qualifies as a public act? Then? I mean, maybe you can bring some light to that. Well, absolutely. If, if it is, full faith and credit shall be given in each state, okay, to the public acts. So the public has acted and they have in, enacted legislation, okay, and the rights that you have in several states, you have the right in all states. Now go to Section 2. What does it say? Section 2, which gives a little bit more power to this, what, the precepts that we're discussing here, the citizens of each state, not persons, but citizens of each state, shall be entitled to, and there's the word entitled to, all privileges and immunities of citizens in several states. So if you can get several, which just simply means, by the way, separate states. I looked it up, several does not mean a bunch. I used to, when I was raised, I was raised uh, my parents were English and Irish, and several meant more than a few. Okay, You had a couple, a few, and then several. That's not what it means. The definition of several simply means separate. So basically what it's saying is if you have, if you're a citizen of one state and a citizen of another one of the several states has a right or privilege, excuse me, a privilege or immunity, guess what? You are entitled to the same privilege or immunity. And a privilege, by the way, is considered property. If you're deprived of a privilege, then it is theft. And there's case law on that as well. So what are we saying here? Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts. Public acts. If you go out there and you get legis- you get a bunch of signatures and that you cause an enactment of law uh, or something else that 
that requires each one of the public servants to be periodically tested, and then you can show that that is a right because you have the right to rely upon your public servants knowing the law to which they, they've sworn an oath to support, okay? Again, remember, they're bound by the Constitution, right? Records and judicial proceedings, if you end up somebody using, like in one state, you then use the enactment that show that this judge or this uh, police officer, somebody was not periodically tested uh, and did not know the Constitution, which is what the 10 questions do, even without this enactment, then guess what? That case now could go to another state can also utilize it. And if it has to do with all privileges and immunities, then it, you would be immune from any prosecution of any case that was a color of law incident because they had not been periodically tested. You, you see, it's not going to be easy, but it would certainly open it up. Now, the reason for this legislation is simple. I did. I studied a lot of different things, and one of them was society and socialism and social social society. Um, uh, and and what I discovered, which is interesting, I did I read read in all my readings. I remember reading something about where the Nazis, and they're not the first throughout history. There have been different groups that have tried to remove, and the Nazis did it by scientific experimentation, trying to remove the conscience of men. As bullies and, and other people, they want to remove the conscience of men because it was these damn people that had consciences that said, no, uh, well, I'm standing on principle. That was always getting in their way of their dictator, uh, dictation, dictatorial, okay, ruling. So they wanted to get rid of this damn thing called the conscience. They couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't do it. But guess what they figured out? The banksters figured it out. What they did was they removed that which enacts a conscience, and what is that? Choice. That's why you have people always talking about spirit. You'll hear me talking about spirit. That conscience, that little voice, the freedom of conscience statue is down in St. Mary's County. What does that mean? You have a freedom. Well, what they figured out is how do they get rid of, not get rid of it, but how do they uh, render it ineffective? The way you render it ineffective is to not give anybody any other choice. If I have two apples in my hand, which one are you going to choose? You're still choosing an apple. What I found out is that none of these public servants know the law. They, therefore, they have no conscience. These people are, once I, it, it, this is for me going around to literally hundreds, hundreds, perhaps thousands at this point, uh, of, of, of officers and, 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 and sheriffs and deputy sheriffs and even some judges and attorneys, everybody I can think of. Every time I go out in public, I, I stop them, I talk to them, and I educate them. What I find out is that they're not educated. If they're not educated, they can't even institute their conscience. I believe that if we in enact certain legislation that requires them to be periodically tested, that at the very least they will have knowledge of the law, so now their conscience will get, at least get the best done to some degree. And more importantly, they will, like we do and like I have, the reason I'm much more bold now, <clears throat> and this gentleman here who's now more educated in law, we stand boldly upon the law. Guess what? Now, those people in offices, when their bosses tell them to do something, they say, no, sir, I can't do that, or I'm going to go to jail, and I'm not going to jail for you, sir. The Constitution prohibits me from doing that. Article so-and-so and such, that says I'm prohibited from doing that. And if you give me that order again, and the one I love to share this with, with, with different officers because they love this part, they go, and guess what? If he gives you the order again, you can tell him that you have him arrested. And they really like that. They'd love to arrest their bosses. Most of these people are trapped themselves, okay? 
So what the legislation would do, and the other thing is we wouldn't need to do the 10 collections. We wouldn't need to sue them. We wouldn't need to go to court and rely upon the honor of the judges. It would be a simple legislation that enacts itself that says if you can't pass the test, you don't hold the office. That's true. It's simple. Can I, can I, let me interject. Yeah. I'm going to throw this in. It would be totally the correct thing to do, and it would be an awesome piece of legislation. And and most likely, you'd, you every police officer that was on the floor, so if not all, you know, everyone would would be supportive of it and would want to do it because they, I, you know, I've seen cops without their constitution, pocket constitution. Um, but uh, the thing about it is that that applies right only to real governmental agencies. I mean, government, you know, so like, uh, so, and so the reason why that's important is because when a, uh, there's been case law that states that when a, a municipal uh, government or corporation acts, it conducts commerce and participates, becomes like a market participant, you know, in, in a commercial activity, then they lose their their sovereignty and are to be pretty much treated like like any other corporation. So your argument is valid, right? Except the flaw, I think, would probably be where the the presumed entity you're coming against is actually not to be treated like a government entity anymore, but now a private one. And you're and so the claim is all backwards, and that's why I think a lot of shit gets thrown out. What do you think about that? I'm not really sure I understand the question, but I think I do, and that's why I phrased it that all officers or agents of any government entity. That's why I phrase it that way. That's why it's important that we write this legislation properly. That would include all corporations. In other words, we could actually use the word person as defined in the tax code would cover that easily. We just simply say all persons as defined in the tax code shall be required to be periodically tested as to the knowledge, and under, uh, knowledge, understanding, and accurate use of the uh, the, well, first I'd say the, the unanimous Declaration of Independence, because that's the principle upon which everything is founded, and then the Constitution, as well as the laws that their specific office uh, uh, uses uh, in, 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 in whatever activity they're doing. So that would be the simple way of doing it, because if you look at the definition of person, it is individual limited liability company, corporation, partner, um, uh, fiduciary limited liability company, corporation, um, or any municipal subdivision of the state. So that would include them. So I agree with what you're saying. It's a very good point. And once again, you pointed out to everybody how important it is to be persnickety and very specific and find fault before you right. write it or before you file exactly. it. That's, that's the point. So you can, you can they're not going to want to reveal that they are acting, that, that when they conduct commerce, that they actually lose their sovereignty so they're going to try and remain in that role of a constitutional government. Okay? So, yeah, and, and so that's why this is how they're going to end up settling out of state for almost all claims. But that's why, this, that's why the legislation is so important because, see, here's the thing. I, I, I got this from the concept when I was listening, when I was talking on a show one time, to a guy that was bitching money and complaining that, you know, they have to take a, um, a test every six months, a CDL driver, and he's out there driving, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. He's, you know, shifting the gears and backing that thing and turning around and going through. So he's doing it every single day, 
And yet he has to be tested every six months. This is ridiculous. And here we have people that are supposed to represent the law, be the law, and they never use the law because they don't, they don't even know what the first thing it says. It's the, that is the flip side. It's so ridiculous. And that's where then I started thinking, well, what does a cop have to do? And I actually use this one time. As I said, I confront, confront them all the time. And in, in, in the process of, of confronting them, I sat there and it came out, you know, the spirit made it come out. I said, well, let me ask you a question. You, I see you're wearing an, a, a, a gun. How often have you actually used that gun? He goes, never. And I said, and yet you have to be periodically tested as to your use, your understanding of it, and your accurate use of it, don't you? Right? You have knowledge of it. You have to know how to tear it down and put it together and clean it. And you also are periodically tested on how to shoot it and make sure it hits the target accurately, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I said, and yet you never use it. I said, every time you put this uniform on, you're putting on the law. And how often are you tested on that? He goes, never. I said, well, there's a problem. And that's what it kind of dawned on me, like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe we should enact uh, legislation that requires them to be periodically tested after their knowledge, understanding, and accurate use of it. So it makes perfect sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And, and, yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, uh, so... I, I support what you're doing, and uh, I look forward to seeing. I mean, I guess I could even. I mean, you need to knock knock heads with me with what you got going so far as far as writing, and then on you know on another call or even on this one. Well, absolutely, yeah. I kind of dropped the ball, and so did you um, on that. I um, because if I don't, you know, if we don't keep it active, then it, you know, kind of falls to the wayside because I get so many things going. I just filed a um, a uh, what do you call it a uh, rescission notice. I ended up. As, kind of funny for those people with foreclosure stuff. Um, and this is, this is a common law thing. I've actually done a little study on this. The right to rescission is a common law act. Now, I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it today. In other words, there is, there is solutions for a lot of things. Um, the rescission just simply means you're removing. And I, the way I phrase it is different from other people. I'm not just rescinding the contract. What I do is different. Um, and the reason is because uh, this for all the common law people, you're going to love this because this is all common law stuff. Um, that I have that my signature is my property, okay? Just as my labor is my property, that's why they can't tax it. Um, so I have the right to remove my signature off of a document, and that's how I write it. I said I hereby remove, rescind, rescind, remove, and uh, boy, I forget exactly how I state it my signature off of those documents, okay? And I even put in there, and any authorized signature, initials, mark, or seal. Because all these things, I go back to Old English. Old English is, you need to, you want common law? Go back to Old English, okay? And the reason is because once you rescind it, it no longer exists. It's, it, as a matter of law, it's gone. Now, if by you rescinding your signature, it voids the instrument, obviously, and it causes the other party extramental injury. As a result, you're liable for that injury. Make no mistake. So before, before you do that, make sure you understand what the consequences could be. They could sue you for reliance, subsidiary, and other damages. But in the case of the fraud closures or the mortgages, it, they were done, it was done under fraud. Okay, it was it's fraud in the inception and fraud in the inducement. Inducement by fraud. You were induced to sign a piece of paper that you did not know what it said. That's what it means. Okay? And not only is there fraud involved, but you must not know what it's saying. I guarantee you did not know what it was saying. Okay? Let me go look at the board and hopefully I'm speaking to enough people that this is worthy. 
But it, it, even if, even the specific subject is not worthy, you're going to see that there are certain correlations to everything else. Okay? I don't see anyone yelling. Oh, I don't want to talk about this. All right, good. So, other if you have um, um, the, the 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 note, let's take the note. If you go and read the note, and this is why I'm saying that you had no knowledge, okay? Because if you had knowledge, then you would have been asking questions. Let me give you an example. How many people out there who have ever had a mortgage received something either in your bank account, okay, or in hand, either to you or an agent or something else, Prior to, listen to the question, did you receive anything in a bank account or your hand or, or in any one of your agents, agents from the bank or the quote-unquote lender, whoever the lender may be, did you receive something prior to you signing and giving the note? No. And let me share with you why that's so important. In return or a loan I have received. Is there any question that this is a past tense? Is there any question that have received means that you, well, I don't know quite else how to say it, that you received have? You know, if you want to do the, the Yoda thing, you know, have received, have, have in hand, received. Can you return? You see, the words are so powerful. In return for a loan I have received. How can I return something I have not received? No matter how you look at that statement, three, four different ways, it is so clear, it is immutable. They cannot get around that this is what's called a condition precedent. A condition precedent. A condition preceding, except in the case of Christ, perhaps you must have some sort of insemination in order to get pregnant. Now, these days we can do artificial insemination and so on. But you must have, and there's a reason I'm going there, by the way. I'll get to it in a second. You'll see why that's important under uh, Tilla. If there was no um, insemination, then there's no pregnancy. If there was no loan received prior to, then why are you signing a receipt saying you received it? So you didn't know what you were signing. So that's the first thing. The other thing that that shows you is that it is not a negotiable instrument. Remember, negotiable instrument is like a term of jackass or donkey. Okay, it must be specified in anything in law. If I call you a jackass in public, everyone's going to think you're acting like a jackass. But clearly, anyone looking at you is not looking for big floppy ears and a tail. Because we all know that jackass, when I call you acting like a jackass, that it means you're acting like a jackass or an idiot. Okay? But in law, there is no such thing. If you said in law, stop, he's a jackass, it would mean specifically in the dictionary you look up the term jackass. Unless it was defined in the statutes. 
So when you look up loan in the statute, you can find that. Return, you can look that word up, that term, excuse me, term. Term simply means that it's specific, has a definition. Return, loan, um, have, received is another technical term. Under the technical term, negotiable instrument, okay, which could be googly got instrument, it doesn't matter. It's a term that is defined under UCC3. UCC3 defines a negotiable instrument as an instrument, a pro, an unconditional promise to pay a fixed amount, and usually at a fixed time. Very simple. Now, that clearly we've already expressed or shown that this is not only a non, it not only is it not an unconditional promise to pay, it is in fact a conditional promise to pay, and it's conditional upon some preceding action. But if you don't believe that that makes it an unconditional promise to pay, let's move down. Let's say that they did in fact fulfill the obligation, such as a private lender pulled something out of his pants and handed that he owned that was his, and he handed it to you substance and value. Okay, whether it's a diamond ring or money or whatever it was. He handed something that he owned that was his, and he actually handed it to you. He now has given you something that you can return, something of substance and value. So, okay, he's fulfilled that conditional precedent, or precedent, yeah, the condition precedent. So you could say, well, now what you're giving him is an unconditional promise to pay, although I would still say it's not. But let's move further. What does it say on the very next line? The lender or anyone who takes this note by transfer and is entitled to payments under this note shall be called the note holder. And as you go through, you will see that the term note holder is the only term that is used as to having any rights under the note. And there's still conditions if you go through the note. There's all sorts of conditions. Clearly, this is, again, conditional. Anyone who takes, takes is a term. As when you take an um, inventory, or you take stock, or you take delivery, you must, if you've ever been in, in any kind of business as I have, you open up the back of the truck and they're here to deliver something, and I'm the person who's authorized to take delivery. First thing I require to do as the authorized officer or agent to take delivery is I first inspect that which I'm taking delivery of. I inspect that it is what it's supposed to be. I inspect that, in fact, it is what it lists and that the list is full. Then I sign off on it, and I have now taken delivery. If you don't have that, you don't have a taking. So let's go on. And it then compounds that definition when it says, anyone who takes this note by transfer. So now, again, we have something specific that the only way that it can be taken is by a transfer. What does a transfer mean? In law, a transfer is not an assignment. It doesn't use the word assignment. Let me give you an example of the one, the best one that works best for a difference between an assignment and a transfer. I sell you my car. You pay me for the car. I take the car and I deliver it to your house. Your, your driveway has a slight slope. I park it on your driveway. I forget to put the parking brake on and put it in gear, okay, or I put the parking brake on lightly or, 
or I put it in gear, no parking brake, whatever. I walk up, I knock on the door, you're not home. I take the deed of the uh, the deed of title or the certificate of title. We'll get into that too. Another year, certificate of title. I sign it and I put it in your mailbox. The car rolls down backwards and hits a car. Who is liable? I am, because you never took delivery. It was never transferred to you. Same scenario. You come home. I knock on the door. You take the deed of you take the certificate of title, and you ask me to please park it in the driveway. And the same scenario. It rolls down and hits the other car. Who's liable? You are, because you already took delivery. You have taken it by transfer. It has, in fact, been transferred. Now, as I mentioned before, when it comes to land, a transfer is not complete until it has been recorded. Reason is because we don't want people buying swamp land or buying the same piece of land over and over and over again, which is what happened originally. See, people learn from these shysters. They learn from criminals. That's how you know these laws are here to protect us. That people are selling the same plot fifty thousand times. Kind of sounds like what the banksters do with an ounce of gold. They take the, although now they don't even ounce of gold. Okay, they sell it over and over and over and over again to prevent that. The people said, okay, we're going to have a central place where people can. Um, transfer the property and register that transfer so that it's a, an announcement to the public that this has already been sold from this party to that party, and that's why you are able to do a, um, a abstract of title. You're able to do a title search on it to find out, well, does this idiot own it or not? Okay? So all this is here for a reason to protect us. And that's why you begin to understand, hey, wait a minute. Maybe the laws aren't so bad. They've been using it in the wrong way against us. So let's go back again to the note. If it is not an unconditional promise to pay, if you're required to take something and you're required to take it by transfer, clearly an assignment is not acceptable, is it? So if you have a deed of, I mean, if you have a note that has been assigned, it's not transfer. It's not been taken. Okay? And it goes on. And anytime you have a contract that says A and D, both of the conditions or all of the conditions are required in order for the condition to be met. Anyone who takes this note by transfer and is entitled to payments under the note, uh uh-oh, that's a huge thing, and is entitled. There's that key word, entitled. See, I wasn't lying. These words are all you're going to find them. Christmas tree lights, entitled, entitled, entitled. We're entitled to rights, property. Here it is, transfer, property. Must be recorded, property, transfer. Okay, you begin to see you begin to see this, right? And entitled, entitled, entitled. Who's entitled to enforce the note? Who's entitled to enforce the deed of trust? Entitled, entitled, entitled. Well, clearly the only one who's entitled to enforce the note is the one who's entitled to payments under the note. Well, who would that be? Anyone who gave something of substance and value prior to receiving the note. So we clearly have that there are conditions, not only a condition proceeding, but we have conditions on the note itself. It's a conditional instrument, which means it's not an unconditional promise to pay. Therefore, it cannot be held under UCC3. Of course, I always make the claim that I'm not a commercial entity anyway, and I'm not engaged in creating commercial paper. Huh? Well, this goes back to the part that I said in Hale versus Sickle. His power to contract is unlimited. 
I can contract. I have the right to do my own private business in my own private way without being involved by anybody else. The state can make no law respecting the obligation of contract. Are you beginning to see the picture why I brought this out to you ahead of time? So now we know that there's something funky going on here. Not that we haven't, but now we can put our finger on something that is precise, that is in law, that that we can hold them, them accountable to. So, and even still, it goes on to say, shall be called the note holder. Now, when you go look at the deed of trust, you will see, now I'm shifting gears from the note to the deed of trust. The deed of trust, if you go read it, which you never have, again, you sign something, you didn't know what it was, and you were defaulted or defrauded. Therefore, it is fraud in the inception, fraud in the inducement. You're induced to sign something, you didn't know what it says, and they clearly were defrauding you. They didn't tell you the stuff, and you had no knowledge of actually what you were signing. In fact, most of you, I'll bet, don't even know what a trust is. Nevertheless, a deed of trust. But for, for this particular purpose, and I'm doing a quick cover tonight so you can see some of the specifics. Under your deed of trust, what does it say? It says that it secures what? Not the note. There's nowhere in the deed of trust that it says it secures the note. You see, it comes back to specifics again. It does not secure the note, just as that case was not about uh, due process of law. He wanted to state that it was about a grand jury, that it was about infamous crime. Here we have the same scenario. It does not secure the note. What it does say is this. It secures the debt evidenced by the note. What? It secures the what? Debt evidenced by the note. So first of all, there must be a note to evidence the debt, not a copy. The actual note, evidence. Now, why would you want an original, the original of the note? Well, what if they already cashed that instrument, whatever it is, the note? What if they already cashed it? And I go make a copy of it when you hand it to me, and I'm sitting there trying to pass that off, pass and utter, utter passing, 18 U.S.C. 471 to 474, right? I can go make a bunch of copies and then pass them off, which as it turns out, that's exactly what they're doing. We've had up to three different parties bringing a foreclosure action using different copies of the note. There's a case on the video. The guy brings it to the court and says, hey, there's three different copies that they presented of this note. And he said there's a physical impossibility for holes that were punched in it to move from one copy to the next. Of course, again, he gave the court wiggle room, so they they got out of it by, I'm pretty sure, I mean, without even finding out what the results were, but I could see by the judges that he didn't raise the proper issues there, okay? But when you have the debt evidenced by the note, so you first of all have to have the note to evidence the debt because when you look at the front and the back of the note, you want to see if it was cashed or not, or if it was transferred, or if it was a proper party. The person who is entitled to, actually doesn't even say person, anyone, it's not a person, doesn't say anything, it's anyone who takes this note, so the first thing you want to look at the note and see if it was properly transferred or not, and if it was taken by someone who is entitled to payments under the note. So all those things would have to be confirmed first before the deed of trust would secure the debt evidenced by the note. So not only that, there not to be a debt. Okay, where's the debt? So the first thing you have to do is show that there was a debt, which they can't show because, once again, you didn't receive something prior to. The conditions proceeding were not... Were not uh, we're not fulfilled. So the, the debt 
again, has not been uh, uh, shown. Therefore, the deed of trust is not secured, which means what? The deed of trust was never enacted. The deed of trust does not exist, which means the property that's in the deed of trust is unaccept- unattainable to anybody. There is no debt evidence by the note because you never received anything prior to you giving them the note. You begin to see what I'm getting at here. Precision, precision, precision. Everything is precise, precise, precise. So it's the same thing if you're talking about uh, whether you're talking about a statute or a law. Um, um, uh, administration type of thing. What what evidence do you have that I am an agent or officer subject to the state? Okay, it's it's very clear. And when you when you present this, what you're gonna when you use and bear your arms, have and bear your arms, you need to be specific in the law, and you need to force them to be specific in the law as well. You have to box them in and force them to abide by the law that as it is written. And the other day I was in, in court with somebody helping them out, and it was a traffic thing uh, about under, and the, she, the person was charged um, with speeding under 46.2800. Well, 46.2 clearly comes under 46.2800 comes under 46.2. So the first thing I did is I go and look up the whole thing from beginning to end. And I went to and highlighted and I found out that in this particular state, they don't use for pay, they use for compensation. In other states, they use for pay. I've already been alerted from other states how they use different things. Transportation is a key word or term, rather, key term. Transportation in, in the state that I did the last time I did one was defined as the transportation of animal, person, or product for pay. That was their definition. In this particular state, it was the transporting uh, or transportation of uh, property or passenger. See, they're even more clear. Property or passenger for compensation. And there was a section that described that even if you're engaged in the transportation of something for somebody as a gift, but it was already paid for by somebody else. So again, they were very accurate in using the word compensation, not just for pay, but for compensation. And they word their statutes accordingly. And as you go through the whole statute, you sit there and say, the assumption of the police officer was that this person was engaged in some form of transportation of property or person for compensation. Well, that was never evidenced on the record, was it? He has not testified to that. So if he has not testified to that, he has no evidence of it, then there's no jurisdiction, is there? Now we've got it down to basically three lines. And that's how I've won the last five cases with just two or three lines. Two criminal charges of carrying a total of six years gone with only two lines. One-page document. I filed two others just to, just to nudge them a little bit, which was just showing that, that the prosecutor uh, had failed to um, uh, deliver all of the... Um, um, all of the evidence, including, uh, and most of them they required, at least in Maryland, they required to share with you any evidence or testimony or person who can testify that might exonerate you or might help you. They're required to give you both sides without you asking. So I noticed the court, first of all, that they're required to do it within a certain period of time, according to the statute 264B, which they failed to do under the district court, and now under the circuit court, which is 264C, 
They had failed to do it in the district court. They had failed to do it in the circuit court as required by law prior to without me asking. And I also put in an affidavit stating that I had requested over the phone, and they have still not done it six weeks later or two months later. And now I was putting in a demand into the court for them to do so, which they never did. But the actual document that meant the most was the one that simply said, I have no knowledge of, and then I quoted the statute, I have no knowledge of abandonment of vessel. I have no knowledge of the dumping of over 500 pounds. And then I prepared to do a summary judgment after 15 to 30 days. And the reason that's so simple, it sounds simple, but if you don't understand what you're doing, that's how you get in trouble because people don't do it precisely. They don't understand what they're doing or comprehend, have it clear. I knew exactly what was going, going on. And I started off with a 15-page document. Oh, I don't do this. Blah, 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 blah. But it, all I needed at that point was to simply say, I have no knowledge. Why? If I don't have any knowledge of, of some criminal act, then I certainly cannot have intent. And if I don't have intent, I can't have criminal or malicious intent, can I? So the first thing the prosecution has to show is that I had intent, and they can't show intent unless they show I had knowledge. So they first have to show I had knowledge, and they couldn't do that. You see how simple that was? But that's after, you know, doing this for six years, eight years, or however many years it's been. To boil it down to those simple terms, I have no knowledge of, and how to file it properly in an affidavit form with a sworn, uh, a sworn under pains of penalty and making sure that I stood there and held up my hand and I made sure in my jurat that the notary who was notarizing it, it was written in there that the following, uh, that the following you know, I put my full name there, had properly identified to me, stood before me and raised his hand and swore that the following is true and correct under pains of penalty. You see, those things are all important. Every little detail, every single term and every single word I use is extremely important. And guess what? It was like a machine gun. It still took them two months to figure out what I did. And they ended up doing, well, save face, not go to court. They didn't want to go to court anyway because I wasn't going to let them. But to save face, what did they do? No process. Now, the public defender, who I was playing another game and I was studying and learning, I do every opportunity. I use every opportunity to learn everything I can. So I, I did, in fact, go get a public defender, fired the first one. And that was an interest. I'll tell you a story later on. That was real fascinating. The second one was actually a good guy who was the, the head honcho of all of the um, 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 uh, prosecutions and defenses. And he said, well, we have to go to court and allow them to present their case, and then we can do a summary judgment. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand summary judgment. It says it right here. Under 263, I think it was, or 262, it says any motion that the court can address prior to trial shall be filed prior to trial. But I'll file a motion for summary judgment. They have failed to show that I have knowledge. They can't show that. There's no affidavit to the contrary. No evidence whatsoever. There's no need to go to court. That's what summary judgment is all about. If there's no controversy, and in civil court, it's the same kind of thing. If you don't have knowledge of something, how can there be a contract? If you don't have knowledge, there's no way you could have consented to it, either by action or by, de you know, by deed 
or by with intent. Intent, and I'm, that's actually going to be the opening uh, of my 42.19.3. Intent is ten tenths the law. What is the intent of the contract? What is the intent of the unanimous declaration of independence, which is a trust? What is the intent of the Constitution? What are the principles? Intent is ten-tenths of the law. So once I show intent and it can't be refuted or rebutted, it's all done. It's over with. And most people do not present the intent in the proper way. They don't show the intent. They don't link it together. Like I say, if you want to link together that, hey, they're subject to the state, you have a corporation, and that corporation is subject to the state. That's why if you go look and read some of the filings, it goes through all this ridiculous nonsense that such and such a corporation was acting in, 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 in its entirety. I forget exactly how it's phrased. Um, at all times during the events, was acting under the auspices of such and such a corporation in the state of and under the, under the license of the state of da-da-da-da-da, Delaware, or whatever it is, and resides in the state at such and such address. It's the reason they're putting all these detail point for point for point is to establish that they are subject to the state, subject to the laws of the state. When it comes to public officers, they're at all times acting as an officer of the state in this capacity, in this office, which is subject to this, which is subject to that, which is subject to the Constitution of the state. And the Constitution of the state, Article 1, uh, Section 1, states that the state in this particular one, Oklahoma, is, is an inseparable part inseparable uh, 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 union of the state and that the Supreme Court, uh, that the Supreme uh, Law, that the Constitution is the Supreme Law of the land. So now I've linked, 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 linked that this officer is in fact subject to the, the United States Constitution. And that's what I'm here to share with you. You can win if you do it right. Box them in. Get your identifications. Make sure you use things precise and get rid of the stuff you don't need. Like I said, I had 15 pages of stuff, and I ended up getting rid of all of it but one page with only three things on, basically two to three things on. That was it. And stay focused on what it is you're trying to accomplish. Go ahead. What's the point here? You Are you were drunk? Just, can you hear me? Yeah, who is this? My name's Bob. Who? Bob. Bob. This Bob T.S. Colorado? Yeah, Bob Titus. Yeah, Bob, why are you using nasty words in the, uh, in the thing? In the, in the, uh, type section, yeah. Huh? Is that a nasty word? Well, you have used the F word. You got weak suck. No, got... I'm new. I'm new here. This is my first time on this call. I'm All brand right, well, new. We like to have the quorum, and we also like to stay on point. Do you have a specific question on point? Well, yeah. All the legal terms and stuff and codes and sections and government, IRS agents, and all those other things you guys mentioned, I would, I used to try to do it, but I won't do it no more because I realize it doesn't matter to me. Okay, well, if it doesn't matter to you, Bob, then there's no point you being on this because this is for people who are engaged in winning and learning how to win using so you're the law to beat them with their law. 
You don't mm-hmm. realize that you are the higher power. <laughs> I oh, guess. absolutely. When when did you come on, Bob? Because we've covered all of that already. Uh, I've been. This is my first time on this call. Yeah, but you came on late, did you? Well, I don't know what time do you guys start. I came on. We started uh, at nine. We started at nine. No, it's a quarter after ten here. Bob T, Bob T, Bob T. I'm going back to see when you came on here. Right about there. Yeah, you came on near uh, near the end of the show here. So we've covered almost all, all that stuff. How we are the supreme power. We are the creators. We are we are so we are you know we're all that. We've already covered all that. Now, do you have a specific okay. question about the subject matter right now, which is about oh, talking about deeds of trust and law? I'm just trying to hold my hand up and say hi, and I, you, you know, I'm totally out of point now. Yeah. All right, let so, me continue then. Let me continue. In fact, I forgot where I was. Somebody remind me where I was or where you want me to go, people. Chub Bob up. <laughs> I'll mute out. Thank you. Okay, uh, this is probably a good time because I talk about deed of trust. I talk about the note a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, children, the, the stealing of, of children. Um, again, hopefully there's been enough example there, and I would be more than happy to start reading on it. The first thing to do is find all of the laws, all of the statutes concerning and what they're claiming. Remember that they're always making a claim. I'm going to tell you a quick short story of how uh, holding their feet to the fire can make a difference, Okay. Um, the first time that I tried this, uh, I had just, this was years ago, at the end of the Bush administration, and I had just concluded or came or heard from somebody who said, he who is asking is acting as king. And so I wanted to try, and I don't teach anything I haven't implemented or tried myself. So with that in mind, and knowing that I am uh, superior and that these are public servants, and I also realized at that time we were all sorts of discussions about, well, you want to say that you're a sovereign citizen. You want to say that you're this. You want to say you're that. And all of a sudden I thought to myself, why the hell am I going to sit there and make a claim and then have to prove my claim? It makes more sense to get them to make a claim and then require them to prove the claim. So I went out and I tested this. And I'm going to share with you a quick story as to what happened. So, uh, and again, I'm not... Uh, stating this as myself or brag, I totally uh, am saying I was along for the ride and that spirit is the one that completely moved me. And whether you believe in spirit or not, you, you can, if you want to think I was possessed, however you want to put it, it worked, and that's how I believe. So I'm not bragging on myself. In fact, in none of this, I couldn't have made it without my beliefs, okay, and without uh, some other energy and force. So I go out, and I'm walking my dog. I'm in shorts. It's a hot day. And there's some sort of private event. Now, in Washington, D.C., when they have a, an event, what they do is those highway dividers, they use those concrete things, and they put them all around different blocks to block off maybe a five or ten or six block area. So there was a park inside of there where I normally walk my dog. So I try to go in. I see the front area is blocked. So I go around the back, and it's blocked as well. And there's a little teeny walk area. And there's a guy in a blue out, uh, what do you call it, a, um, a blazer, blue blazer, regular old, you know, blue blazer coat, uh, plain clothes, looks like plain clothes. And I start coming through, and he stops me, and he says, you can't go in there. So I'm like, perfect. I said, why not? Notice I'm asking a question. Why not? He says, well, because it's a public event. 
So I start moving to go back in there again. He stops me again. He goes, you can't go in there. I said, wait a minute, you just said it's a public event. I'm part of the public, so how come I can't go in there? Again, making a question out of it. He goes, well, because I said so. Ah, perfect. Thank you very much. And who are you? I'm going to get him to make a claim. Who are you? He says, well, I'm Secret Service agent so-and-so. I remember his name. I said, oh, really? Do you have any evidence to secure your claim? Do you have any evidence of your claim? I think I just simply said, do you have any evidence of that claim? So he shows me his badge, which is on his belt. So I bend down. I go, I look at his belt. I look at the badge real close, and I go, that's a really nice badge. I saw one of those on eBay the other day, and then my eyes come up eyeball to eyeball. I said, how much did you pay for yours? He's stunned. And then I said, do you have any other evidence that you're holding the position you claim to hold? So he reached his first pocket. I said, oh, come on. You're not going to sit there and show me a plastic identification card, are you? He goes, yes. I said, oh, come on. High school kids have been forging those for years. Do you have any other evidence that you're holding the position that you claim to hold? He's choking. He didn't know what to do. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. If you can answer a few simple questions, I will be satisfied that you are holding the position you claim to hold. Of course, I wasn't talking that slow. I want you guys to get the words very, very precise. I will be satisfied that you are holding the position you claim to hold. I said, the position that you claim to hold requires you to swear an oath of office. Is that correct? Now, I've done this on judges. I've done this on police officers. I've done this probably at this point two or three hundred times, and I have never, not once, had anyone balk at the first question. He balked. And I almost did not know what to do. So... The next thing, because the next question is, the position you hold requires you to swear an oath of office. Is that correct? Yes, that oath of office is support the Constitution. I'm going to give you the ten questions real quick, okay? That position that you claim to hold, okay, that oath of office is to support the Constitution of the United States of America. Is that correct? Yes. I accept that oath of office. Is that acceptable to you? Yes. The reason I'm doing it, I'll tell you later, is to create private contract. Have you been paid on time for your oath of office and your, and your services? And they say yes. Is there anything owed to you for your services in your oath of office? No. Do I personally owe you anything for your service in your oath of office? No. Good. Since you've been paid on time and since the, the position that you claim to hold requires you to swear an oath of office, and that oath of office is to support the Constitution for the United States of America, would you please tell me the 13th Amendment? And then they go, well, if you don't know, just say, I don't know. And they go, oh, I don't know. And the idea was that you have two other people standing by with a piece of paper that have the questions I'm going to ask. They don't need to know anything. They don't need to memorize anything. And you don't need to. You can just read it off the thing, okay? Yes, the 10 questions are posted. They're posted on this on that website where you're at right now, I believe, uh, the AmericanReconstructionProject.com. Then those two people, when they check off the box that says, I do not know, and we continue with the next question, I go, and I will tell them what the 13th says. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist in the United States territory subject to its jurisdiction. And I said, so, and then I go in a little dissertation about involuntary servitude, and then, you know, blah, 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 I'm talking to them. Then I go, well, okay, how about the 14th? you know the 14th? 
And they go, uh, 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 well, not everybody knows that one either. You, don't, you just say you don't know. If you don't know, I don't know. So now I have the people checking them off. I don't know. And then I, I quote it to them. No state shall make or enforce any law that brings the privilege of the United States, North Carolina State, to deprive any personal life, liberty, property, without due process of law, North Carolina State, to deprive any person of the equal protections of the law. So are you here to protect me or to screw me? And then they go, woo, now I got them thinking. Okay? It's the, it's the 14th. Just You can look it up and read it. Next thing, I then say, well, okay, how about the 5th? That's why this is recorded, so you can go back. I know I speak fast, but that's, that's how I memorize it, that's how I get it out so I don't lose it. So I go, well, come on, what about the 5th? Everyone knows the 5th, and they always make an attack. They always try to go, well, that's the one that says that you have the right to remain silent. And I go, well, see, there you go. That's why it's important to know exactly how it's stated. It, of course, you have the right to remain silent. What it does say is that you may not be compelled to give evidence that may be used against you in a court of law in a criminal case. I said, now that's quite different, isn't it? They go, oh, yeah. I said, well, tell me this. Is there anything in the Constitution that you know by heart? Uh, 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 no. Well, let me ask you a question. How long have you been on the force? Five years. Okay. What if I was a, what if there was a, somebody who was a mechanic? You hire a mechanic and you've been paying him because you've been paid on time, right? Yeah, okay. And there's nothing owed to you, right? Yeah, okay. So what about this mechanic you've been paying for five years to keep your car running? One day it's not running right. One friend gets in your car and says, oh, your carburetor's messed up. Another friend gets in the car and he laughs his ass off and says, it's not your carburetor. You don't have a carburetor. You have injectors. So you go to that mechanic and you say, hey, you tell him the story. You say, hey, which one do I have? Injectors or carburetor? And he goes, I don't know. And you sit there and you pop the hood and you go, well, can you show me what the carburetor is or would be? Uh, I don't know. Well, how about where the uh, injectors would be? Uh, I don't know. Well, where's the transmission? Uh, I don't know. Wouldn't you say that they were committing fraud? And that person will say yes. I said, well, now they didn't swear an oath to support the cons- to, 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 They didn't swear an oath to know uh, mechanics, did they? But they have been paid to know mechanics, haven't they? Yeah. But you've sworn an oath to support the Constitution, haven't you? You go, yeah. And I said, and you don't know a word of it, do you? They go, no. And I said, well, wouldn't you say you're committing fraud? And believe it or not, people, they will say yes. I've actually done this on radio three times. Okay? That's called an indictment. I now, that's why it's called the 10 Questions of Oath Verification or Indictment. I now have two people, handwritten plus myself, who would sit there and go to a notary immediately and sign it under pain of the penalty that they are a witness to these questions that were asked freely and freely answered. This person now is indicted. I can go indict them. This is my first solution years ago. And no one took up the banner. No one out there. I mean, look how many people there are for each one of us. There's, what, a 1,000 of us or 10,000 or 15,000 for each one of us to them? Are you telling me you can't go out, you know, get a few friends and have this done and indict them? And I said, even if you don't want to indict them, at least send me the affidavit and we'll, we'll figure out a group of people who are willing to file the charges. It certainly would show that there's a pattern activity it would certainly show it's a policy of the state to allow officers to go in uniform that don't know the first thing about their oath of office, would That's a policy of the state. And as a result of them not knowing it, you're now injured. So you have the foundation of a 42-1983. Kaboom! It's called uh, the AmericanReconstructionProject.com. It's, you, know, you can actually click on that the thing next to the flag, that little thing. You should be able to click on it. I'll take you right there. Another website I have is also called uh, solutions for the innocent dot wordpress dot com. Okay. 
Um, I'll type it in real fast. Hold on one second. Man. And I really kind of want to finish the story and get on a roll here. Uh, uh, solutions. Oops. For the Alright, let me see if I can do this properly. See, I can't I can't talk and type at the same time too well. I'm doing okay, I guess. Alright, here we go. I think this is it. Yeah. And that should be a link. That's an old website and I really need some help updating it with all this new stuff. I haven't updated it in freaking three years, okay? Maybe four years. So anybody wants to help update it, it would be great. Okay, let me finish the story. Because I'm just at the beginning. So I've already been asking question after question. This man balked at the first question. The position you hold, you claim to hold, I use their first, the position you claim to hold requires you to swear an, an oath of office. Is that correct? Well, I already know that because we already read it under the 14th, right? Okay? I mean, under the under the 4th, the, uh, the, excuse me, the 6th article, all judicial officers require, you know, shall be bound by oath or affirmation, right? So he didn't say anything. He didn't know what to do. And so immediately I jumped on him and I said, okay, if you do not know that the position you claim to hold requires you to swear an oath of office, there is no way that you could possibly be holding an office that requires you to swear an oath of office, can you? You see how simple this is? He stands and looks at me, duh, uh, duh. He calls for backup. All right, here comes backup. Now, this guy's a little bit shorter, uh, a little bit skinnier. He's got the glasses on. He looks like a supervisor. Of course, he comes up and tries to say or asks me something. The next thing I, I first of all, what is the what is the rule? He who is asking is acting as king. So he, I don't know what he asks. Cause I don't care what he asks. I ask him. I'm in control here. I'm the king. I'm asking him the question. I said, are you his supervisor? And he goes, yes. And I said, well, that man over there claims to be holding a position that I happen to know requires him to swear an oath of office, and he does not know that he had to swear an oath of office, which means there's no way that he could possibly be holding an, oath, an office that requires him to swear an oath of office. Now, could he? And if you didn't catch how fast I said that, it was just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. You'll see that's basically what I do. That man over there claims to be holding an office that requires him to swear an oath of office. He did not know that the position he claims to hold requires him to swear an oath of office. Therefore, there is no way that he can be holding an office that requires him to swear an oath of office. Now can he? Now remember that ending. You can make a five million word statement and you say, now can he? Is that correct? Isn't that true? You turn a statement into a question. Correct? See, I just turned it into a statement into a question. Correct? I've asked you. Correct? Is that true? Is that true? Isn't that correct? Okay. That's how you do that. So he sits there and looks at me stupid, and he's already learned the game. He's a supervisor, so he already knows not to ask answer a question, so he tries to ask, ask me a question. And somewhere along, so we go back and forth, back and forth, and I just keep repeating to him. So then I put him on the spot. When I asked him if he is his supervisor, I said, now the position you hold requires you to swear an oath of office. Is that correct? He goes, yes. 
I said, well, see, at least you knew that. He didn't know that, and we would repeat the same thing, which means there's no way he can be holding an office that requires a swear an oath of office. Now, can he? And then I get in his face, and I said, now, I'm pretty sure that you don't know anything in the Constitution, but I'm not going to embarrass you in front of all these people here or indict you. But the oath of office that you're required to swear is to support the Constitution for the United States of America, isn't it? He goes, yes. So we go back and forth, back and forth. At some point, he asked me if I have any identification. I asked him, I said, do you have a warrant? He goes, no. I said, well, then are you trying to intimidate me and requiring me to show you identification without a warrant? He goes, no. By this time, the guy that was behind him I call him Yosemite Sam because he was short and stocky and he, he walked like Yosemite Sam, like he was in a quick draw draw on my ass any minute, except for the big floppy hat. He had worked his way around to my, my back. We call it the 180. All right? he, had, he was behind me, and I felt him behind me. And I turned around and whipped. I whipped. I call it whipping around. I whipped away from the supervisor's face. I whip around, and I take two huge steps and I get right nose to nose to that idiot. And I said, are you trying to threaten and intimidate me? Notice it's a question. By this time, of course, there's a crowd of people, and it's getting growing. And he says, no. I said, then get over there where I can see you. So he moves to my 90. I said, no, over there to the 45 where I can see you. And he moved over there, and he had his hands on hips. I said, are you still trying to threaten and intimidate me? He goes, no. I said, then take your hands off your hips. He takes his hands off his hips. I now come back to the supervisor. He and I are going back and forth, and I'm constantly asking him questions and constantly doing the same repeat. If you don't know the, the, the positions you hold requires you to swear an oath of office to the Constitution, to support the Constitution, there's no way that you could possibly hold the office. I'm basically going through that over and over again. About this time, the van pulls up, and four guys, he was either four or five guys, get out in full riot gear. Now, I'm shaking in my boots. You might think I'm not. I'm shaking in my boots. I'm scared to death. My heart's pounding like I'm like, are you an idiot? Are you stupid? Are you crazy? Are you an idiot? Are you stupid? Are you crazy? I even had a picture in my head that they were going to drag me behind the van and that they were going to throw my dog. They were going to pick up my dog and throw the dog out the van. I had all these horrible visions going on in my head. But you just have to persevere. Trust in spirit. The spirit has me. You won't believe these guys are like 6'7". I'm 6'1". These guys are 6'7". Bulky guys, young guys, actually. And the only thing they didn't have on their heads was a helmet. I get a spirit out of me, whip around, and get in their faces. I mean, what an idiot. I'm in shorts, could easily skin my teeth, and throw me to the ground, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I get in the first guy's face, and I go, did you, uh, did, uh, I said, the position you hold requires you to swear an oath of office. Isn't that correct? He goes, yes. I said, did you swear that oath of office? He goes, yes. I go right back to the... To, to, and I go to the second guy, who the same thing. He says, yes. And I go back to the supervisor. I said, see, even they knew. Meaning these thugs over here, dressed in riot gear, even they know that they're required to swear an oath of office. He didn't know that he was required to swear an oath of office to, uh, to support the Constitution. So there's no way he can be holding that position, can he? Constantly always into a question. Finally, I wear him down. The supervisor says quietly to me, because I had a crowd of people by this time. Must have been a couple hundred people by this time. Oh, what the hell is going on? The supervisor sits there and says, do you really need to get in there? I said, no, not really. And I swear you guys, people, this is this is the funniest thing about this story. I am not kidding. It looked like I took candy from a baby. The look on this guy's face was like, oh, what, 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 what? 
if you don't know um, Jeff Dunham, go on YouTube, Jeff Dunham, Peanut, and you'll understand why I do some of these. It's just, an amazing, it's just that character is just so favorite to me. Anyway, so uh, he sits there and he's dumbfounded. He goes, well, what are you doing this for? So he's asking me a question again, right? I said, well, it seems to me I'm doing your job for you, aren't I? Notice I turned into a question. He's dumbfounded. He goes, what will it take for you to move on? <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If each and every one of these public servants out here will shake my hand, look me in the eye, and give me their word that they will go home tonight and read the Constitution and do their due diligence on the Constitution from now on, I will move on. Is that acceptable? So I put it into a question again. And he's like, yes, okay. And I said, no, no, no. And he went and reached out with his hand. And I said, no, no, no. They have to do it. And I kid you not, I took a full 15 minutes. And I went around each and every single one of those people that I could see in a uniform. And there was every color uniform out there by this time, probably 15 or 20 people. I shook their hand. I looked them dead in the eye, and I got them to give me their word. They would go home tonight and read the Constitution and do their due diligence from that point on. Now, interesting enough, one of the guys in that uh, in those in the in the uh, riot gear, he goes, "Well, where do I find it?" And I sat there and I said, uh, "Do you have a computer?" He says, "Yes." And I said, "Well, do you know how to do a Google search?" He goes, "Oh, oh, yeah." And I said, "Okay, now, since you seem to you seem to be a good man, see, I'm now setting an example for the rest of them." I said, "You seem to be a good man." And then I turned to the rest of them and I said, "And anyone out there who has also wishes to do due diligence." And come back to him, I said, I want you to look up the unanimous Declaration of Independence. Will you do that? And he goes, yes. I said, I want you to read it and memorize it. Can you do that? He's like, yes. And I said, you will be glad that you did. Thank you very – I said to him, thank you very much and continue the good work. And I shook everybody's hand and I left. Now, when I got to the end of the block, I took off running because I was scared chillest. No one was chasing me. Now, here's a caveat, all right? Here's the caveat. At the time, my girlfriend worked for Secret Service. Two weeks later, she came home and she goes, well, you must be doing something right. I was like, why is that? She said, a memo went around the office today that said that we needed to read the Constitution. It is a true story, folks. What, why am I telling you? I'm sharing with you how, how to do things, right, and how it does work under, even though there was like 15 or 20 of them, and I was in shorts with my little dog that wasn't even on a leash, by the way, Okay, but she's under my control because I know the law there. Um, and it ended up a memo goes around the office, the Secret Service office, telling people that they needed to read the Constitution. Now, how cool is that? It just shows that one person, one man, can make a difference. Just imagine how much difference it would be if there was 10,000 of us out there doing similar stuff. And, you know, I was all by myself. There's nobody else out there helping me, no one else supporting me. And I sure as hell wasn't dressed like the rest of the suits around there, and I sure as hell wasn't dressed like all the guests that were going into this, this, this special event that they were having at the end of the Bush administration. Okay? All the, what we call the money, money people. And all the people that were listening, that whole crowd, that 150, 200 people, there was something that was done that caused the memo to go around. Those people heard it as well. Every interaction that you have is an opportunity to educate. But you have to know it yourself first. 
I encourage people to invite a police officer, to invite a deputy sheriff, to invite a sheriff, either to an event, a picnic, to your house for dinner. When was the last time you invited one of your public service to educate them? When was the last time you had a meeting with your, with your neighbors or meeting with other people in your community and invited the public service? When was the last time you had a study group where you studied the Constitution and the Unanimous Declaration of Independence, which you should memorize? I had a nine-year-old girl memorize the first part of the, of the Unanimous Declaration of Independence in one day. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator by certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers and the consent of the governed. That when, oh, let me back up. Let me stop right there. Um, consent of the governed, think about it. Who is the governed? It's not you. The governed are the ones that volunteer for offices and positions. So, so, so be clear on that. The consent of the governed, they consent to holding that position. That whenever, any form of government, any form of government, it doesn't matter. Any form of government, that includes corporations, any form of government becomes destructive of these ends. It's the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new forms of government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers. So where does the power come? And organizing its powers in such manner as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. That part you can memorize in one day. It lays it out. The whole foundation and the principle. Governments are instituted to secure rights and their powers are organized in such form as to, to us shall seem most likely to effect or cause our safety and happiness. I had a woman after one of my shows, she said, well, I'm going into court tomorrow. I'm going to tell the judge I'm not happy. And I was like, yeah, we're right on. That's a contract, okay? This is a contract. It's a trust. Trust is contract. It's law. You want to talk about... You want to talk about a common law? You want to talk actual law? This is a law that they are bound to. Forget, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's that they are bound to it. But if you do not know the law, how can you enforce it? So that's the first thing we need to do is learn it. And I'm telling you, every time you read statute and the more you read case law, the more you start putting things together, you'll see how important it is to be precise because it's like a mathematical formula. You don't put a dot, which in most mathematical formulas is a time sign, you don't put a dot when you meant to put a minus sign or a plus sign. It means something totally, and you're going to get a different outcome. Okay, so let's open it up for questions. Anyone got any questions, or do you want me to repeat anything? All right, let's talk process then. First thing you need to do is get manila folders. Take it seriously. If you're going to play baseball, you need a mix. And you, sometimes you need an outfit, and you need a baseball and a bat. So you need tools. First thing you need is vanilla folders. And I recommend you get a hole puncher and that you put those metal, metal straps that go in those fold-over metal straps, and you put them into the top. And the reason is every time you file a motion of any kind and, and you research and so on, each and every one of those needs to be in a separate folder. And the reason is simple. When you file a motion you need to recognize whether you filed it or whether you're answering another motion so that you know who is up at bat, who is this ping pong, who's, whose court is it in. And you have it laid out there. Like if you're filing for summary judgment, you have to give them a period of time to respond. When they don't respond or they don't rebut, guess what? You can now remove 
and move that you be granted the summary judgment because they have failed to provide anything that rebuts what you stated, and so on and so on and so forth. So all of these things. So that's the number one. You want a whole bunch of, you want your files, and you want every time you do a motion, and it's the same thing in your computer. You want to scan everything in, and you want to you want to put it in the reasonness so that you can get help from other people, and so that you have an electronic filing of it. You always want to send everything certified mail. Some people do the green card. I see storing the green card only because I can track it on the internet. All of your certified mail is trackable. Okay. Sometimes you have to d- decide who you're working with. The biggest part thing is just like you're cooking a cake. You need to look up what the terms mean. What does summary judgment mean? Well, it's a summation. Well, yeah, but that's not what summary judgment means. Okay, what about a default judgment? Well, uh, they're in default. Kind of, but that's not exactly what it means. A default judgment just means, well, they didn't respond to it, so you're going to get it by default which anybody knows anything about a default judgment is about as flimsy as you can get. So when you choose, do you want a default judgment? Not really. It's not the strongest one you want. So if you can get a summary judgment, that's even better because that holds your feet to the fire. So the more you have a vocabulary, the more arms you are going to be able to bear. It's like having all these different – I don't know if you guys have ever watched The, uh, the Arrow. I, just, I always love that, that series. You know, he started making these arrows that had explosives and had uh, different types of vials in them and could, you know, do all sorts of stuff. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. You're gonna, you want different arrows so that you can use them for different things and know what you're talking about. Look each one. Look up each one so that you have the elements. Like I said, how, like the, the case we talked about earlier with that gentleman is a great example. And you saw how hard it was for him to get his head wrapped around it because he felt that he had justice, justice, justice. They denied him. I'm not saying they didn't deny him the equal protections of the law. And that's where he should have gone on a suit. He should have then done a suit. And that's another thing we need to recognize. Be the plaintiff. He was trying to say that he didn't get due process of law. That was the wrong argument. He needed to argue that it was, in fact, an infamous crime and find the definition and put the definition in there and a couple little bit of case law that confirms that murder or, or a charge of murder, not necessarily murder itself, you don't want to say that, that might be considered they would find a way to find that as admission. So you want to say that a charge of murder is an infamous crime and under uh, the Fourth Amendment that any infamous crime uh, shall it shall be done only by a grand jury indictment. And that's how you wanted to phrase it, not, oh, well, I was denied due process of law because they found a way around it, didn't they? And it, just because you you were denied in the criminal and you screwed up in the criminal, a lot of times we get caught up with appeal, 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 appeal. One of the best things I know is because of civil, you want to go after them for civil stuff. Go after them for their criminal acts. Did he receive the equal protections of the law? I would say no. That's how I would have collaterally attacked it. said, hey, I was denied the equal protections of the law. The issue was raised sufficient enough that the Supreme Court should have known that he was talking about, since he was talking about grand jury, they should have looked up where grand jury was. 
and they failed to do that as a matter of right. That would be another way of doing it. And I've seen many times, and what was it, the, I think uh, Carl Lentz does this. He, sued, he, he put in a suit in federal court, basically, and he required, demanded trial by jury, and he sued him for, I don't know, four-point-some million dollars. He never followed through with it, but apparently it was sufficient to basically get the other people on a traffic ticket. And it was sufficient to get them to say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll drop my $4 million case or whatever it was if you drop your $20 case. So he used it as leverage. There's not, you know, again, this is an adversarial um, arena that you're in in the courts. And unfortunately, the judges are your adversaries as well as the attorneys on the other side. They will use every trick in the book. And you have to know the law and how to catch it. Are you administering law from the bench? <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's, that's a great one. But again, if you're going into court, you probably haven't done something right. Because everything should be done in writing ahead of time. So do we have any questions? Uh, interrogatories are very, very powerful because it requires somebody to swear under oath that something is true. So that's why if you wanted to do something in an interrogatory on a traffic ticket, for instance, you would do an interrogatory and require them to swear under oath who, you ask who, who has firsthand knowledge or substantial real evidence that I was engaged in activity subject to, in this case, in, in the state of Virginia where I was at, I would use the actual statute. Because you're letting them know that you've read it, or you at least know a little bit of what you're talking about. Under 46.2, who has substantial real evidence I was engaged in any activity of the transportation of property or passengers, because those are the terms that they used in Virginia. In other states, they use a different one. Again, you're, let, you're advertising or letting them know, hey, I've actually read the damn thing. Transportation or transporting of property or person for compensation, because, again, that's the term that's used in Virginia. In other places, for pay. In Maryland, it's transportation of animal, person, or product for pay. And invariably, they all seem to use the word upon, which is different from uh, um, normal use. Okay? When they're talking about uh, that which is regulated, they talk about transportation upon, operating a vehicle upon the roadways. When they're talking about the people, which they don't actually, I found that in the definition of roadways or highways, it is that which is, uh, what is it? Okay, I want to get that just to give you an example. Doodly doodly doo. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Give me a second here. Hmm. I have to go find it. Hold on a second. I had it up yesterday. I've got so many files open. Let me see if I can find it. Because it, it, when you read the, the statutes all the way through, or at least certainly. The part, like, like for instance, that one was uh, 46.2800. So I read everything that came before 800 because everything that comes before 800 is going to show you the definitions of the terms. That's the first thing you need to do is go look at the terms and the definitions so you have a clear understanding of it and what they're using. And they can only use them in the way that they were defined, nothing more. They cannot stretch it. Go look up under American jurisprudence. They cannot stretch it. They cannot use it in a way it was not intended. So when that judge sits there, 
when when this person sat there and said, uh, one of the people sat there and said, oh, I was not working. That was her way of saying, oh, I wasn't engaged in any form of transportation for pay or for compensation. The judge did something really stupid. He said, well, were you behind the wheel? The first thing I would have said is, well, excuse me, sir, and I would have pretended like I had a copy, of it, which I would have, which I did, have a copy of the statute right there. I said, would you please tell me where the term behind the wheel is either defined or used in 46.2? Now that, co- now that judge would have been, well, sir, are you enforcing law that, 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 is, that does not exist? You see, he, that's exactly what he was doing. But he was in a situation where he had a full courtroom of, of uh, sheeple out there, and he didn't want anyone uh, finding out that they were not engaged in activity that is regulated by the state. And again, if you read the whole thing, put it to you this way, do a checkoff list, okay? Do a checkoff list, all right? Okay, it says, okay, if I'm engaged in this, oh, I wasn't engaged in that. How about this? Nope, go to the next section. Well, uh, was I a courier? Nope. Not, well, I want to engage a courier. Okay, not there. Uh, what about uh, a minibus? Nope, not me. So you go through each and every single one of them. Yeah, it takes several hours to do it. And I went through it like three or four times. And like I said, when you do it, you highlight as you go. Key, 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 people. This will share, save you so much time. Whenever you read anything, put it into a Word document and highlight certain terms. I used to highlight whole sections. I don't do that. I highlight whole sections sometimes, but then I go back and highlight the terms. And you'll, that's when, it's like I said, it's like a Christmas tree. The words that you're spelling out in green letters will be, oh, and, and the words that you're spelling in the red, oh, it makes perfect sense. Let me go via code transportation highlighted. Here it is. Let me open it because you'll see. Uh, I'm going to read just a little bit. You'll you'll begin to see uh, under 46.2100 definitions. First place you go. All right, here's a couple of definitions. All terrain vehicle means a motor vehicle. Here they use motor vehicle a lot. Okay, motor vehicle, motor vehicle, antique motor vehicle, uh, auto cycle, antique trailer, automobile, or watercraft transporters. What? There's a key term, transporters, listen to what it says. It means any truck, any tractor truck, low boy, vehicle, or combination, including vehicle or combination that transport, there's the key, motor vehicles or watercraft on their power unit designed and used exclusively for the transportation, there's the key word, of motor vehicles or watercraft. Well, did you understand what I just said? All it means is, you know, you ever seen these trucks going down the road, these flatbeds, and it's got like a bunch of them stacked up to cars and whatnot? That's what it is, okay? Um, bicycle means, okay, again, um, in this definition. Um, bah, 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 bah. Now, here's the key word at the end. I'm going to read the end here. Except the toy vehicle, da-da-da, intended for use of young children. For purpose of chapter, da-da-da, a bicycle shall be a vehicle while, listen to the word, operated on the highway. Okay, now they don't define the word operated, but as you go through, you'll see that you can only operate a vehicle that is subject, okay? So you're operator, operating, which means you must have a license. So when you go through the whole section about who's required to have a license, you can see that they use the word operator, 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 operating, operating. You see, that's why you illuminate it. Uh, Camping trailer, business district, 
uh, chauffeur commission means the state or corporation commission, commissioner, converted electrical vehicle, crosswalk. Uh, I'm going to get to the good ones here. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Driver's license, electric personal assessive, essential parts farm utility vehicle, uh, which does not use the word motor vehicle in any of these, financial responsibility form vehicle, da 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 da, da. highway. Now, uh, before I get to highway, you got, um, I, I'll go ahead and, and give it to you. Here's the difference. Now, listen to the wording. Every other time you see it, you see, um, um, let me see. Let me, exactly, I'll come back to it because I want you to see what I'm talking about. So you see the contrast, the difference between light green and dark green. Okay, motor vehicle, motor vehicle. Mo, um, motorcycle means every motor vehicle. Utility vehicle. Every vehicle, 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 motor vehicle, motor vehicle. Non-resident means every person. Uh, person, 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 motor vehicle, motor vehicle, person. I'm going scrolling down and just telling you how many times you see these same words. Operation or use for rent or for hire for the transportation of passengers or as a property carrier for compensation. There it is. They've actually spelled it out for you. I found it way after I'd already figured it out. And business of transporting persons or property means any owner or operator of any motor vehicle, trailer, or semi-trailer operating over the highways on the Commonwealth who accepts or receives compensation for the service, oh, there's another word, service, directly or indirectly. Uh, do not include persons or businesses that receive compensation for delivering a product. So this definition does not apply, but it does later on we'll, because they have a different definition, okay? Operator or driver, aha, means every person, and we'll get into the definition of a person in a second, who either I drives or is in actual physical control of a motor vehicle, not a vehicle, uh-huh, uh-huh. Physical control of a motor vehicle on the highway, II, is exercising control over or steering a vehicle being towed by a motor vehicle. Owner means a person who holds a legal title to a vehicle. See, there's vehicle, not motor vehicle. Okay, da 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 da. Uh, okay, passenger car. Listen to this definition. Passenger car means every motor vehicle other than a motorcycle or autocycle designed and used primarily for the transportation of no more than 10 persons, including the driver. So we have several of them. So you would think, well, do you own a passenger car? And you would go, uh, yeah, I own a passenger car. No, you don't, unless your passenger car is a motor vehicle, which we'll get to in a second, and it's engaged primarily for the transportation of persons, including the driver, across for compensation. You see, so you don't have a passenger car. You just simply have a vehicle, all right? Pick up a panel truck means every motor vehicle. Private road or roadway means every way of private ownership and use for vehicle. Now, here's what's different. Listen to this. Private roadway or driveway means every way in private ownership and used for vehicular travel by the owner, and that's having express or implied permission from the owner, but not by other persons. <laughs> you see it? Vehicular travel. 
not transportation. Okay? Uh, okay, now, okay, I'm going to give it to you again. You're going to see this again because before it's always been motor vehicle. Now listen to it. Roadway means the portion of a highway improved, comet designed, or ordinarily used for vehicular travel exclusive of the shoulder. So the keywords here that are not used, you don't see person, you don't see transportation, you don't see operator, uh, or any of those other terms that have to do with for compensation, transportation of person or uh, uh, passengers or, um, 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 I used to say product, I'm so used to say product, uh, they use uh, property for compensation. You don't see that in this definition. You see something totally different, vehicular travel. Aha, you see what I'm getting at. Let's go uh, continue, continue for a little bit more until you guys get really tired of this. Uh, But it's important that you get through this. Shoulder me that way, I'm struggling. Oh gosh, it goes on and on and on. I'm trying to to find the key stuff here and I, I, I agree, yes. Okay, vehicle, listen to the difference between vehicle and motor vehicle. Vehicle means every device on or by which any person or property is or may be transported or drawn on a highway. You see, may be, sounds an awful lot like that court case. Uh, A minute ago we were talking about where it says uh, may not be or is not necessarily due process of law, right? Same thing. So this is their little out. Vehicle by itself means every device on or by which any person or property is or may be transported or drawn on the highway. does not mean that it is. Okay? Uh, Definitions, definitions, definitions. Here we have common courier. means any person who undertakes. There's another keyword I found out later on. Undertakes. You see, undertaking is a business term whether directly or by lease or other arrangement to transport, there we go, keyword, transport passengers, another keyword, for the general public by motor vehicle for compensation over the highways of the Commonwealth. Hello, there's a definition, okay? You got motor vehicle by motor vehicle, not by vehicle, for compensation over, I I thought it was upon, in this case it's over, other ones that use the word upon. And the key word is transport. And then you also see any person. And they'll define person here in a second. So as I find where it is. Uh, let me see. What's this up here? Do-do-do-do-do. Employee hauler means a motor carrier. See, now they also use motor carrier. But here's another keyword: operating. So you know that it doesn't apply to you. For compensation doesn't apply to you. Okay? So these are... You, once you understand the definition of these words, it all starts to make sense. Again, let's go to the definition of highway. Highway means every public highway or place of whatever nature open to the use of the public. First time you've heard that word public. For purposes of vehicular travel. There it is. Let me repeat it. Highway means 
every public highway or place of whatever nature open to the use of the public for purposes of vehicular travel. Nothing about motor vehicle, nothing about person, nothing about transportation, nothing about operator, nothing about on or over. You see? You see the difference. Kaboom. Here, let's move on. Motor carrier means any person who undertakes, whether directly or by lease, to transport passengers for compensation over the highways of the Commonwealth. How many how many terms were in that one? All you need is one. Motor launch means a motor vessel that meets the requirements of the U.S. Coast Guard for the carriage of passengers for compensation with a capacity of six or more passengers, but not in excess of 50 passengers. Motor launch does not include sightseeing vessels special or charter party vessels within the provisions of this chapter because it's in another chapter. Party vessels is in another chapter. A carrier by motor launch shall not be regarded as a steamship company. I just read the whole thing for you so you know that I'm not pulling things out of my ass and just out of, out of context here. Operation or operations include the operation of all motor vehicles. does not say operator of vehicles. Operator of motor vehicles, whether loaded, keyword there, or empty, whether for compensation or not, and whether owned by or leased to the motor carrier who operates them or causes them to be operated. Uh, Operator means... Listen to this. You won't believe this. Means the employer or person actually driving a motor vehicle or combination of vehicles. Permit. And then it comes person means any individual, firm, co-partnership, corporation, company, association, or joint stock association, and includes any trustee, receiver, assignee, or personal representative thereof. Are you a firm? No. Are you a co-partnership? No. Are you a corporation? No. Are you a company? No. Are you an association? No. Or joint stock association? No. And are you a trustee, receiver, assignee, or personal representative of any of those? No. Therefore, guess what? You're not a person as defined under the statute. Now, if it's you and me out there and I say, oh, you're a really nice person, does that mean that you're one of these? No. It has to do with the statutes. They are defining terms specifically, so guess what? So they can't be misused. And so that you can catch them when they misuse it. But if you don't know what the definition is, under, in this case 46.2, because you never read it, then you wouldn't know to catch it when the judge sits there and goes, oh, you behind the wheel. Well, show me judge in 46.2 where it talks about behind the wheel, either defines or even uses the language behind the wheel. Ooh. Well, are you administering law that doesn't exist then? Uh-huh. God has asked me, God, listen to this. This this one, I love this one. Most people would sit there and go, well, do you have a personal vehicle? Well, yeah, i got a personal vehicle. It's personal. Means a motor vehicle. Oops, too late. No, it's not me. That is not used to transport, we've already said, 
motor vehicle, so I already know that it's not me, even though it says not used to transport passengers for compensation. So you would think that's used except for one problem, except as a TNC partner vehicle. And then you go look up TNC partner vehicle, which we'll get to in a second, you'll say, oh, now it makes sense. They're engaged in some sort of prearranged, and guess what the next thing is? The next definition says what? Prearranged ride means passenger transportation for compensation in a TNC partner vehicle. Arranged to a digital platform. Prearranged ride includes the period of time that begins when the TNC partner accepts the ride requested through a digital platform, continues while the TNC partner transports transports a passenger in a TNC partner vehicle and ends when the passenger exits the TNC partner vehicle. Clearly, that is something that is regulated because they're receiving some form of compensation for providing some sort of service over the highway. Restricted common carrier means any person who undertakes, whether directly or by lease or under arrangements, to transport passengers for compensation. Okay? You begin to see how I'm doing this? And on and on and on and on. Okay. That should be enough. Hopefully you guys get the message. Anybody not get that? And like I say, what you want to do is anytime you look up statute or law, you want to read the entire part starting with the definitions. And as you go through, you want to highlight terms and you begin to see more and more and more terms are common. And then you see if they apply or not. You begin to see what applies and what doesn't. It wasn't until the third time reading it, the third time cutting and pasted, and the fourth or fifth time of highlighting that I found the word engaged in. Okay? So it takes that. Reading it once is not enough. Twice is not enough. Three times is sometimes. Sometimes you've got to do it three or four or five times. But it's worth it because then when you go into court, you don't look like a dummy, and you can stuff them. Block! No two points for you, idiot. Okay? I'm trying to think. I kind of, I think I'm, I'm just about gone. KL says, stay away from codes and statutes. By all means, stay away if it works for you. Great. Please do a call and teach everybody else how you win every time by not using code and statutes. I have not been successful. Now, maybe I'm just a dumbass and I can't figure this out, and I don't know how to assert my rights. I've tried. And I've been pounded and I've been thrown into jail when I try to assert my common law rights and that I'm not subject and, I, you know, I'm a sovereign and everything else. It didn't work as well as this. If you want, you know, maybe I prefer kicking their ass at, at, at you know, at their own game, but I don't see it as their, own, as their game anymore. I see it as this is our laws that we created to secure our rights and to protect us, and I'm damn well going to use it because that's what they were created to do. Why would I ignore something that's there to protect me. Why would I not have the shield? And anyone who, who reads the Bible out there knows that you've got the shield and the sword. Why do you not have the shield and the sword? It's telling you in Scripture, as you profess with your mouth, so shall it be, right? I mean, if you go right to Genesis number one, what does it say? The Word was God. The Word was God. Everything was created by the Word. So why are you, gonna, why are you not going to use the Word? But again... The statutes are for the people. That's right. It is what binds them. It is the only thing that they can use. They're not allowed to use anything else. So if you can show that the statutes 
nowhere in the statutes does it say anything about one of the people or the public that is traveling, then it then you can show that they're misapplying. The whole reason you're doing this is to show that they're misapplying under color of law that which does not exist. And now you've got a suit for, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand? Who knows? Depends on how well you present it. You get 10000 a 100000 Most people don't have $10,000 at the end of the year. So is a couple hours or several hours or a couple hours a day, you know, you do that for a couple months and then you present your case and you, hey, look at that. $10,000. And isn't it worth your freedom? Absolutely, yes. Yes, Roddy, you're, okay, you're absolutely right. They've been misapplied by the legal aid society through codes. Their codes are their subjects. That's correct. They are subject to the codes. We are not subject to the codes. But if you don't know the codes, how can you show that you're not subject to it? Uh, Charlene says, you have to take the claim to risk management first. I don't know that you have to. I, I, I haven't. I just go after them. Because yeah, they, they've already done the action. What does 18 U.S.C. 241 say? If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any, and have in any state, territory, commonwealth, or district, in the free exercise or the enjoyment of any rights secured to them by the constitutional laws of the United States, shall be fined or imprisoned not more than 10 years. I didn't see anywhere in there where it says, woo you got to take it to risk management first. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't. I think part of the reason you want to take it to risk management and do all that administrative stuff is so that when you do your suit, you can say, hey, it's a policy of the state because I did everything I could to notice them and let them know that they was doing something wrong and they didn't do nothing about it. So it's, it's uh, negligence or gross negligence. Oh, yes, I've done it. That's number 35. Were you speaking to me or somebody else? Okay. And, and, but, you know, once again, um, there's no reason not to uh, go to risk management. I know that little process, and a lot of times that does work. I know that sometimes going to the, if you go and look at the, court, uh, the courthouse up under Dunn and Brand Street, you can find out who the head judge is of the business. And sometimes if you treat it like it's a corporation and you go to the president, which is the head judge, and you let him and you file a complaint, a lot of times I've actually got action on that one time. So, you know. Yeah, it's not their game, it's ours. Man, I'm reading this here, man is not part of the legal society. No, we created um, the law in order to secure our rights and to make sure that our public servants do not step outside of those bounds. If you notice in the Constitution, particularly the 13th, the 14th, and almost all of them, no state shall make reports. It is a limitation upon the state. Somebody want to say something about the risk management stuff? I see what you're writing there, Rodney. Uh, I'm going to read it out loud here, Rodney. It says, uh, uh, I did that recently, made risk management aware of their policy, um, holders' behavior, good. Um, uh, and then risk management uh, covers public officials, servants who cause harm to others, or city-state property, those who have duties and obligations. Yes, I don't disagree with that at all. I completely agree. 
and I probably should have covered that. Um, and I'm pretty, I'm, I'm bad about that. I noticed them through, through different ways, uh, various ways. But yeah, you're supposed to do that. I know that uh, my mentor actually says you want to file all your complaints with the bar association. And everything. That the concept here is that you want to give as much notice to them. That, and again, you're going to put this in your file. It's in a certified mail so that you can show, hey, I gave them notice. I gave look if I if I'm the if I'm the captain of the ship and I don't know what's going on, it's kind of hard to hold me accountable. If I'm the principal, uh, and you know you haven't told me, but I also don't believe it's a ne- necessarily a requirement. It certainly is going to make your case a lot stronger because they look, I did everything I could. I told them they were doing this. I quoted the law to them. They still allowed it to happen. They didn't do anything to correct the matter. So clearly, it must be a policy of the state. That's what you're trying to get at. If you let their supervisor know and their supervisor know, uh, and risk management is the supervisors of the supervisors, and they haven't done anything, because ultimately when you sue the state, risk management are going to be the ones that are going to attach the bonds, and they're going to be the ones that are going to end up paying that the 100000 or a million dollars, whatever you end up getting from a trial by jury, or if they negotiate out, out of court because they want to bury it. They don't want to go out of business. Uh, Started using a private tug on my auto in 2012. It's been an uphill battle, but I've got damage. Been to jail. Yep. There's some statute miles long. They added, delete everything. No, not really. Um, Guilds 415. It's not that bad. It took me what three hours the first night to go through it, then a couple hours the next night. And, and believe it or not, I can actually watch a TV show. Um, although I don't watch TV, but I was watching. Um, the, Arrow, I think it was. You know, it's 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 a comic strip type of show, but I like it. Just keeps me going, keeps me alive. It's kind of like listening to music. And I have my laptop here, right? So I'm looking at it, and I'm going through, and I'm highlighting, uh, um, you know, search and highlight, search and highlight. Every time I find where it says first, and I quickly read the words around it. So you can do a lot of this while you're multitasking and doing other things, you know, and then. You sit down, and then you sit down and read it, and you start gathering it. And then there's a certain point you have to focus 100%. You can't have distractions. You must focus 100% on what you're doing. And you just have to make that time. And there's not that many statutes. I mean, yeah, it seems like there's a lot, but most statutes are no more than, what, a few lines long. I mean, look at this one here. Just as an ex- I mean, you know, let me, let me get down to a, a, a particular point here. Do-do-do-do-do. A statute, a statute. It's still indefinite. That's all I actually copy paste off of here was this definitions, definitions, definitions. Okay, here's an example. Here's what they were charged under uh, 46 to maximum speed limit generally, except as otherwise provided in this article. So what does that tell you? Except as otherwise provided in this article. So you can look around for otherwise provided. The maximum speed limit shall be 55 miles per hour on interstate highways or other limited access highways with divided roadways, non-limited access highways having four or more lanes, and all state primary highways. That's just a definition. That's what that is. But it's also a, a, a specific part. The maximum speed limit on all other highways shall be 55 miles an hour, uh, 55 miles per hour if, here's the key, if the vehicle is a passenger motor 
vehicle, bus, pickup or panel truck or motorcycle, but 45 miles per hour on such highways if the vehicle is a truck, tractor truck, or combination of vehicles designed to transport property or is a motor vehicle being used to tow a vehicle designed for self-propulsion or, or house trailer. That's it. That's all. That's based on the statute. Oh, well, it continues here. Notwithstanding the foregoing provisions of this section, the maximum speed limit shall be 70 miles per hour where indicated by lawfully placed signs erected subsequent to the traffic engineering study and analysis uh, of available and appropriate accident and law enforcement data on I interstate highways, II multi-lane divided limited access highway, and II high occupancy vehicle lanes if such lanes are physically separated from regular travel lanes. The maximum speed limit shall be 60 miles per hour where indicated by lawfully placed signs erected subsequent to the traffic engineering study. You see, it's just repeating the same thing. Subsequent to traffic engineering study and analysis of available and appropriate accident law enforcement data. So when you start reading the stuff, it seems really hard and complicated, but then it's really, what is it saying? 55 on highways unless signed 60 or 70. It's a pretty simple, easy way of doing it if the vehicle is a passenger motor vehicle or truck, vehicle truck, vehicle designed to transport property or is a motor vehicle being used to tow a vehicle, okay? So that's really not that long, and that's probably the longest one here. Uh, and you really, you'd be surprised how short they really are. And once you've learned how to read them, uh, they start to make a lot of sense. We call them gold, going go searching for gold nuggets. Where's the gold? Where's the gold? Oh, let me see what else people are saying here. There are so many stats. Okay. Uh, Statutes that manner will be easily found. Yep. Given the code. After, yes. And you can find it laid out for the purpose of the chapter. Also, uh, search the annotated statutes to get the original intent. Yes. Thank you for bringing that, Rod, uh, Rodney. Um, also, I'm going to read this out loud. Also wise to search the annotated statutes to get the original intent of legislature. Not only will you get the intent of the legislature, but it will also give you the power on it, which is being designated and, and the purpose for it, which goes back to the intent. To intent is ten tenths of the law. In other words, you could argue, even if a statute exists, he's absolutely right. You could argue that that was not the use of it, clearly was not the intent of the legislature. And that's usually, believe it or not, when you're arguing law. That's why you have the uh, uh, finding of fact, what were the facts in the case, and the conclusion of law. So you can actually have a whole case, and many cases are about arguing about the intent of the law, the intent of the legislature, um, which goes back to the rescission. If you look at the recent Supreme Court case um, on rescission, it was you had half the courts saying that you had to file an action. The other court said no. The statute simply says you have to give notice. Well, the Supreme Court stepped in finally and said these clear, distinct wording, you'll see that, is very clear that it is notice is all that is required. Great case. You should read it um, uh, about rescission. 
And so, once again, if you want, when you, when you go to court, you can use the court to enforce statute and law as it not only is it written, but also intent. So, if you look at a statute that's written one way, and they're misusing it to deprive you of a right, or or to violate the due process, or to violate your uh, equal protections of the law, you now have a case. Because that clearly we know that we can, it cannot be the intent. That's why you need to know the unanimous Declaration of Independence, because that is the intent of all forms of government. And ironically enough, there's a point that I'm making, and I, you know I'm just as hard-headed as anyone. It's probably taken two years of my mentor basically pounding to me over and over again. And I've argued, and yelled, we've got a yelling matches. I said, oh, that's not what the statute said. He goes, no, it's perfect. It's, absolutely, it's not perfect. It's imperfect. And I will still say that. Only on this sense, that the intent is not being fulfilled. The intent is to secure our rights. That's not being fulfilled. But what does that tell you in law? What does that mean in law? In law means that they're misapplying the law, and that's why it's called a color of law action. And if you can prove that that was not the intent of the law, that's not the intent of its creation, and that they're misusing it, misapplying it, you have a case. Make sense? Good night. Good night, Roddy Kay. Thank you very much. Oh, he's already gone. Bummer. All right. I am spent. Anybody got any questions, comments, or otherwise that you want to speak? Speak, speak, speak. It looks like the only one on the phone is East Tennessee, so East Knoxville. Okay, we're done. We're finished. Thank you so much. I hope it helps. Um, We might try this next Saturday. Maybe not. We'll see how much interest there is. Let me know. Feedback. If you want to get on the list for the next show, send me something to, and I will go ahead and put in your truthmonger6 at gmail.com, send me your email, and say, please add me to the mailing list so that when they do another show, that I'll put you on the mailing list so you know, because I'm not doing this every week anymore. I've only done this because people have asked me to. At gmail. Dot com and for donations it is costly um, to file stuff and to do this is all I do um, there I just posted it um, m o n g e r number two at g m a i dot com okay uh, for donations, if you're using PayPal, uh, you just type in there um, truthmonger2 at gmail.com. And trust me, $5 can make a huge difference sometimes. I mean, there's times when I was down to my last dollar and, and needed you know, some bread or some food or something like that. This is all I do so that I can help other people. Soon I won't have to ask because I'm going to win my case, and I'm certainly that my first case for money, damages. All the other ones when I won was actually basically in a defensive mode. Um, Even if I was the plaintiff, it was to get rid of them. Now I'm going after the bucks, and that's why I'm saying um, I'm in the D.C. area. I'm right outside D.C. Um, 
That's why I'm sharing this with, with you guys, that we need to go after them and cost them. Sue them for damages and compensatory damages, reliance damages, and most of all, penalty damages, penal damages. That's where the money is really at. And, and we'll get into that later on. I just want to do an overview tonight. Um, and to, to sue, actually, you want to sue the principal. Always go after the principal, not the agent. The agent doesn't have any money. And the principal would defend the crap out of them. They have all these deep pockets, and they'll spend all that money defending them so that you'll lose the case. You want to go after the principal. And under law, the principal is considered to know what the, what the agent is doing. It is as if the principal was doing it themselves. So they're liable. You want to go after the principal. You want to go after the deep pockets so that no longer, remember, when corruption no longer is profitable, it will cease and it will also cease to have its influence. When it starts costing more and more and more money, guess what? If the profit margin is reduced, they can't throw the money around and pay people off so quickly and so easily. So this is, as I said, we're in a ship that's already four feet down, and we need to bail our asses off. We don't need to worry about the dressing and the curtains and, and the decor. Right now we're trying to save the ship. We're doing what we need to do to save the ship. Okay? It's real simple. Let's go after them. Let's cost them. Let's do everything we can and learn as you go. You've never lost. You cannot lose in law. You may only have a setback. And if you have done it right, you're now laying a foundation because you have what's called self-authenticated documents, which is a record. The court is a rec of, as records. Whatever you filed, you have a record of their criminal acts or their unlawful acts which you can then use when you finally end up going to 42-1983. Okay? Charlene, great. Uh, I have to keep that in mind. That it will change when the one is responsible for hiring, training, promoting, firing, and taxing to pay for it all. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, you know, you got me ringing the bell now, too. Uh, my mentor has been ringing it for a while. And he's been successful, um, and, and I've been trying to mimic not only what he does, but also his attitude. And I suggest you do that as well. There was a, a guy who basically got paid a lot, and he said, I can, I can double the accuracy of snipers in the military. And they're like, oh, no, you can't. Yes, we can. He made, basically made a bet. And what he did is he analyzed not just what the best snipers were doing, he analyzed their mental attitude, their mental attitude. So that's what you want to do is you want to put on that attitude, if you will, put on that persona. Put on that person, the right of the people to be secure in that persons. Put on that persona. I'm an attorney, damn, or I'm a, I'm a lawyer, damn it. I know the law. I know what it says, and I know how to write it, and I know that the statute says this and that, and I know that the statute does not say what you're applying. Put on that aspect. Put on the aspect that you're trying to catch a flea. These, this guy in a, in a black robe and, and the other guy standing over there, nothing but fleas, and you have to box them in and only tweak them real quick before they get a chance to jump out. Objection, objection, objection. And I didn't cover this before. You object, first of all, if you're in court. Right? I, I personally like court, but I also realize that you're doing something wrong if you're in court. I get it now. I didn't before, but I do. I get it now. But if you end up in court, yes, well, you do. You can do a lot of learning in court, and you object to what the attorney just did. 
Then the judge will overrule you. You now must object to what the judge is doing. The judge then will deny you. You must object to his denial. You must continue to object until he says, noted. Then you don't need to object anymore. And the reason became clear to me, believe it or not, by one of my students who revealed to me why. I just knew you had to. And he goes, well, that makes sense. First you're objecting to what that guy is doing, then you're objecting to what that guy is doing, then you're objecting to what that guy did. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. So you object, 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 because you're preserving your right. Now, if the judge sits there, when you get smarter, you can sit there and he goes, denied. And you can get smart ass with him and say, well, are you denying my right to due process? Oh, I'm not doing that. Well, then why are you denying? You know, that's how you, you, you box him in. If he denies you, you know, if you keep saying objection and he won't say noted, and he keeps saying denied, 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 He's denying you due process. Why? Because you have a right to make a record that you object to his verdict. If you do not object, it's called what? Consent. Remember, this is a hostile environment. Yes, exactly. Object to their objection of my objection. Yes. (laughs) So you object to it because you're preserving your right to raise it on appeal. Otherwise, you're consenting. Objection. Overruled. You didn't say anything. Well, that means you must consent to the overruling, doesn't it? You see, you begin to think this way. Objection. Overruled. I object. Denied. I object. Noted. Okay, you're done. You're done. You are being an ass when you argue with the judge. No, I'm not arguing with him. I'm making my record. All I'm doing, I'm making a record. I'm preserving it so that I may use it at a later time. If you don't preserve it, you lose it. You waive it. Like the same thing I talked about before. Almost all these traffic tickets can be got away with if you if if what people did was rebut the presumption within the first 30 days. That's why they always set a court hearing or court date more than 30 days away because you have 30 days under statute. Go look at the statute. Go look at the laws in your state, and you'll see that if you fail to assert your affirmative defenses, it's considered waived. So when you walk into court, and you want now you argue with the court has jurisdiction, when you already said, I'm a person, you haven't rebutted the presumption, and you showed up. You see? so you, And now you're arguing something, you already waived your right to your affirmative defenses, which is jurisdiction type of thing. Not that you can't challenge jurisdiction at any time if you know how to do it. But I'm saying, you know, learn the right way to do it early in the game. Do the interrogatory right off the bat. Who has first-hand knowledge uh, or substantial real evidence that I was engaged in activity subject to the state or subject to 46.2, which I mean charged up? And in this case, I would actually go a little bit further and say who has substantial real evidence that I was engaged in any form of transportation of uh, property or passengers for compensation on the highways. That's how I would phrase it because that's how they use it in the statute. Now they have to come up with somebody who's going to swear by oath or affirmation that they had first-hand knowledge that you were engaged in activity of transportation of passenger or property for compensation. They can't do that. Oops. They can't charge you under 46.2. Exactly. Affirmative defenses are made at the very beginning. And if you look at most states, most states, they say within 20 to 30 days, if you don't assert them, you waive them. And in fact, on the ticket, 
which recently somebody had me out of Texas, I didn't realize. I said, wait a minute, right there, it's an indictment. It, it says, da-da-da-da-da, the state of Oklahoma, it says state of Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City versus, there's a little V right after. Look at your ticket, there's a little V. It's no different than somebody else filed a court case. It is. It's like the first time you're being served. You actually were served. With it, that ticket is you're being served. And what's the first thing you do when somebody serves you? You respond to the complaint. You don't answer it. You respond to it. And you assert your affirmative defenses. I'm claiming my name in all caps of DV except the birth certificate and claim that name with UCC1. I'm kind of hijacking. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, you know what? I don't do the UCC1. That's, I, never, I, I haven't and won't, and I'll tell you why, real simple. I'm not a commercial entity. And if you get a file in UCC, you need to be a commercial entity, and you're going to have to have an EIN number. I don't have an EIN number. So why would you use your UCC-1? I'm not a commercial entity. UCC does not apply to me. I'm not a commercial entity, and I'm not engaged in any commercial activity. But if it works for you, rock and roll, man. Yeah, Gordon Hall. Yeah, he's in jail. Other names is DBAs, too. Well, now you're talking. One of my defenses is claiming another, uh, uh, other names as DBAs. Well, that's technically what it is, but it, I haven't seen it. Doesn't necessarily work. I think it's better and more effective and efficient to box them in and force them to show that it applies to you. See, most of this stuff is, and, and I've been down these roads. Trust me, I've done an awful lot of this stuff, and it. It may work sometimes if you do it right, but it's a real tricky thing. Here's the beauty. You learn that. Here's the beauty. When you learn the laws that are actually written, you now know them. You now can hold their feet to the fire over and over and over again. If you don't use UCC thing, you know, sometimes it works for some people, or so I've heard. You know, I want to make the system work for me. So because the more we exercise the system, the way it was intended. The more you catch them and the more times it costs them, they'll stop doing it. Every time the cop, cops pick a name, I claim it as SOS. Oh, God. I also listen to Kirk Kellenbach on the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law. Yep, that's Congress. That has nothing to do with the state. No, I won't say I don't do my age. Uh, I'm old enough to know better and too young to have experienced everything I want to experience. I'm only just getting started in life. But I've also been told I'm an ancient, which means I've been around for several hundred years. I'm backing off into the kingdom of God. My DNA blood is a temple. Okay, good. That works. That works. Yep. That's my, my religion is a real simple one that this my body is my holy temple, so I'm in it, and it's a, it's a holy temple. That's what it is. That the whole universe is my church, so I'm in church all the time. I don't need to wait until Sunday, and every day is a holy day, which means I don't need to wait for a certain day to do a good deed. So that's that's my religion, but that's just you know that's my belief system. When it comes to dealing with these people, they're subject to the law. 
The law is what created them. It's a simple contract. That's what it is. And if it's not within the four corners of the contract, then you can't enforce it. And that's what I'm going to keep standing on. If that, that's the simplest way I can do it. None of the golf ball stuff works. <laughs> All right. You know what? I think we're getting way off subject here. I Hopefully this was helpful to people. And if you want more, then you need to let me know. I gave you my email. If I don't get enough calls from people, um, uh, let me know. You can by email. I'll give you my phone number if you have a subject that you want to discuss. However, I will tell you that if you're going to call me about stuff, um, you need to have some sort of digital recorder and you need to be recorded. I, you know, I don't need to repeat this over and over and over again. It takes time. It takes effort. And I know for a fact that you pick up less than 1% of what's read to you the first time or what spoke to you the first time. That's why I listen to my own shows to pick up stuff, okay? I learn. I go back and listen to my own shows and say, oh, oh, that was interesting. Yeah, pick up stuff and I use it. Sometimes, you know, I say things and I'm like, where did it come from? The subconscious is a very powerful thing. All right, so how would you sign a traffic ticket? B-Y, call it. I always do that. Sign everything, B-Y, call it. No, you can't say threat and duress because you're not technically under threat and duress. You need to look up those words. Duress means that you're under under imminent physical harm. And it's not, you, you might say threat. You could say perhaps uh, intimidation, threat, intimidation, you know, but that's not going to get you where you want to go, in my opinion. It, it, you're trying to do it at, at the beginning. If you, I have found that by colon is very very powerful. In the end, no one it's never written. Nobody ever tells you it's not any, not a secret. The reason is because you're signing when you go by. You're signing as authorized signature. You're not signing on your own behalf, so you're not becoming the surety. Um. Um. Again, I think that, you know, I went back and I did like five five questions that the first one they can't get over. Who has first-hand knowledge and or substantial real evidence that I was engaged in some form of activity subject to the state? This is hugely important. You don't need to start defending as to whether you're a person or a people or this or that or the other thing, which is what I used to do, okay? I'm not saying it's not good, but let's go to the very, very beginning. If there's been no murder, are you guys listening? If there's been no murder, why would you want to say that you're not a murderer? First, make them prove that there is a murder. First, make them prove that there was an activity engaged in that is subject to the state, whether it's tax, whether it's traffic, whether it's anything else. Yeah, you're right. I'll shut it down. Well, either way, it has to be it, the employee has to be has to be a true witness. When you get on the stand and you cross-examine them or you depose them, 
you can ask what their motivation is. Do you get paid by? Do you get paid by? Do you get paid by? And cases have been won by that. But again, before you can even get there, I suggest you use that first one. Let me go in the other room. Okay. So the first question is, who has firsthand knowledge and or substantial real evidence that an activity subject to the state was engaged in actually took place? The second thing was, who has firsthand knowledge or substantial real evidence that an entity of the state exists that engaged in an activity subject to the state? Aha. So they have to show that an activity engaged in and that there had to be an entity of the state or a creation of the state, limited liability company, corporation, partnership, or municipal sub of the state, that engaged in that activity. Because only those entities are subject to the state. Then the third one is who has firsthand knowledge and or substantial real evidence that I am an officer or an agent or, quote, individual of that entity of the state that engaged in the activity that is subject to the state. And then number four is please provide me with the account from which I am authorized to make payment or uh, to settle the account with. In other words, there must be an account from which I'm authorized to settle the matter. It's so powerful. I actually did that one time in a particular ticket. There has to be. They can't bring a claim, a failure to state a claim upon which release can be granted. If you cannot provide the relief, if it's impossible, then the court can't give an order requiring you to do something that you can't do. So if there's no account from which you can create a check to, to settle the matter, then there's no the court getting an order. And I always like to the, the joke, I always like to sit there and say, okay, and while you're at it, please give me two checks because I'm going to write a check for myself because I don't work for free. And then the last one, which is kind of a tongue-in-cheek, and oh, by the way, you know what? I'm going to join you in the action or I'm going to do a cross-complaint against that entity of the state because I haven't been paid, and they haven't provided me an account from which to settle the matter. Now, I want you guys to meditate on that. Those last, on the last thing I did, those five things I gave you, so that you get an idea of how powerful that is. Because they, again, the state can only regulate that which is a creation of the state. Unless, of course, it's a crime. We're not talking crime here. You can only regulate that which is a subject of the state or subject to the state, which means it has to be a creation of the state. This is clearly evident by the definition of person. Fiduciary, limited liability company, corporation, or any municipal subdivision of the state. And there's other definitions, but that's mostly what it is. Those are all creations of the state. A corporation, a business, a limited liability company cannot create law that, is, that makes the state subject to that. It can't do it. It is a subject of the state. In the same way, the state cannot make laws that subjugate the people, just like you can't sit there and make laws that subjugate your creator. As Hale versus Hinkle says, 
these rights existed long antecedent to the creation of the state or the organization of the state. Okay? All right. There's a little advanced stuff there, but um, that gives you a little nutshell. Anyway, I am going to sign off, and nobody else has any other questions, and I'm tired hey, of calling. I, I, yeah. I have something I want to raise. Uh, this is vital rights. Um, last time I got stopped for speeding, um, when uh, the officer came and asked for license registration, I asked him if he had a warrant. And mm-hmm. He said, I don't need a warrant. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So he goes, license registration. When I ask you, you have to give it to me. I said, okay, what evidence do you have that I'm in commerce? He goes, what? Mm-hmm. I said, what evidence do you have that I'm in commerce? He goes, mm-hmm. what? And I yell, what evidence do you have I'm in commerce? Right? Mm-hmm. So um, then uh, he goes, uh, you know, I'm asking you for your license registration. You, you, you have to give it to me. I said, is that your wish or is it an order? He said, mm-hmm. uh, I'm asking you. I said, well, if you ask me, I don't have to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it an order? And then he says, yeah, I'm ordering you. I said, okay. So I give him my license registration. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he asks me, you said you're not in commerce. Uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the dentist. So he goes, are you in a hurry? I said, yeah. He goes, okay. So he goes, goes writes me a ticket. And uh, comes back, gives it to me. And um, I forget what else he said when he gave me the ticket. And that was it. So normally I, I do a process with a ticket, you know, right away. But mm-hmm. I was busy because I had just been like a week before or two weeks before I had been arrested in this whole thing. There was like front page news and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, so I didn't do anything with a ticket. And I just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. So there was a year ago. I never heard from them again. Mm-hmm. Do you think from what I said that they pulled that ticket? No. No, I don't. I'll tell you what what it is is uh anytime they write a ticket they're numbered and they have to have an accountant. And somebody has to either somebody has to pay it or there has to be accounting or the, there has to be a judgment where it's dismissed. Well but so that's my it, point. It's been it's been a year. It was a, it's a year this uh this past month, right? It's actually more than a year. And normally uh you know, I've gotten tickets to all my whole life. Normally mm-hmm. If you don't do something with mm-hmm. it, like, like mm-hmm. clockwork, they, they'll mm-hmm. send you a follow-up notice like within 30 days. And well, I, had, I, had, I, had a well like I had a ticket like that for failure to have a life jacket and failure to have a whistle, which were the most ridiculous uh, charges in the world, considering I was sitting on a flotation bike in a foot and a half of water 50 feet to the shore. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's the stupidest thing in the world. And I even I had a court case uh, in, in circuit court um, and the same day I had one in, in district court, I emailed, I mean, I, I faxed a, uh, this is a year ago, I faxed a letter to the judge letting them know that the circuit court uh, was a higher court than this one and how ridiculous this charge was and that if you wanted to pursue it, please, you know, create a new date and let me know. Um, I didn't hear from him. I assumed because I didn't hear from him that that it was, you know, that he was like, oh, this is ridiculous and, and discharged it. And uh, I found out two, three years later, that there had been a bench worn out for my arrest and knew nothing about it. And I was in jail for uh, 28 to 30 hours. So, you know, <laughs> that's been my experience. No, but I'm, I'm pretty positive they pulled this ticket. And uh, it could have been from what I said. It could have been from what mm-hmm. had been happening with my record before. Yeah. How did I'm, you pretty positive, I'm pretty positive it's from what I said. 
And what yeah. happened was they, they uh, you know, they went back and uh, said, oh, I stopped this man, and uh, he said this, this. And uh, they went and looked at my record and said, you know, let, let's pull this one, I think. Because I've known stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do know that if you have stuff in your history where you stomped their asses before, yeah, they won't. They won't. I, I don't. I, I get uh, tickets all the time, and they never come to fruition at all. I just ignore them. I don't even waste my time with them because they they know better. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 uh, I'm pretty sure there's not, I'm pretty sure there's nothing there because I've dealt with the uh, DMV uh, after that, and uh, I had a parking ticket, an old parking ticket, and that came yeah. up, but this didn't come up. And that, that's how they enforce all this stuff is through the MD. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, well, one thing I would suggest is I get the commerce thing, but you do not have to be engaged in commerce in order to be given a ticket. As I said, if you look at different states, particularly in Virginia, Maryland, and other ones, it's not necessarily commerce, um, but it says for compensation. It means business getting paid, okay? So you don't need to necessarily be in commerce, and that's why I, I, I changed my phrasing, you know, um, the, the questions I use is, well, what's the emergency? No emergency. Okay, do you have any uh, evidence or reason to believe I've engaged in any criminal acts? And they go, no. And I say, well, do you have a warrant? No. Do you have any evidence that I've engaged in any form of transportation, a person or product for pay upon, I say either pay in Maryland or I say for compensation in Virginia uh, while upon the, uh, upon the roads? And they go, no. And I said, then I simply say, am I free to go or are you going to unlawfully detain me? And that stomps them right there. You give them a choice carrot and the, the carrot and the stick are you are you you know if you don't have these things am i free to go or are you going to unlawfully detain me and um and then at some point if they keep they've, on, they've, they've already unlawfully detained you long before that but yeah i get it and then yeah and then i and then I, i'll sit there and go well then you know are you going to are you going to deprive me of a right um that is protected that is secured by the constitutional laws of the united states now i'll quote to them 18 usc 241 and usually that's when it wakes them up, when they realize they can actually sue them. Um, but the other thing I was going to ask you, I like your clever part. You say, well, is that an order or request? And then he finally says, it's an order. I said, well, okay, well, please pay in advance. I don't know why you didn't say that. Just for next time, do that. So when he says, well, what's an order? I say, well, would you please pay in advance then? <laughs> well, the, yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, stuff, you know, Kyle Lentz stuff. You know, is that your wish or is it an order? Well, I like to go. And, I like uh, to play. I like to have fun and take it one step further. And they sit there and go, "Well, it's an order." And I go, "Well, you know." And, and this, it, I said, "In my business, I, you know, if you want me to do something for you, I, I don't trust you guys anymore. So I require you to pay in advance. So please pay in advance. Yeah. I'd be glad to abide by your order." <laughs> you could do that. You just got to be careful who you're dealing with because some of these guys are very jumpy. You know. Um, this guy was actually calm, but you know the the time before that, uh, when I ended up getting arrested and uh, you know all this stuff, sovereign citizen and all this crap, and eventually everything got got uh, changed to just uh, decriminalized. And now I'm still after uh, you know have a hearing and and uh, been told to pay some some assessment. Uh, they don't call it a fine. They, you know, they check off fine, uh, fine and they call it assessment. Uh, I actually, uh, I'm still dealing with that, and that was that was July last year, and I'm still communicating back and forth with the uh, with the court about you know who do I pay and and how to pay and all that stuff. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, even even after you have a judgment against you and all that, you can still 
Um, well, you know, like I said, uh, you, might, you, might, you might try the thing I just gave you. You might say that you're, you're more than willing to comply with the order upon them providing you the account from which to make payment from. Yeah, actually what I did is uh, uh, I, I filed a couple of notices after this alleged judgment. I think the time's going to end soon. So uh, the they give me 60 days to pay, whatever, and I filed a couple of notices. And then the time went by of the 60 days, and they never answered my notices. So then they issued a default warrant, and I went in there to pick up a recording, and um, they told me that there was a warrant, so I, I went in front of the judge. And I told them, look, uh, you know, I'll pay right now. Just tell me one man uh, I pay. And uh, he doesn't know how to handle it, whatever, you know, you realize you're speaking to a man. Yes, I understand, he says. So I said, okay, one man do I pay? And he says the governor's name. Mm-hmm. So I wrote him a letter with a check payable to the governor. And I said, uh, you know, on this day, you, uh, Stephen, uh, ordered I, a man, to pay this. Here's the payment. Now tell me what address you want me to send the invoice for completing your order. He mm-hmm. sent everything back with a check, you know, and the check. Just this just happened a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. So now I got to take the next step. Yeah. See, that's, we the, we, that's the reason I don't like. That's the reason I, I basically shied away from that is because it seemed to be an ever convolution of of never ending educating them and trying to stand on law that they don't understand. And for me, it was easier to learn the laws that they're accustomed to. And using those and and causing them to abide by those laws. Um, oh, no, I, 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 I get that, and I appreciate that you're doing that. And there's uh, there's a lot of ways to peel an onion or skin a cat, you know. Right. Exactly. This, I'm, I'm I'm pursuing this road. So he he gave me until January 31st to pay, and this mm-hmm. is you know from July July this you know this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, now it's going into January. This is just for payment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, just, I, say, I, I would like to put an end to it. So from my point of view, what I would do is simply, again, make a request and say that you're more than willing to comply, um, uh, if, you know, but they have failed to provide you with with the ability to remedy the situation right? and account from which to make payment from. And the reason, and it, it, what it does in law, it, they cannot make an order if you cannot comply. There must be an account from which you can um, uh, make payment from because a, it, there's a fiction. Okay, what they what they've actually done is they've charged you under a fictitious uh, or a DBA, and that business is the thing that's been charged. You're being you're being ordered.